channel those uh, ads to you guys. So I don't know if we've jumped into the actual conversation, but Tyler, I have to ask. I've noticed that your music I don't think you can too loud. Okay, I'll stop the music here. Hold on. Audio effects. Stop. Okay, sorry about that, everybody. You smashed it, Peloton. <laughs> what, what, were you, what were you saying, Lakeisha? Yeah, well, I was asking about the music. I mean, he went from, like, was it Halloween oh. last week? Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and now I feel like I'm in a techno house room. So so have you transitioned to, like, techno for tech news? Or ah. is, is that just the vibe you're feeling? Mu- yeah, it's, just, it's just whatever was... I forgot to take that one off and add something more mellow to the playlist. And uh, Tyler rides, yeah. Tyler rides different vibes every day of the week. Yeah, that's good though. To be yes, honest, I dig it. Can we go back to it, Tyler? I know it's not bad, right? Elle, it's a, it's a good. Elle, I'm with you. That one's got <laughs> good a good morning. Oh, got some jam to it. Is it, guys? Can I talk for a second now? Yeah, go ahead, Frost. Tyler, since hydrogen has been an up and coming topic of the room most recently, yeah, there's a friend in in the speaker Pete. section. Just joined Clubhouse. His name's Tim Harper. He's founded a company called Element Two in the United Kingdom. Nice. Hydrogen fueling. Just it's raised thirty million pounds of funding. If you want to bring him up, you want to talk to him about that. Would love be to. Interesting about hydrogen. We would love to explain to him how. I just I just have so many questions. Isn't hydrogen element one? Uh, where is I don't see him actually. But isn't like. I mean, for us, it's a super cool name, but I'm just confused. <laughs> All right. While you guys were doing the whole the dad section, I was trying to get him to be pulled up, and I think he's left now. Well, did we scare him away with the the Peloton Take cycling off. class? <laughs> Sorry for us. He for thought us. he stepped into a... We're chilling too much with the music. A cycling <laughs> class. He's like, wait a minute. I thought I was going to a tech newsroom, and I stepped into a cycling class. Ping him. Ping him. Ping him. We'll apologize and we'll give him the golden. Hey, L. I meant to ask you last week: is your is your profile pic? Is that a play on Wednesday from Adam's Family? Yes, it is. Ah, I thought so. It's very cool. Thank so you. We My got a, did this we got a couple oh, raising their hands to get on stage here. Let's let's let them let's let them. Let, we'll start with ISIS. Let's welcome ISIS. Although I'm assuming this is not the ISIS in the Middle East. This is a different ISIS. Uh, Interesting name. Yeah. Good. You assume correct. How are you guys doing? We're doing okay, Isis. What's what's your story? Welcome to Tech News Around the World. This is your first time? This is my first time. I literally only came up to say to keep rocking music. It was oh. helping me get up. I know, right? I'm with you. <laughs> I am with you. Thank you. Yeah, let, I'll do it again, but I'm just gonna break I'm just gonna bring it down a little bit in case Faraz's friend comes back. We don't want to scare him away with our cycling music. Um, yeah. Come on. So, um, and then we got another person in the audience with their hand up. Jordan Kelly, ladies and gentlemen, let's give a warm tech news around the w- world applause to Jordan Kelly. Welcome, Jordan. What's your story? Jordan Kelly from Bristol, um, potentially working for Dyson. Who knows? You got it right. And it's my birthday today. Which oh, is well, awesome. happy damn birthday, birthday, Jordan. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Jordan. Thanks a lot, guys. Much How appreciated. How did I get that right? Eh? That doesn't mean you don't have to ride that. the bike up the hill. You still pedal, son. You ready for this birthday workout, Jordan? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So and one, and on two, one. and three, and, and four. let's do this. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
sparkling glass. You get Jordan. to stuff your face full of cake, and you hop <laughs> in that peloton and you work, work, work. There's <laughs> quite a climb up. I, I definitely need to lose some weight post pandemic. I've put on around uh, six or seven kilos, so. Yeah, after this cake, I'm we're straight gonna, into uh, burning calories. We're going to burn two of those kilos off in the next hour and a half here, Jordan. Woo! I'm bur- I'm, I'm, it's heating up in here. I'm going to have to jump in the ice bath after this one. Um, so, <laughs> with, a bit of, with a bit of Vim Hof, uh, like 40 <laughs> in, 40 out! <laughs> Breathe. So, um, yes, this is Tech News Around the World. It's not a cycling class. Uh, pardon the confusion. We're just getting excited here on a Monday. <laughs> Happy Monday, wherever you happen to be. Everyone waking up on the West Coast. Um, we had a fantastic session on when, when all the Europeans were waking up a few hours ago, seven hours ago. This will be no exception. In fact, this session is truly special because we're going to go through the news for the next you know, couple hours. And then Mr. Tim Cook, Apple CEO himself, is going to hop on stage at the Apple campus, turn on the cameras with the live stream. We are going to go over to apple.com and watch the live stream video, but we're going to watch it with the sound off because our friend Michael Simpson Jr. on stage is going to pipe in the audio here. We're going to listen together and comment together in real time while um, Tim and the Apple executives uh, show us the future of Apple. And it's a lot of fun. We've done it before. In fact, we've done it for Apple... Uh, Google, HTC, Facebook, and most yeah, most recently Facebook and Google and everybody. We did it with uh, Apple back on April twentieth, and uh, where they announced the uh, what was it? The new M one chip with the MacBook Pro thirteen inch. Tyler, yeah, hear me? yeah, I hear you, Frost. Okay, Tim's here again. Okay, great. He's in the audience. Tim, yeah, I've you... invited him, man. Okay, I've great. Thank you, Cal. Yeah, I've got him. And so last time we did this Apple keynote live stream, um, it was on their event on April 20th, uh, where they announced the new iMacs with the new M1 processors and the new MacBook Pro 13-inch, and I believe the Apple TV, right, Michael, with the M1 processors? And yeah, that was a fun event. Uh, and we had... Unfortunately, uh, today, well, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens today. There's a there's a lot of high expectations as always around these high, you know, this flagship events. This one happens to be the big one of the year for Apple. They have maybe three or four events every year. This is the biggest of those three or four events each year, unless you're counting the traditional iPhone launch event, which is usually in September. Uh, so they're not launching a new iPhone today because that's always at the September event. But th- this is the event where all this is their biggest event by far where they uh it's called the WWDC which is the worldwide developer conference where developers from all over the world all every person who builds iPhone apps and apps on the Mac um come together to to hear what Apple's got in mind for the next year and that's we're going to look forward to seeing what they have to share today i think the big news today is going to end up being the new operating system i think they're either going to bring a new operating system to the ipad or they're going to bring one to the uh apple watch and i think if they bring it to the um if they bring it to the apple watch they're going to be bringing contacts and and some other things that aren't available right now on apple watch and if they bring it to the ipad then i'm gonna i suspect that they're also going to be unlocking full usage of final cup 
Pro X as well as Logic Pro X on the iPad, considering it now houses the same exact chip that the uh, iMacs and the MacBooks are housing, which means that there's really nothing standing in the way of bringing their full desktop suites of uh, applications over to the iPad. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a whole bunch of speculation as to what we're going to experience here in, in the next couple hours when they take the stage. And all of the uh, tech blogs are doing what they always do. It's almost like Christmas morning for the geeks, Apple geeks around the world. Um, and let's see, just looking at uh, a couple of the blogs here in terms of what they are expecting to be announced. Um, gosh, there's no shortage of sources to choose from. You, let's, who's got a favorite one? Mm, let's see. Let's see who who's got the who's got the best rumors on where. Let's let's go to MacRumors.com. They seem to have a, a good track. That's my favorite. Yeah, me too. So for those who for the real Apple fan boys and girls in the room, Mac Rumors tends to have a really good record on what's going to happen at these events. And they're talking about HomePods. They're talking about uh, uh, here's the uh, uh, well, they've got all all kinds of stuff they're expecting. Let, let me get their official blog post of what they expect here, and then we're going to jump into. Um, there's actually, by the way, in the past two, 48 hours, Apple uh, added additional content to this event for Apple Music. And so Apple Music, which is a different part of Apple, announces a new special event immediately following the WWDC keynote. So there's not only the WWDC keynote that we're here to watch together, but then Apple Music says, whoa, 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 we want to piggyback on all of this hot momentum of this big annual event. And we got something we want to share with the world while they're all watching that keynote. So we're going to keep it rolling right after the WWDC keynote for this brand new, just announced Apple Music special event. When we talk about, uns you know, uh, unscripted, like they literally just threw this on in the last 24, 48 hours. And so in a video posted on Apple Music's website, first spotted on Twitter, Apple is teasing a new special event that will take place exactly uh, two hours after the keynote. So the keynote itself is two hours long, and then they are going to do the Apple Music special event. And currently it's not listed in the WWDC schedule. This event is related to spatial audio for Apple Music, which Apple has said will launch later this month. Uh, Apple announced spatial audio powered by Dolby Atmos will be coming to all Apple Music subscribers in June. In addition to higher quality lossless streaming, the company has been promoting the new features across social media and within the Apple Music app. However, the mention of a special event dedicated fully to it had previously remained undisclosed. Apple's official keynote begins uh, in just a few hours. And and the State of the Union takes place four hours after that. Is, is the U.S. having the State of the Union tonight with Joe Biden? No, sir. I don't know what they're referring to then. Huh. Um, they mentioned the State of the Union. So what to expect? Maybe the, maybe it's the company's like State of the Union outlook at the past year and then yeah. the year forward. Yeah, could be. Um, so what Mac Rumors is expecting out of the WWDC event tonight 
is, as Michael said, the new Mac OS, which would be we're currently on Mac OS 11. So they're going to reveal Mac OS 12, which will have a whole new uh, photo of California as your desktop. Uh, and it will have a whole new name to go along with it. I think the most recent one is Big Sur. Is that what we're on right now? And yep. And the next one is anybody's guess, Golden Gate or some other. For the past few years, I think the last four or five years, it's all been uh, parts of California, right? Uh, we had Catalina. We had uh, 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 what's the Yosemite, and it's all of these iconic uh, spots in California, and they're running out of iconic spots in California, believe it or not. So yeah, I think it was Sierra, then High Sierra, then that's Yosemite, right. then that's right. uh, yeah, then uh, Big Sur, Catalina, and then Big Sur. And, that's right. Which is what we're on right now. We'll see what they announce today. And then before the California names, it was. I wish they would do Watts. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Oh, that would it be. would be so cool if they did Watts and the Watts towers were like the backdrop. Oh, oh that. Hey, Michael, this will make you happy. My company followed a code name of uh, Comp City, so Watts was on the list. It was like twenty five thousand. Oh wow! <laughs> Welcome that's to amazing. actually, that's too high. Twenty five hundred or something. Wait, because Michael, it's way down there. But Michael, you can there do are it. So in, many cities in California. You can do it in your sexual chocolate voice. Welcome to Mac OS Compton. <laughs> Welcome to Mac OS Compton. <laughs> that would be fantastic with Dr. Dre coming out because he's part of the Apple team now when they bought Beats. Oh my God, that would be amazing. And they have an NWA reunion on stage. It uh, really would be incredible. Amazing. Holy shit, we should work for Apple. So anyway, um, what Mac Rumors is expecting is just as we are saying, Mac OS 12. Uh, who knows where it'll be? Obviously, Compton is the best choice, but who knows if they'll actually go with that. Uh, Watts would be a great runner-up. And um, then they'll probably pick Santa Barbara or something silly like that, right? Marina Del Rey. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, then they're also expecting the new, and this is almost certain, by the way, they're going to reveal the new operating system for the iPhone, which is called iOS. And this will be iOS 15 because iOS 14.5 just came out. In fact, iOS 14.6 came out yesterday, but iOS 15 will be the whole new upgrade of the iOS. And that's where they reveal all the real new changes um, happen when they change the number like that from iOS 14 to 15. When they do the 14.5, 14.6, that's just tiny little incremental changes that aren't really visible. When they do the full upgrade to iOS 15, that's where you see an actual physical difference, new design, new elements, new characteristics, new features and functions. So we get a preview of what all that's going to be about, which is nice. And then, as Michael said, the new Watch OS, which will be Watch OS 8. And then there's a, a lot of people, Michael and myself included, who are really hoping for a new MacBook Pro, namely the 14-inch and 16-inch, with which will no doubt include a new upgraded uh, M1 processor, whether or not it's called the M1X or the M2 is it? strongly up for debate whenever they do announce it. We do know if they do announce it, it will have uh, the MagSafe charger is going to be back, which is fantastic, by the way. And it will also have a HDMI port, an SD card reader, and four, um, what, you know, the uh, USB-C ports. How do we know that? Well, because one of Apple's suppliers got hacked and the schematics for that upcoming device got leaked in advance and it was verified that this is an upcoming apple product so we know whenever they do release that product that's what it's going to be the question is is it tonight 
Well, quite likely, actually. Um, when it will, uh, there's the issue of if even if it does get released, uh, announced tonight, when will it might be released um, down the road? That remains to be seen. Um, and we did touch on the processors because uh, if there is a new laptop announced, it will have a a new processor, and of course, they will spend some time talking about that new processor, whether or not it's the M1X or the M2. The M1 has been an ga- absolute game changer for Apple, and they've put it so far in the Apple TVs, the Mac Mini, the new iMac, the new MacBook Air, the new MacBook Pro 13, and everyone who has any of those, and the new uh, iPad Pros that just came out also have the M1 processor, regardless of which device you have with the M1 nobody has used those devices that wasn't actually astounded by the performance of those devices. And so the idea that they aren't even resting on the M1 and moving right ahead with the M1X or the M2, they don't even need it at this point. People are still coming to terms with how amazing the M1 is. Um, I'm curious to see what the performance difference is going to be on the M1X or the M2, which it's, it's just so, it's just so insane. I do a lot of uh, CAD and CFD and, um, I, I'm a Mac guy, and it, to do that, I usually re- rent a virtual machine. I rent a 12-core Xeon uh, server with 32 gigs, and now my MacBook Air with 16 gigs is running just as fast as that, and I save myself you know, 80, 90 bucks a, a month in virtual computing. Yep, and then... Incredible. Lastly, people are expecting an iPad OS update to iPad OS 15. And so basically every single device they make from the watch to the laptops, to the iPad, to the phone, we're expecting new operating systems for all of them. And that'd be amazing if every device across the whole line all got updated in tonight. Um, And then there's as part of these new operating systems, the idea is that they are going to be much more synchronized and compatible with each other and seamless with each other so that your phone and your watch and your laptop and your phone and we'll all kind of work together in a much more integrated seamless sort of way so that when you're wearing your watch your laptop opens or if you have your phone your laptop knows your phone's nearby and it knows your watch is nearby and they all can transfer when you cut and paste it'll do it seamlessly between all of your devices Um, and when you download an app on one it'll download the apps on all of them and by the way it's soon expected that the new version of the laptop will be able to run all of the iPhone apps. That's one of the amazing features that uh, some are expecting in the new version of the Mac uh, OS for the laptops is it will run all iPhone apps, all like million plus iPhone apps that are in the iPhone app store will now be able to run. And of course, those app developers who built those apps for the iPhone and for the iPad have now millions of you know, laptop and desktop devices that will take advantage of that as well, which is great. It's a lot. Well, more... they currently they currently run. They've been running since the release of the M1 on the on the Mac on yes. the iPads or on the uh, MacBooks. The problem is they're running natively to the iPhones. Correct. And so what they're doing is basically trying to make it run native on the hopefully on the MacBooks now. And what that would mean is that you're using an iPhone app right now called Clubhouse, which would be very nice if it ran on your MacBook, would it not? So oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, other changes they're expecting is that iMessage will work much better between all of your devices, your watch, your phone and your desktop. God knows that would be nice if those worked better together. Um, They're also apparently there's a rumor that um, 
many are expecting a food tracking like functionality will become part of the new operating systems, new interface updates people are expecting, including uh, Apple is said to be making some minor tweaks to the colors that are used in dark mode and additional settings. A lot of accessibility updates for people that, um, you know, are challenged with regard to hearing and seeing. And God knows that's me as I'm getting old. I need, I, <laughs> I, I fall into the difficulty seeing category these days. And um, uh, yeah, but that, that's there's also one of two others, by the way, TVOS, because Apple has their Apple TV. So they're expecting TVOS 15 and something totally brand fucking new called Home OS which no one has any idea what it is, but it was included in some code hidden in some that somebody dug up. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see if they do reveal what this home OS is all about. I happen to have a rumor, uh, a thought myself related to a headline we covered here about two weeks ago. And I think Jonathan will remember this because it's in his ballpark professionally. Do you remember the consortium of hardware unification smart home hardware, Jonathan, with the lights and the um, all of the home consumer electronics devices kind of unifying around a connectivity protocol. Do you remember the name of it, Jonathan? Earth to Jonathan. Ground control to Major Jonathan. Ground control to Major Come in, Jonathan. Are you there, Jonathan? Ground control to Major Come, come in, Jonathan. Just let us know you're all right. <laughs> okay, we will. We hope he, when he circles back around the dark side of the moon, we'll try and follow it and see if his signal reconnects. But um, Home OS, there was a headline two weeks ago, and Jonathan jumped in to share his professional insights when we covered this headline that there is a new um, uh, consortium. Uh, to align all of the hardware manufacturers, because today you've got Apple's hardware for the home. You've got Google's hardware for the home and Amazon's hardware for the home. And then everybody, Ikea has got their own hardware for the home. And wouldn't it be nice if all those devices worked together inside of your Apple home app or your Google home app so that you didn't have to choose which, you know, franchise you want to be part of. They should all work together. Well, they're now doing that. And so what I think... Are you sure? Yes, we're sure. We covered the headline. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's 100% positive. Very unapple It is very... Un You're exactly right about that, Dr. Francine. And Well, to be to be fair, Dr. Francine, um, App Apple is a part of this. Uh, they're a part of the alliance. But while all the others are working to create products that are going to work with uh, in accordance with the alliance... Even though Apple's a part of it, they have yet to announce any of their hardware that they're going to be uh, doing with it. So today could be the day that they're actually making that announcement and talking about it. But and one other thing, Tyler, actually, yeah. is that uh, they're, if I don't know if you noticed or not, but iMessage has been in somehow incorporated in everything that they've been advertising about WWDC this year. And I'm starting to wonder because something that, that's been a big, big conversation that apple has always shot down is opening up iMessage to to uh, android yeah to android and i'm very i i don't know if it'll happen but that would be one fucking mindfuck of a of a one one more thing if they decided to announce today 
then iMessage is also going to be available on Android. Son, you Thank dreaming? Jesus Christ, what a mic drop! Oh, I, I'm not dreaming. I wanted to say closed garden. So you, so you mean the uh, the like uh, all the comments that come from your Android friends whenever they like a post doesn't get get triple triple. You know how it. annoying it is when you get those green <laughs> comments and you're just like, oh, God. no. But you know what? There's there's actually one good point of evidence that they might do that, Michael, and I don't think anyone else is aware of it iMessage secretly behind the scenes is trying to get businesses to use iMessage. And if they really want businesses to use iMessage, they need it to be open to Android as well. True. And the, and, and I and so I happen to know I happen to even... know somebody who's working on that product. And so you can't try and go up to all the big Fortune 500 retailers and be like, yeah, we want you to use this Apple interface. The same way that Facebook is doing this too, by the way. They're trying to get all the businesses to use Facebook Messenger as a default communication platform to kind of keep it alive and entrenched, right? And uh, yep. And so Apple is trying to too. And if Apple's going to do that, they got to open it to Android. And I think that might be what gets them to do it. But back to Dr. Francine's point, she's exactly right. Opening the Apple ecosystem to include other hardware is is just a no-go historically for Apple. That's just the antithesis of what they are about fundamentally. However, um, it's, it, it was announced. I mean, it was a public announcement that they've done this consortium and it's going to unify all of the Alexa devices, Google Assistant devices, Apple HomeKit devices, or Siri devices, and, and Ikea. And if, you think, and, and if you think about it, they've done it several times this year already because they did it with the whole, uh, they did it with the Find My. They opened that up to third party. That too. Then they did it with joining this home kit thing. And, and so I'm so just- So check this out. There's two, there's two other really interesting points, which is number one, Apple and this whole antitrust thing. That could be one other reason why they feel like they should open up. Um, and be a little more inclusive of folks. And then the other is on this, there is a battlefront happening between um, Alexa, Google Assistant, and Siri. And all three of those big platforms, it's it's a new platform. It's the future of computing in some capacity uh, of voice-connected devices that are in your bedroom and in your home and in your office and in your car. And you're going to be spending a lot more time talking to your computer than, you know, communicating through your thumbs. Now, Google understands that fundamentally. Apple and Amazon both understand that fundamentally. And they understand it's a race to get their devices into your home and your office and your car and everywhere else. And they know they want to get the price of those devices as cheaply as possible so that they are the ones in your um, around you in, in your environment. So. Google's done a great job of partnering with other hardware manufacturers like LG and Samsung and everybody under the sun to include Google Assistant in those TVs and refrigerators and microwaves and blenders and everything. Apple has done a very bad job at that because, to Dr. Francine's precise point, Apple only does it with their own hardware. So you don't see Siri bundled with other hardware. Uh, Alexa is starting to become part of other um, TVs. Um, and just as Google is, but Google's really done incredibly well at getting Google Assistant into third-party hardware devices. And so I think Apple's starting to realize, ah, shit, here we go again with Windows versus Apple, where Windows made Windows 95 work on every computer. Uh, Apple's operating system only worked on Apple uh, uh, computers, and that's why Windows dominated 
the desktop uh, battle back in the 90s. And they don't they can't risk that happening again with the voice assistants. They so I think it's in everybody's interest that we kind of equalize the playing field, uh, let everyone use whatever hardware they want. And, it, you know, and then you can add in whatever voice you want. And I think Apple uh, would uh, be willing to participate in that kind of way. To, and by the way, there's one other really interesting evidential point to bring up in this case, which was 48 hours ago, nobody covered this. We didn't even cover it here because it's not that big of a headline, but it's important in this context. All of the browsers, Chrome, Siri, Firefox, and et cetera, all united to accept each other's extensions. And current, previously, um, Safari's extensions were totally incompatible with Chrome's extensions. And you have developers writing little extension apps for Chrome, and you have other developers writing little extension apps for Safari. But it turns out a lot more people are interested in writing extension apps for Chrome because Chrome has a much bigger market share than Safari. So now, again, Apple was incentivized to say, okay, guys, let's come together and not make the developers choose which browser they're going to write their extensions for. Let's become unified. They only have to write their extension once. It works across all browsers, bada boom, bada bing. Apple actually wins out of that because now people who love Safari won't abandon Safari and go to Chrome just for those extensions. That You could see how the same concept and philosophy would apply to the voice assistant game where uh, I really love Apple products, but my gosh, Google Home works you know, the Google Assistant works with my TV and my refrigerator and my smart toilet and all of these other devices. And Apple Siri only works with my uh, the HomePod mini or whatever. You see what I'm saying? Or the Apple TV. So it's um, it'll be interesting to see. And all of these points that we're talking about will be we will get God's truth on this. And by God, we mean Steve Jobs being channeled through um, Tim Cook when he takes the stage in a very Do uh, Dalai Lama like fashion. Uh, in about uh, a couple hours. So uh, in the meantime, we're just going to... Tyler, can I give a little color to this? Go I, for it. Uh, I work in this space. Yeah, go um, we're, a, we're an Apple MFI manufacturer. That's the Apple made for iPhone program. Uh -huh. The challenge is they've created that ecosystem for manufacturers and developers that's actually fractured too. There's two levels of, of, of licenses. There's a developer and there's a manufacturer. And essentially that whole system is predicated on Apple's supplier code of conduct they just want to make sure that anyone who puts the iOS logo on a product follows the supplier code of conduct. You know, no, no uh, blood minerals, no uh, child labor, uh, Rojas, all that stuff. So it seems like policy is kind of shoehorning their growth here. Um, I'm done. I'm Chris and I'm out, y'all. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that, Chris. Um, there is a whole bunch of headlines to get into before the Apple WWDC keynote kicks off and, and also the Apple Music. By the way, we didn't even really do the deep dive on the Apple Music event about spatial audio, which is a very new important addition to Apple's uh, uh, audio suite. It should be combined with their laptops, their phones. It'll be part of the entire Apple ecosystem. We'll now introduce what they call spatial audio and lossless audio, which you can think of as HD audio. I'm a little surprised they don't call it HD audio just for the sake of simplicity of helping people understand what that's all about. But lossless audio does have a very technical meaning. And, um, and it is, as usual, Apple is going to be the front runner in re increasing the quality 
on that kind of a front because they've got the hardware and the price tags to go with it and Apple users want it. And um, we're going to learn all about lossless audio when they kick that off. And spatial audio is also going to be a big part of that. And of course, their big headphones uh, play into that. And all of their upcoming earphones uh, in the future will no doubt need to be compatible with that. By the way, their new, all of their new operating systems, all of their new future hardware will all need to be compatible with it. So it's going to be um, very interesting to see how they position that as their new Trojan horse just as they do with their Apple Watches, which Apple Watch has been incredibly genius in being, we're functioning as a Trojan horse to get um, non-Apple users into the Apple ecosystem, just as the iPod did that and the iPhone did that. And that's how Apple continues to gain market shares through the Trojan horse system of their accessories. And now this uh, lossless audio and their new earphones, lossless audio earphones will certainly play into that as well. So speaking of Apple, there's a totally different headline that they will no doubt not be talking about at this event, which is being reported by The Telegraph and all of the tech blogs. Apple has now paid to settle a woman's claims that after sending her iPhone to Apple for repair, the technicians uploaded her nude photos to her Facebook account. So I will uh, retweet this from the Tech News Twitter account, which is very conveniently the first letter of tech news around the world, T-N-A-T-W. And you will see this tweet of this story from The Telegraph, which I will just glance over for you. Apple pays millions to women after explicit photos are posted online. Technicians posted the private photos and videos from her iPhone after she sent it to Apple for repair. According to legal documents, Apple has now paid millions of dollars to a student after after iPhone repair technicians posted explicit photos and videos from her phone to her Facebook account, uh, legal documents have revealed. So you can uh, see that article and, and do your own deep dive dig on that. Uh, no doubt we can all bet, uh, you can bet everything you have. They're not going to mention that story in their um, event coming up in a few hours. But they are going to talk about privacy and how seriously they take privacy, ironically. And by the way, uh, there is a drinking game. You can go ahead and do a shot of your favorite drink whenever somebody does say privacy during the Apple event. Uh, although be careful. Are you trying to kill your community? Tyler? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's going to be the keyword of the day is going to be privacy because it's, that's also one of Apple's key differentiators they feel is how they address privacy versus their competitors. And um, mark my words, that, that let's count how many times they mention privacy and how they are, that's their, but by the way, it's a very critical point in, in tech in 2021 between all of the hardware manufacturers and all of these hacking issues that are going on and everything else. And privacy is of a particular concern in, um, in Nigeria at the moment with Twitter being banned and people using Twitter through VPNs are now being sought after uh, to be arrested and prosecuted. So um, hopefully people using iPhones can, uh, are safe according to Apple. Uh, let's hope that the privacy uh, claims hold up for people who uh, are risking uh, being apprehended and prosecuted in, in Ni Nigeria today. Uh, by using Twitter through a VPN. So there's a new headline that somebody just sent me through the DMs. I believe it was Farai who joins us from Justin's room. Uh, and by the way, we all just came from Justin's room uh, 
37 minutes ago, where he and Jeff and others host one of the best rooms in all the clubhouse, certainly the best political room, and perhaps my very favorite room that I like to hang out when we're not doing tech news, actually. So, uh, and not just me, most of the people on this stage hang out there. And it's because they do for political news what we do for tech news. And they get really smart political minds on stage talking about what's going on all over the goddamn planet each day, just as we talk about what's going on from a tech perspective. And this is one of those issues where, that dances between both rooms, actually, this uh, Nigeria Twitter issue, because it's all about rights, freedom of speech in a country, in a, in a democratic country uh, that banned Twitter and why they banned Twitter and what's going to happen next. So Farai, who uh, often shares incredible insights about what's happening on the continent of Africa in Justin's room, sent me this article that um, from News Ghana. And News Ghana is reporting that uh, a foremost media rights group in Africa known as the Media Rights Protectors has thrown its full weight behind the decision of the Nigerian government to ban the activities of Twitter in the country. In a statement released to newsmen by the group's director of African affairs, the Ethiopian uh, in, from within the Ethiopian capital on Friday night, the group said Twitter has deviated from promoting free speech deepening democracy and encouraging balance and objective journalism by dabbling in Africa's domestic affairs by promoting regime change across the continent. And that's a very strong statement, my friends. And what they are referring to is the fact that Twitter, there's a beef going on in Nigeria uh, on, on, you know, there's, there's the current government and then you have kind of the, the forces, you know, that are pushing against them, so to speak, for lack of a better term, Justin might know the, the legal nomenclature I'm searching for here, but What's happened is, is one side has been silenced. Their tweets got removed, which happens to be the president's side. And so the, um, as a result of one side being silenced, that's essentially meddling in their political affairs. Are that's, you looking for censored? Well, yeah, they're censoring one side of this um, political friction, right? And if you're going to, that's very dangerous politically. If you're going to step in and start censoring one side or the other, and a set from Twitter's perspective, I'm sure if we asked them, they would say, well, we're only censoring whatever side is promoting violence because the tweet that they removed, they're going to claim, well, we, we removed that tweet because it violated our terms of service because it promoted violence. We don't really care which side it came from. But internally, Nigeria is thinking, no, no, you silenced our side and not our opponent's side. And both of our sides are promoting violence at the moment, perhaps. And so now that you've meddled in our internal domestic political affairs, um, that's why you're getting statements like this from the Media Rights Protections Group saying that, again, Twitter has deviated from promoting free speech deepening democracy and encouraging balanced and objective journalism by dabbling into Africa's domestic affairs by promoting regime change across the continent because they silenced, in this case, a tweet from the regime who, that's in power. And by, by removing that tweet, you have essentially, you're, according to them, promoting a regime change because you're silencing the regime and you're not silencing the challenging political force, for lack of a better word. So this, they get themselves into incredibly hot water politically by dabbling and silencing. And, and you know, yeah, it's a very complex issue. Uh, Justin? Or if Farai's on stage, maybe he can help fill in some blanks here. 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, Fry, if you're in, on stage here, jump in. Oh, I see um, him in the audience. Okay, yeah. So, I think that, um, specifically with Nigeria, again, this is from from what we're just hearing from people on the ground, and I'm kind of parroting that. But I think that it fits into really a larger paradigm of ultimately how governments are going to view uh, Twitter. And, and, and it fits back to the United States with not only Twitter, but social media as a whole, right? It fits back into the United States with Section 230. It fits back into what India is going over and going through with uh, Twitter as well. And the fundamental question, which I think is really, really important, uh, the specifics matter, right? Like Tyler said, Twitter is uh, upholding their terms of services. And in these instances, it's not only necessarily uh, racism. It is things that could lead to, in Nigeria, for example, people argue the president made a tweet. Sorry, I got a call there. The president made a tweet that referenced potential genocide. That's a big problem when there's sectarian violence going on in the country. And they're, they're using this platform to potentially virtue signal or signal to supporters that uh, this type of uh, approach may be condoned because that can stoke violence and, and Twitter doesn't want that. In India, it's uh, issues with um, COVID-19 misinformation, which it, many people believe could lead to death. So I think, again, uh, I don't really have a, a, a strong point of view except to say that it really fits into a larger debate, which I'm sure many people in tech news around the world uh, feel strongly about whether or not these private companies should be allowed to do this. From my perspective, and based on my Western perspective, specifically the United States government perspective, I think that they should be allowed to do this because this is their terms of services. I think that constitutionally, from a government, from a legal standpoint, um, the way our laws are set up, the way these tech companies are designated currently, uh, the government has no ability to step in. Now, from a critical standpoint, I would just hope that um, as terms of services are created by these companies, again, folks, it's always going to be an evolving process, right? They will create terms of services and they will update them. However, I hope, and this is hard, I hope that we don't see companies do what Facebook has done, which is ultimately create arbitrary term, create terms of service, you can argue arbitrarily, and then determine whether or not to enforce these terms of services based on public perception. I hope that these companies will create terms of services and follow through with those terms of services, regardless of public perception, and until they review their terms of services and update them for reasons outside of necessarily public criticism. So that's my kind of view, Tyler. I think the government should stay out of it. I think that uh, Twitter and these companies should be consistent uh, unless they make legitimate updates to their terms of services. Farai. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Tyler. And I, I do to a degree agree with uh, Justin. I was just uh, talking to uh, one of the producers at uh, Arise News, which is one of the biggest uh, news distributors in uh, in uh, broadcasting uh, stations in Nigeria. I happen to contribute on there, uh, you know, once a week at times. And uh, and I was asking what his thoughts were, and I'll read to you what he said. He said it's a mixed reaction. Some some say the IPOB. So IPOB is the indigenous people of Biafra. 
And if you know what, what the uh, president was talking about was the Biafra civil war. Okay. So he was talking about that particular group. So saying they tend to tweet vicious tweets and Twitter does nothing about it. But on the flip side, the others say that the tweets left much to be desired as it was unpresidential. Okay. So there's, there's two sides here, but equally it's not, it's, it, it, to, to, put, uh, to, to put a pin on that, it's not really the only issue here. You have the Tsar's issue, the uh, uh, the campaign that was uh, that, that was uh, looking at the uh, the anti-Tsar's campaign and equally funding from Twitter, which uh, at times these uh, African governments will look at this as Western hegemony, simply extending itself to d- domestic policies, and there is a colonial history as well. So. I think private companies should be equally conscious of that because that history is not very far, you know, uh, it's not a distant history. It's, it's, quite, it's quite contemporary to many, to many states. And it can be used as a political tool to further that narrative. So, so there should be some sense of adaptability looking at the local domestic value systems thereof so that there's a balance. So I think if you, if you act without internal cultural uh, understanding and merely just acting on the, on the public perception rather than having a discussion with government itself, at times could be problematic. So I think you can see from both sides of the argument, I think. Thank you for that, Faraz. Um, and your, your voice here is a welcome, um, you, very beneficial addition yeah. to everybody here in Clubhouse. Uh, in Justin. Uh, Tyler, can I have a question? Yeah, go, Mabwana, okay. please, my friend, go. Yeah, so I've been watching uh, this from afar. I'm not, not in Nigeria, but I'm very fond of Nigerians. I was laughing today. There was someone who, who tweeted... I'm outsourcing all my tweets to my American um, <laughs> remote <laughs> team. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, so the Nigerians are really hilarious. I love them. I'm going to continue backing them. I want to bring up the question of investability, right? So I think, Tyler, you mentioned in the morning session, uh, at least for me, my morning session, about this might damage uh, Nigeria's prospects as being an investment hub. I know this is tech room, but you know, what, do you, what do you think of that point? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the case like exit with from Stripe, and uh, I'm curious, Farai, if you think that this is going to damage uh, the investment inflows for an investment inflow into the tech startup scene, just because of like, oh, great, you know, now we're seeing more government regulation of uh, of, of tech in general, right? You know, particularly adding the cryptocurrency, the uh, 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 you know, the situations, you know, the ride sharing, all that, you know, is this just another string of uh, of um, of bans for in, in, uh, against tech in general? I think it's a good question. I think it speaks to, you know, perception. Of course, uh, one thing we know about uh, investments, uh, capital is a, is a coward, right, uh, when it comes to uh, fragility. But Nigeria has one particular huge advantage. It's the biggest economy in Africa. You're not going to be investing in Africa without concluding Nigeria. They have a sizable population. It's a good market. It's a good market space. Very healthy ecosystem when it comes to tech investment itself. I don't think the suspension of Twitter will speak to long-term decline of tech investment. I, I, I mean, Facebook hasn't been banned. Other social media platforms have not been banned. In fact, if anything, it may encourage a different alternative to Twitter, which may enhance domestic investment. And also maybe a final point to make is that Nigeria equally has a domestic base of investors itself. It's, uh, so uh, I don't see that. I, I think perceptively, yes, but I do not see that in the long term being something that may be a deterrence. And then, and then just from the private sector uh, standpoint, foreign direct investment in companies, um, you know, having been uh, my first job out of school was working for the largest U.S. agricultural investor in the continent of Africa. They have operations in countries like Nigeria. 
ultimately, uh, from my perspective, from my experience, obviously this is not good because it points to um, not only potential stability issues with with people uh, on the ground, different factions, sectarian violence, maybe, um, and a whole host of other issues that could negatively impact commerce, uh, not only economic development, but potential infrastructure development. However, that being said, uh, and, and, and to put a really fine point on that, what companies are concerned about, um, maybe not necessarily in the startup environment, however, uh, more so in the uh, infrastructure and, and hard development of uh, certain sectors, like I'm thinking agriculture, for example, energy, um, things that are very, very vital to developing a robust startup uh, community because you need these things to be able to create stuff and, and just employ people. What is the concern here from large multinational corporations, from large financial institutions like the World Bank, is ultimately uh, government beginning to nationalize certain sectors, certain products, certain properties. And, and this is potentially tipping a, your hand towards uh, a concern for that because you have uh, seemingly a unilateral decision being made by uh, a leader that uh, many in the West would believe is overstepping um, what is within good taste. However, that being said, uh, it's really hard to draw any blanket conclusions from an action like this because, for example, the company that I worked for, which was Fortune 400 at the time in the U.S., uh, basically we would do risk assessments on the ground in these countries, but also those risk assessments would be tempered by the uh, relationship that we had with the nation, uh, with the leader specifically, and also the what we believed as the influence that the United States had through foreign aid, through soft power, through direct engagement at the State Department level. And that's really a way of saying that even if uh, a leader of, uh, let's say, I, I don't want to name any countries, even if a leader on a, a, in the African continent in a nation that was going and nationalizing other sectors, other companies, products, that wouldn't necessarily stop us from investing or slow our production down because each multinational corporation within reason believes that they have different levers that they can pull to prevent that from happening to them. So that is to say, uh, I don't know if this would muddy uh, direct investment in startups or any other uh, different uh, company in a different sector, but I think it does throw up a warning sign. Okay, I want to change uh, gears for a second um, and go into the hydrogen topic because this has been uh, in a lot of headlines lately and we happen to be, Faraz, our friend here on stage, invited in uh, a friend of his named Tim, who, as I understand it, Tim, you work in in the hydrogen space. And, and we want to take advantage of your deep domain expertise on the issue, because it seems we've been, you know, in these headlines that we've been reading, Toyota just announced, you know, they're going f big into hydrogen uh, cars. Uh, and then today we saw a headline. Oh, about sorry, he, he, Tim he, may he have gone a while ago. No, no, I, I'm, I'm still here. I'm, I, I've, I've got another call at, uh, at four here. So I'll, ah, do, okay. I'll, do, I'll do what All I can right. for the next yeah. seven minutes. And I'm just wondering, we saw a headline about a hydrogen airplane, and it really seems like we're at a tipping point with the adoption of hydrogen. Is that What does it look like from your perspective? 
Well, well, I'll tell you what, it looks a lot better, better than it did when I was running around San Francisco 20 years ago and people were talking about hydrogen-powered uh, Mac laptops at the time. <laughs> and it's, looking a lot, uh, it's looking a lot more realistic. I think uh, we're probably into hydrogen 3 or 4.0 now. And it's one of these things where, you know, hype has come and, and, and gone and nothing's ever been uh, realized. But what we found over the last couple of years since I got back into looking at it seriously is that uh, it's probably the only time in technology where I've been involved in a business where instead of everything moving off to the right on the spreadsheet and, and in the market sort of still always being a few years in the future, every announcement we see at the moment seems to indicate that it's going to be bigger and it's coming faster than everybody thought. So it, it's a fascinating space to be in. Indeed, seems that I'm, way. I'm, I'm, I'm hyper bullish on hydrogen. I'm so happy this is happening, you know, 25 years. In college, I was like, this is the ultimate fuel, everybody. You know, like, we just got to figure out how to... So transport it safely. What's been the hurdle uh, or friction historically? It's, it's the safe. It's the safe transport. It's it's super light, but it's super volatile. In air, it'll just light. It'll just explode. You know, the Hindenburg blew up. Mm -hmm. Tiny spark. Uh, and that no, 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 no you're, you're wrong on that. It, it, it was it was the covering on the Hindenburg that uh, that burns, not the hydrogen. Yeah, well, if the, if you burn fuel, hydrogen, right? it just kind of goes poof. Yeah, it's the, so, the, the, uh, it was a skin that was the fuel that. that yeah, was, that's yeah. right. But Tim, but, what, but then, what, what, uh, the, the, the big issue with hydrogen is just you're, you're right. It's transporting it because um, it's it's very hard to compress. So even on you know a 44 ton truck, you can probably only manage to get about a ton of hydrogen on there, and the rest is the uh, the high pressure cylinders you need to uh, to contain the stuff at sort of 400 500 bar. Yeah, Tim, what what has been the main friction historically in getting hydrogen to where it is now at this tipping point, and what will be the potential frictions or barriers looking forward? Well, I think a lot of it has just been that there hasn't been any reason to do it. I mean, you know, oil, gas has been been cheap, ah. shale gas, things like that, uh, and now what we're getting is we're getting this sort of perfect storm of. You know, the, the move to net zero, we're getting uh, ESG investing and a lot of sort of cash going into that. Uh, we're getting this, all the, these global decarbonization strategies. We're seeing China shifting everything from EVs into fuel cells now. So, so suddenly you're getting all this momentum building and then, uh, you know, hundreds of billions of euros being announced by Brussels uh, seemingly, you know, every week going into to R&D. So, so what happens is you get to a certain point where you have this perfect storm and it kind of becomes unstoppable. Uh, unlike, you know, 20, 20 years ago and 10 years ago where it started up and then just fizzled out. But now there's enough people doing it. You know, Daimler, um, a lot of the major truck manufacturers are, uh, are putting some hydrogen fuel cell trucks together and they'll be coming onto the market in the next couple of years. And, uh, and, and of course, you know, my company's building out the refueling infrastructure because if you don't do that, otherwise it's like the early days of EVs where you can have an EV, but you can't go very far because uh, you, you won't be able to get it. You won't get any energy for it. Could you give a prediction? And then, Tyler. And then uh, I, I'd love to hear a prediction that you have for kind of looking forward with hydrogen, maybe something that isn't obvious to, to those of us that don't have the domain expertise that you have. And then maybe even 
a, a hope or a dream or a wish for your own personal hopes when you look uh, look forward with with regard to hydrogen? Yeah, well, I, I think what we'll see a couple of things is is hydrogen is going to be more sort of B two B play um, than than a B two C play. So on you know for for vehicles, it makes sense for the heavier vehicles, three four tons and upwards, going long distances. Below that, I think you know batteries and EVs will be absolutely fine. But uh, where we're going to see a huge amount of uh, pressure to produce green hydrogen is going to be in areas like the steel industry that that, that would allow you to, to almost totally decarbonize it and what about airplanes uh i i, I think the jury's still out on that one is it i i, I, I my, my my personal feeling is that sort of some of the work that's being done with synthetic fuels so you know, non-fossil, non. How do you pronounce it? Non, non-renewable fuels um, is, is is probably going to provide a bit of stiff competition. There. Is the is it crazy to think that the Hindenburg still is a phantom to the progress of hydrogen? It, like sub, like on the social conscious level or something? Yeah, we we spend a lot of time on uh, you know safety related things, but uh, to be honest, hydrogen is is probably a lot safer than than fuels like gasoline, right. where it just sits I, in a big pool burning. It, but but I mean, the, the, there is that. It, 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 it's a question that does come up almost in every interview. What about the right? But growth? similar to how it seems, nuclear is now hampered by you know Fukushima and uh, Chernobyl. Right. And of course, there's been tremendous progress made in, you know, with regard to safety developments. And it's no longer those things are no longer really a concern in the same way. And I, I imagine that uh, uh, progress, has, similar progress has been made with regard to safety of hydrogen. And yet these uh, world shaking events seem to linger like these phantoms. Uh, is that, that maybe that's the case with hydrogen as well? It's, it's it's a little bit different in the UK because we used to have a hydrogen gas network. All the uh, the original uh, gas network was based on what we used to call town gas, which is made from coal, and that was a mixture of about forty percent hydrogen and a load of carbon monoxide and various other things. So, uh, so, so I, I guess there's less resistance here in that people are used to having you know, things like gas in their homes on tap. Mm-hmm. Tim, am I am I correct in thinking around hydrogen? I looked at it way back when I was at Vantage Point. Um, uh, that the U.S. has to take it on, right? If it's going to work, it doesn't matter. UK small, it's not really. It, it it's got to be. It's got to take off with consumers. We got to make accessible, like you're doing with your charging network, I guess, um, with the U.S. consumer. That's critical, or maybe even China, but but definitely the U.S. Am yeah, I, I, I think a lot of this is going to be. I think a lot of this is getting driven by China now, and and the Chinese government has seen the same opportunity as they had with uh, with EVs to uh, produce a lot of the critical components. You know, and, and it's, in this case, you know, because every fuel cell vehicle requires a battery, so uh, so China is is ramping up to be very good and very strong. Uh, producing the the core components that you will need for the hydrogen economy. And and what would what is your biggest concern or worry uh, looking forward? Is there something that concerns you about what something that could can you know uh, hinder it going forward? 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of it just comes down to the cost of energy to, to produce hydrogen, uh, especially if you're using electrolyzers. So you can produce it using, uh, you know, private wires from captive wind. And, and, and basically you're using the, the, the curtailed energy. So the wind carries on blowing at night and the turbines uh, carry on producing power even though nobody needs it. So, uh, so, so I think that's, that's where you bring the, the cost down. But, uh, but I, I think the, the, the biggest fear is just going to be uh, supply and demand that uh, as people start jumping onto hydrogen, they find that uh, the, uh, the supply is lagging the demand somewhat. Gotcha. Well, I... well, call me old fashioned, but I like to see a return to airships. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, guys, I, I've got to jump off <laughs> Thank onto you, another Tim. call now. But, uh, but good, to, good to speak yeah. to you. And we'll see you thank soon. you for joining us. And, yeah. and thank you for us for bringing in Tim there. Um, and that's a new thing that we'll start to do more of, uh, of bringing in, um, geeks with deep domain expertise. Um, and in fact, my buddy, Jason Calacanis might stop by in, in the next hour or two to talk about calm.com who is in the headlines, but I will save that headline, um, for Jason because he's one of the angel investors in calm.com. But, um, there's other really interesting headlines about other very interesting startups and one that our friend Cal here on stage just shared. And I just retweeted from the Tech News Twitter account, which is very simply T-N-A-T-W, short for Tech News Around the World. And the headline coming from CNBC is that uh, Palantir is related to Palantir, the, the very data intensive company. Um, there's now a campaign launching to try to force Palantir out of Britain's NHS, National Health Service. The No Palantir in Our NHS campaign comes after Palantir partnered with the NHS on COVID-19 data store. Palantir sells software that is designed to help public and private organizations analyze, analyze huge quantities of data and pull out meaningful patterns and connections. It was founded in 2003 by tech entrepreneurs, including billionaire Peter Thiel, a Facebook board member who reportedly donated $1.25 million to Donald Trump's presidential campaign and, in fact, was selected by Donald Trump to join his kind of tech advisory committee and, in fact, kind of chair his tech advisory committee. And he brought in his friend Elon Musk and Tim Cook and others who all eventually bailed on that project. And then uh, Peter Thiel himself kind of bailed on Donald Trump in the following election. But... Um, Nonetheless, the headline is that uh, there's now a campaign to try and force Palantir out of Britain's NHS. And, it, and it's an interesting headline because, as the article said, Palantir does uh, provide um, private and public organizations, you know, the ability to analyze huge quantities of data and pull out meaningful patterns and connections. That's what Palantir does. And when you have COVID data, governments are not equipped at all to be able to process all of that data and Palantir specializes in this to be able to make decisions out of very confusing, huge sets of data. And Palantir was essentially providing a service to the NHS. The problem is that the NHS didn't notify people that they were handing over a lot of this data to a private company, namely Palantir. And that got the NHS in a lot of trouble about two months ago when that headline broke. You remember that, Cal? It's, uh, it's related yeah, to the Accenture issue. Yeah. Right. But the, the issue is, is that, I mean, Palantir is just like, hey, we're here to help. We know how to analyze data. You got some data. We'll analyze it and we'll tell you how to make sense of it. The problem is governments are relying on Palantir a lot because what they do is incredibly valuable. 
but these governments are doing a very bad job of getting permission from the users to share that data with Palantir. And then journalists find out about it and they blow the whistle and it makes Palantir look very bad for doing something. They didn't do anything wrong. They're just telling the government, we're happy to help. If you got some data you want to process, we can do that for you. And um, it makes the NHS look bad. It makes Palantir look bad. And um, and it's what the type of stories that journalists love to cover <laughs> because it looks like, you know, big corruption scandals within the government that they're leaking data to, you know, private companies and et cetera, et cetera. When, it, I mean, it is what it is. And now that there's a big campaign uh, to try and force Palantir out of Britain's NHS. So Nick, Nick Nick's just joined us. Nick, Nick Moneypenny. Okay. Miss Moneypenny. Did you have a perspective? Hi. I know you follow Welcome back. Things. Hi. Thank you. Gosh, this is an amazing program. I just have to say, guys, it's bloody Thanks. brilliant. <laughs> bloody brilliant, as the Brits yeah. say. <laughs> um, NHS, you know, on the television in front of me at the moment, live in the UK, time is 16.06. We've got Matt Hancock, as you probably know, is our very close to failure and being kicked out health secretary, um, announcing more figures about the spread of the Delta variant previously found in India. Um, and the whole of our healthcare system seems to be under attack. We've had, I live next to the um, cyber centre, the uh, centre in Cheltenham next to the government's communication headquarters that are in charge of protecting the NHS against hacking. Right. You may recall in 2017, we had a massive hack taking down 69 local authorities, uh, literally black screen type stuff. Um, and at the moment, we have just, well, we've just been told that there has been an assault of hacking um, uh, attempts recently, very recently, and a lot of these are related to the fact that this data swap or this data grab, as it is being called in the press, uh, as per the tweets that I've shared with you, um, people are very, very concerned, to put it uh, mildly, because bringing together data has never been the forte of A, British corporates, and B, certainly not the National Health Service. So this is quite concerning, um, as is our health system generally. Um, been trying to bring together a lot of really old technology and bring it up to date. It looks messy. Yeah. On this issue of this new campaign launched to try and force Palantir out of Britain's NHS, I just realized something in this article, which I just retweeted from the Tech News Twitter account. Um, and you can click on it and read this yourself. And here's what I just noticed, that um, this campaign was launched... Uh, uh, just at the end of last week, comes it says the project was designed to help the government um, and health service use data to monitor and spread virus. Foxglove, this is what caught my eye. Does anyone remember this name, Foxglove? Foxglove, which describes itself as a tech justice nonprofit, is leading the campaign. You remember this, Cal? Anyone on stage remember this name? It was yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Four yeah. young ladies who consider themselves tech justice um, activists. And it is four young ladies who are doing what they call tech justice. And they feel they are fighting for causes. Um, and they are the ones launching this campaign. And clearly they have friends who are journalists at um, uh, CNBC, notably, because that's who's covering this story. And Foxglove... It says, we got dozens of organizations to realize and agree that this company has no place in the NHS in the long term. Corey Kreider, the lawyer who co-founded Foxglove, told CNBC on Wednesday. And 
it's a really interesting development. Foxglove is actually really interesting. The Palantir's relationship with NHS is not really interesting at all. It's that they're just a, a, a service provider, and NHS should have been a little more careful in disclosing, you know, how they're using the data they collect and how they're letting a private company like Palantir process it for them on their behalf. But nonetheless, and that did get into the headlines, and that has led um, Foxglove has some sort of axe to grind with Palantir, which uh, they're, I, I can't see precisely what their grind, uh, what their beef is with Palantir in this article. Um, but this small group of four uh, feisty young ladies is leading this campaign to um, against Palantir. And this will, by the way, is not their first campaign. And I can assure you it will not be their last. And it will be very interesting to see what their future campaigns are because they get attention when they do start these campaigns. They clearly know how to get journalists to write about their campaigns. Uh, so uh, let's let's earmark this one and um, set a Google. If I could yeah. just yeah, add. Go ahead, but I just want to encourage people to make, make a Google alerts uh, setting in your email for the word foxglove, because when their name appears in the press again, it will be very interesting to see what their future campaigns look like. Yes, go ahead. So one of the issues with the NHS is their transparency. Right. Um, the big awards uh, to corporates, yeah. which uh, we've had 1.8 billion pound paid to a Chinese company to provide all of the home testing kits which were promised by our government so that every individual in the UK would have a home testing kit. And a Chinese company was given the £1.8 billion award to do that. And all the other awards, a lot of them are Hong Kong and or China, are all publicly available on the gov.uk website. Everybody can see the awards that are made at the time and day that they are made. And this level of transparency uh, is causing pandemonium, as you can see, when we've got a government saying our own economic uh, future is, is a sad one and that our own companies are struggling for overseas business. Um, it's becoming really tortuous. <laughs> news broke just broken by the fda do you remember i just tweeted a day ago or something about alzheimer's disease and the biogen therapeutic it's been approved so that's uh, not only important from uh, the evidence for it being working is not that great to be honest in the literature Uh, but the fact that it's been approved it's it probably also reflects what's happened with COVID and how future regulatory things will move. So I think that's, uh, I thought I'd share that with you. I've just tweeted it. Okay, I'll, I'll retweet that out. I just found the the key paragraph in this article about Foxglove and their campaign about getting Palantir out of the NHS. And here it is. Here's the quote from one of the co-founders, Ms. Kreider. She says, the British public need to realize that we are now coming into a period where the future of the NHS health data and the health data settlement of this country is now kind of up for grabs and up for debate. Companies have seen it for a while. Palantir don't want to monetize the data. They want to monetize the infrastructure. But there are other companies who absolutely do want to monetize access to the data. And for that, they are very correct. And that's why we've been talking about Amazon and Google's big entry into health. And their interest is about health data because they are data companies. And if you joined us seven hours ago, I did a whole rant about this, how 
Amazon's a data company, Google's a data company, Facebook, Spotify, all these companies are data companies. And now they're starting to move, well, notably Amazon and Google have announced they're getting into health and their ability and mastery at, at managing data is going to give them a very unfair advantage with the traditional health uh, providers. For, and so this, this is her point, is that the British public need to realize that we are now coming into a period where the future of health data in our country is up for grabs. And that is really, they have a good point there, which is we need to be very uh, concerned about health data and who gets access to it. And if she's worried about Palantir, she should, Palantir is not interested in becoming a health company, uh, but Google and Amazon are. And so um, <laughs> we, we might see an American version of Fox Love in the not so distant future. Can I comment Please on this just a little bit? So the thing with uh, Amazon Web Services and the likes, right? So Amazon Web Services controls around 70% of the data available on the NHS in curation format that can be put on the cloud. Regardless of whether it's any cloud agency running it, whether it's through a private cloud or whatnot, when it goes in the end on the cloud, Amazon Web Services controls that service. The issue that Amazon Web Services or certain agencies of certain countries would have with the NHS is that they cannot legally extract it because the Cloud Act is not applicable to the United Kingdom. Regardless of the Cloud Act specifically stating that if a technology company has its headquarters in the United States, if the data is kept on a data server outside of the country, even on foreign soil, if an agency in the United States demands it, it has to be made available to them. This is not applicable to the United Kingdom as the United Kingdom is the United States number one ally. Hence, if it were to be demanded by certain states, and I'm just saying certain states, they would have to send in various other agencies. And that's all, all I'll say there. I'll let you read between the lines. And I'm sure there's everyone else who can read between the lines there as well. I'll stop. Thank you. Tyler, I have a very, very short question. The yep. thing is that I have something called the Apple bubble in, on Facebook, and there are a couple of hundred uh, Apple geeks in, in Sweden. Uh, I, I want to invite them to our channel. How do I get out a mass invite for a channel? How do to I this do room? I'm yes. just tweeting the link to this room from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW on Twitter. And if they need an invite to Clubhouse, is that what they need? Yeah, probably. I thought it was possible to join uh, when you had the rooms and gave them the number. Yeah, I'm, they could join right I'm, off. But I'm going to send also the link so they can join Clubhouse. Uh, also, I will tweet that right now from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account at TNATW. And if they click this link, then they can automatically join Clubhouse. It's an invite because I have 999 invites, and so they can... So they automatically uh, come into the Tech Correct. News Club. club. Uh, yeah. It's uh, a club yeah. invite. Right. Ah, brilliant. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Yes. That is all I wanted. Okay. Do I get a bonus if I bring 100 people? <laughs> yes, you get... You, you have to pay for every invite, Johan. Yeah, we, we will send you... <laughs> one, one Bitcoin, yes, you... Yeah. Yes, yes. May, may... The low, low price of one maybe Bitcoin. Maybe a Dogecoin. Um, 
I've been saving my whole life to get a Dogecoin. So there's uh, a ton, a ton, a ton of headlines to jump through here. Uh, One that I just retweeted from the Tech News Twitter account that Cal sent in. Flipkart, which is one of the biggest uh, new uh, tech companies in India, uh, just received... It, well, they're in talks, it, it says, uh, but usually when these headlines break, it's already the deal's already done. Flipkart is said to be in talks to raise $3 billion from SoftBank in Japan, our friend Masayoshi-san, who is one of the biggest uh, tech investors in the world, obviously, when he's investing $3 billion into a startup. Most funds only, a big tech fund raises $1 billion to spend over many years. Masayoshi's son doesn't play like that. He's investing $3 billion into one startup. Just to give you an idea of the scale at which SoftBank is playing, it's truly unbelievable. Um, we covered the Palantir story, the the GC. Again, again, it's India, right? It's getting getting into India with multiple investments, oh, huge. right? Yeah, Masayoshi's uh, out. For SoftBank and also for... Um, yeah, yeah when... Yeah, the fact that Masa's betting big on uh, Flipkart means he's betting big on India, and the smartest bet in India for him is Flipkart, because he has actually a a unique challenge of figuring out, where can I deploy $3 billion rather expeditiously? (laughs) Vision fund. Yeah, well, no, his vision fund is, you know, $100 billion. How do you spend, if you want to bet on India, and you want to bet $3 billion on India, which he does, you have to think strategically, how can I spend $3 billion on Indian tech? Well, if you try and do it in small startups, it would take you a year to spend $3 billion. So he's found Flipkart where he can, it's a vehicle which he feels is a safe uh, way to invest $3 billion. He's really betting on India, I believe. And Flipkart is a safe way where if you were going to bet $3 billion all at once, rather than giving 3 billion startups all $1 each, that would really take forever. So it's just an efficient way to invest 3 billion into the Indian tech ecosystem. I think, as usual, he will come out on the right side of that that trade. Um, another big article out of The Guardian, just breaking now, is that the, you remember in the past 48 hours, there was a huge tech announcement, a huge political announcement on a global level that the G7, the world's seven biggest economies, which include Japan, the UK, uh, the US, etc., um, all got together, and as part of their meeting, uh, they made a decision about the big tech companies. And their decision was they want to tax them, and they need to all tax them based on the activities they do in their country, which would kind of close up one of the loopholes where these companies are basing themselves in Liechtenstein and Luxembourg and these kind of tax havens and stuff. So there's a new headline. That says this this new global G7 deal may actually let Amazon off the hook on tax. Well, what do you know, Joe? Amazon figured out already how to get a, get around. It's only been 48 hours. You guys made up this whole new thing. But, but it is it is the Amazon hating journalists right, from Guardian that we've, we've spotted. Aren't before. they all, though, Cal? Is there an Amazon loving journalist? No, that's true. <laughs> no, that's yeah, true. And that's part of the game. But uh, so exclusive, the Guardian is calling this, this very exclusive news we're now sharing with you, that there was communications uh, they have from the ministers suggesting that this deal only applies to profits exceeding 10% margin, which would rule out Amazon. Oh, what an interesting coincidence that is. 
so Amazon won't actually have to be paying any more tax after all. Oh, well, isn't that interesting? Because it's a low-margin business, right? Amazon's a low-margin business. It's Precisely, retail. Cal. That's Let's right. unpack this for the slow kids in the class, like our friend Dave. What this means is that effectively, because Amazon intentionally runs without a profit, they only try, they, in fact, they run at an intentional loss. And journalists for years have been writing articles that, in fact, Amazon's not profitable. Oh, by the way, Amazon's not profitable. For the past 20 years, oh, another article that Amazon's not profitable. Well, at this point, they're the biggest fucking company in the world. Stop writing that they're not profitable. They're, they're obviously not trying to be profitable, you idiot. Take a business class. Take a fucking business class and understand <laughs> you don't need to be profitable to become the richest man in the goddamn fucking world, you idiot. Wake the fuck up and start. Yeah, stop. This is your NBA. Call. Jesus <laughs> Christ! These tech journalists drive me insane. Take a class on what you're writing you're, about. They get, it's so weird how they get these gripes and just fucking hold on to it for literally decades. Yes, and they just and, come he, off and Jeff Bezos is laughing as he throws millions of dollars out of his car window down the highway that he's not profitable. <laughs> As he's buying spaceships to go to the fucking moon. Oh, forgive me for not being profitable. Did I drop a billion dollars? Who cares? Who cares about a billion dollars I just dropped? Oh, well, I, technically, I'm not profitable. So, poor. So, uh, tech journal. Did I just make the, build the biggest cloud infrastructure? They have the biggest cloud infrastructure. They're running the goddamn internet. They're sending rockets to space. They're, they're wiping. They're taking over all of retail with what they call e-commerce. And they're intentionally, do you get this, tech journalist? Do you get this? They're intentionally not profitable. So they don't have to pay tax. Do you get it? It's not that complicated. Take a business 101 class at your local community college. God damn. So. <laughs> oh, my God. That did really get you up to speed. This new business time. It just, so well, much. anyway, so now they're realizing. Oh, my wife did some crazy. I'm still laughing. So anyways. <laughs> So on. anyways, it turns out that this new you know, plan that the G7 have to tax the big tech companies only applies to companies who have a 10% profit margin. Well, guess who that leaves out? Tech companies that intentionally run at a loss, which is Amazon. So this new tax scheme isn't going to affect Amazon. And soon to be many yeah, more. But, but by the way, <laughs> soon to be many yeah, more. These big, t these big uh, uh, G7 countries, they know goddamn well Amazon isn't making a 10% profit in their countries. And they knew goddamn well when they were writing this tax thing. If they really wanted to tax Amazon, they would have to find a different tax scheme to make them pay tax. And they easily could do that. So it makes you wonder, did they really want Amazon to pay tax at all? Anyways, because Amazon's lobbying uh, is quite profound. And so maybe they have their own little and some kind of internal conflicts of interest. And my friend, tech journalist, that's the story you actually want to be going after. Is why is the G7, my finance ministers, creating tax rules that let Amazon not pay tax? There's a story for you, tech journalist. Why don't you jump on that one and get back to us? Jesus Christ. Whew. <laughs> Mulder and Scully on the job. <laughs> someone give some. Can someone call Mully and Scully? Oh my dear lord! 
and Rishi Rishi Sunak's connection to the tech industry. Maybe you just want to go there. Keep playing the music. I'm, I'm okay. Normally don't go down that way. Okay, so here's a Financial Times article that's just breaking, and I'll retweet this out for everybody as well, which it says, um, give me two seconds while I retweet it for the benefit of everybody following the, the 2,000 people, very intelligent and beautiful people who are following the Twitter account. And by the way, we're adding 100 glorious, uh, genius, gorgeous people to the Twitter account each day. You could be one of them too. Just follow TNATW on Twitter. The Financial Times does a story that says, headline is, Apple under pressure to close loopholes in new privacy rules, which indeed they are. And indeed, Apple just yesterday announced they're going to release a new Android app because their new AirTag, which by in full transparency, I bought one today with full disclosure. These new Apple AirTags come with them a, a whole bunch of new privacy issues because I could send what, you know, uh, it's rumored that our friend Dave is using these to track his dogs and maybe some friends around his hometown in Ireland. And if those people use Apple device, an Apple, if they have an Apple phone, then they get a notification that says, hey, did you know there's an AirTag following you around? And then they will know. But if, what if they don't have an Apple iPhone? So now Apple realizes, ah, shit, we need to make an Android app for Android users to know that let them know if they're being tracked by an Apple AirTag. So Apple has now just said they're going to make that and they're going to make it easier for people who do have iPhones to know if they're being tagged by an Apple AirTag device, which, by the way, I, I literally just bought one before this room opened and it cost about, mm, yeah, $30-ish with shipping and whatnot. And it's a bit of a game changer, especially for your pets. And actually... The Stripe, which is one of the biggest, fastest growing tech companies in the world, is a fintech company, coincidentally out of Ireland. Uh, the, the two founders are Irish brothers. Um, and what uh, it, uh, Tyler, it might be worth noting with the air tags that it's only going to work if it's within 30 feet of an iPhone. Right. So if you stick it on your dog and it goes running off in a field, you, you are shit. Yeah, you're going to, well, no, not really. <laughs> they're, they're, they're wicked. Not at all. Because any iPhone well, user who gets anywhere within your dog, it will then tell you. Yeah, yeah. Of, of, of an iPhone. Yeah, any iPhone. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Not your iPhone. Any, any right. IPhone. So if, yeah, yeah. if, if you, you live in a city with your, people who have iPhones your and your dog gets within 30 feet of a person oh, with an iPhone, you'll know where your dog yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a great point. It a how, it's a really interesting technology of how they kind of use everyone's uh, devices to kind of triangulate where things are. And by the way, that's how your iPhone and uh, your Find Me stuff works. When your batteries die on stuff, you can still be able to find your devices after the fact. They save a little bit of battery to be able to use that same chip that's in that AirTag. But the the point is the... There is a privacy issues and Apple does have privacy issues. And, the, and you can read this Financial Times article about Apple under pressure to close the loopholes in their new privacy rules. Um, under pressure. Uh, that would be a great, I should have. Um, but this product would be good for those elderly who have a chance of getting dementia. Yeah, that is a great use case, by the way. Yeah. Track your grandparents, yep. yeah. And yeah. now, by the way, Bitcoin has been in the news the past 24 hours in a very big way because there was a huge Bitcoin conference down in Miami called Bitcoin 2021, which our friend uh, Ame is currently at and doesn't look like she's on stage, but she's been piping in the past few days to give us an update on the ground there, which has been great. And there's been several updates on the ground there. Perhaps the biggest one was that uh, El Salvador is now going to use Bitcoin as uh, one of their currencies, an alternative to the U.S. dollar. 
And there's been all kinds of speculation about that. I We could j- jump into that for an hour as we did previously. I will summarize by saying, hey, if someone's going to test all of this using Bitcoin as a currency, let it be El Salvador. <laughs> uh, unless you've got another, you know, tiny little country that you would like to just let them test it. Let's then we get to see what could possibly go wrong. If something could possibly go wrong with Bitcoin, it will go wrong in El Salvador. That's the perfect place to do the worst case pressure testing on Bitcoin. I, I think everyone agrees on that. Pro and pro and anti Bitcoiners, I think, are both could finally be in alignment on this one. Let El, fine. Let El Salvador test it. Let's find out what could possibly go wrong. And if something can go wrong, it will go wrong in El Salvador. That's the perfect place for the stress test of Bitcoin. And let's see what comes out of it. Uh, yeah. Tyler Donna Donna had a really great angle. Indeed, she does. This, As think, always, uh, she's just she's always stage, got great yeah. points on all of these issues. Donna, you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I I pointed out in the room yesterday uh, that um, our vice president is heading down to Central and and Latin America. She's bringing with her 310 uh, $310 million of of financial aid. Of course, uh, El Salvador is uh, a recipient of aid, dollar, uh, it's dollar denominated, et cetera. So, um, you know, uh, as we all mentioned and Justin mentioned in his room with with the congressman, the U.S. is is very intent on on um, preserving the dollar as the as the dominant uh, currency. We saw our uh, former president just tweet this morning uh, that Bitcoin is a scam and the dollar is the global is the global currency. So we see this uh, you know playing out every day. Um, and of course, El Salvador, small country, brings this into more prominence. But there are some you know very specific Hang on. Um, things that how did how that, did Donald Trump tweet that out? I don't know, or something. I've got the article right. You still, you're trying to steal my headline, Donna. (laughs) I've got the head. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Um, Anyway, I I would follow some of the top uh, lawyer and banking people in this space as they as they discuss uh, on Twitter and and other places the knock-on effect of a country which is dollar-denominated, indicating that another. Uh, currency, Bitcoin in this instance, will be legal tender and what it does or doesn't have um, down the line and implications for the U.S. and and banks here um, in terms of being able to accept other things in their reserves as legal tender. Uh, So I say stay tuned. Mm -hmm. So here's the headline. And thank you, Donna. And Donna is one of our favorite people who joins us to share her incredible in, you know, domain expertise on these issues. And do give her a follow if you are interested in anything to do with crypto and current or currencies of all kinds um, and fintech in general. So Bitcoin seems like a scam. A former U.S. president, Donald Trump, Donald Trump said Bitcoin is a scam and lamented what he claimed was another currency competing with the U.S. dollar. Former President Trump told Stuart Varney of Fox Business today that Bitcoin is a scam. Bitcoin just seems like a scam, he said. Adding, I don't like it because it's another currency competing against the dollar. I want the dollar to be the currency of the world. That's what I've always said. And nobody says that better than Donald Trump, by the way. So during his time in the White House, Trump was similarly critical of Bitcoin, describing it and other cryptocurrencies as assets that are not money and whose value is highly volatile and based on thin air. And um, I think Bitcoin, I think the Bitcoin thing was written by somebody else. I think the Bitcoin thing was written by governmental bureaucrats that don't want to see Bitcoin rise, whatever that means. 
Um, I could tell very quickly. Um, oh, Scaramucci made a comment saying, I, I could tell very quickly when Trump himself was writing a tweet, they were loaded with malappropriations and misspellings and lack of commas. Just this stream of consciousness ranting, which, yes, that's, that's how he tweeted. But I'm sharing this article from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. And for those who are new to tech news around the world, let me just say the, the room itself that you are in is one thing. And as we talk about every topic, we share it on Twitter so that you can click and do the deep dive. And even better, you can tweet an article and we can see your article that you're sharing if you simply include our Twitter handle as part of your tweet, which is, T again, T-N-A-T-W. And then it makes it very easier for, for me and others to just simply tweet out your headline that you are sharing, as I'm doing right now with Faraz's tweet. Um, so this one's now going out to the Tech News Twitter, the 2,000 followers. Uh, about Jeff Bezos says he's going to space on a Blue Origin flight. And Blue Origin is his uh, new, uh, his version of SpaceX, essentially. He says, I've dreamed of traveling to space since I was five years old. And bidding stands at $2.8 million for a seat on the July 20 mission. Jeff Bezos will go to space next month when his company Blue Origin launches its first passenger carrying mission, the 57-year-old who plans to travel alongside his brother Mark made the announcement in his Instagram post on Monday. The scheduled launch next month will be about two weeks after the billionaire plans to step down as chief executive officer of Amazon. Ever since I was five years old, I've dreamed of traveling to space, Bezos said in the post on July 20th. I will take that journey with my brother, the greatest adventure with my best friend, he says. And it shows that he sent out a, a video of him hugging his brother. And it's um, as it says also, you, people can bid to join that uh, flight along with him and his brother. And the current bidding stands at $2.8 million. Although... Uh, yeah, has, yeah. He, has he leave his will yet? I'm sorry? Has he, has he written his will yet just in case anything happens? All right. Well, it's, by the way, he's uh, dating, so he's no longer available, Cheryl. So... Um, Quick, uh... I, I didn't ask that. Question, yeah, you're not going to be able to get in his will. I know you're interested in his will. <laughs> it looks very unhelpful. Tyler, quick at question. This point, Cheryl. Yes, go ahead. Quick question. The um, you guys are aware that you got into a Blue Origin, got into a tussle with SpaceX on the NASA contract. Please, right? yeah, I, I'm very, I'm very over. well aware. But please uh, inform the audience. So they got into a tussle, essentially. A, I mean, I don't know too much about um, the space agencies, et cetera, but I'll try my best. So, so Blue Origin, when uh, when SpaceX uh, got all of the NASA contracts, as they, as they always do, um, and hence, in my humble opinion, and a good friend who always appears on, on the show, um, Charles, uh, who I was introduced to by Tyler and Cal, um, also says, which is the reason that um, Elon Musk gets away with so many things that he does, is because he controls the NASA contracts and uh, and because he gets into space and, and does many things for certain people, he essentially um, does whatever he wants. But anyway, that's a different subject. Uh, SpaceX usually gets all of this. I mean, they always get all the space contracts and uh, from NASA. This time, Blue Origin actually took uh, SpaceX to the Supreme Court on that, fought it um, for essentially a very, very, very long time. Uh, Blue Origin then lost the, basically what what the what the lawsuit was about was uh, proverbially 
a copy paste of what you would call a monopoly lawsuit in the in the tech world where um Elon Musk is taking the space agencies for a ride based on a monopoly when Blue Origin just just the same has the same capabilities or even better than SpaceX to be able to do the same business. So to me, as, as an outsider, as a layman, it looks like at some point Blue Origin will receive these contracts. It's just a matter of time. And when it does, um, I personally believe that a lot of power from SpaceX will be lost to the point of it even opening up to other players. Um, and I think Bezos is uh, coming for Elon uh, uh, very, very quickly and very swiftly. Um, and it just goes to show the amount of power that Amazon and Bezos and all of his other companies combined have to the point of, for the first time, someone has stepped up to challenge SpaceX. To date, I don't know of anyone that has. Right. Unless anyone does. Yeah. Well, um, in the U.S., right, because it's a U.S. battle for NASA's bit huge funds. And Elon is, is taking yeah. a lot of the NASA funding because he's proven he can get satellites up into space far cheaper than NASA could previously, in large part because he's reusing the rockets. Uh, and that was his main innovation, which Blue Origin has yet to really manage uh, at scale because uh, uh, SpaceX seems to be making good progress with that. And Bezos is challenging Elon because he understa- Bezos understands how, uh, how good of a little racket Elon's got going for himself over there. And, you know, competing with governments, um, once you're effectively, you know, governments are not economically efficient, especially in space. And Elon is far more economically efficient as a private company. And Bezos says, hey, I can play that game, too. And so he is. And what Bezos, I think Bezos knows far more than all of us combined. But I think uh, having a little bit of insight, having Elon being a board member at the company I was at, um, Elon has very good ties and relationships within NASA because he's been servicing them for quite a few years now. And so when NASA is figuring out who to give a contract to between Elon and Jeff, um, you know, relationships can come into play. And it would be that's now there you go, tech journalists. There's an interesting story you could jump into, which is is NASA having a little bit of nepotism with their friend Elon there. That would be an interesting story for sure. Um, and I'm not trying to get Elon in any trouble there. I think what SpaceX is doing is fantastic. You're just trying to give work to journalists. I'm just telling journalists what could be a really interesting story. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) if you want to do some digging on Jeff Bezos, there's one for you. Um, And Bezos exerts a lot of pressure on the government as well. Yeah, and by the way, this is not the only space, uh, no pun intended, where Bezos and Elon are squaring off because the future of delivery of products and goods and services uh, is a, an, an even potentially even much bigger uh, battlefield where in the not so distant future, there will be autonomous vehicles driving deliveries. When you order something on Amazon or anywhere else for that matter, you're gonna, it's going to be delivered to you in a matter of a few hours by an autonomous vehicle. And the question is... Hey, yeah. let's say Tyler, to jump in on your earlier comment before you go down that whole one, is that this, this nepotism, corporate nepotism yeah. stuff, this is... Of course, there's corporate. I mean, I would say that's absolutely not a relevant news article because that's what happens all the time. That's what lobbyists are for, uh-huh. right? It's not the best company or the best budget or anything else. So, of course, it's this kind of um, internal lobbying, and they're both doing it. Maybe Elon won the last one, but they're going to come at it. And the other one, following Cheryl's comment, um, I'm sure this isn't the only reason that uh, Jeff Bezos is stepping down, but I will bet as a CEO, he wouldn't have been allowed to go on that flight because of the risk profile. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's something that would have to be disclosed and then probably not allowed. 
So anyways, just decide, but yeah, I mean, this is all standard games here. And then as you're highlighting, these are just all standard, how these guys are getting in, showing efficiency over current government um, operations and big government contractors. That's not that hard to do. It's great that the government's actually opening up to this and allowing this to um, fund it again. You know, they're both looking at where they're getting all this money. It's to them. It's we're getting funding to do what we want to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, open up and expand our, our empires. Mm-hmm. Well, by the way, I mean, you, Elon is kind of establishing himself as a, almost a soft monopoly with regard to the NASA contracts. And so Bezos is just saying, hey, well, um, you're no, uh, if there's going to be um, kind of a, a marketplace for this, uh, he'll throw his hat in because no, no, hardly anyone's com- willing to jump up and compete with Elon for these incredibly lucrative NASA contracts. So uh, that's my that's kind of one of the points there. Anyway, the and by the way, Virgin Galactic uh, uh, Richard Branson is also throwing his hat into this game as well as, you know, people who have the resources and means and understand that game. You know, and those guys certainly do understand that game, and that's why they're willing to jump into it. The other really interesting game is the future of delivery, which we were just touching on. And just to unpack that, it's, it's the other space where Amazon and Elon are head to head in and Google's the other player in that game of being the autonomous vehicles that are going to deliver your products and goods and yourself, your body and your kids and your parents around town. Because in the, in the not so distant future, it'll be autonomous vehicles that'll, uh, you buy stuff online. It'll be delivered by an autonomous vehicle in a few hours. And what you need to do that is a large network of vehicles, which, um, Uber tried to get into this game. They were one of the early players into this game. And Uber had grand ambitions of being this huge autonomous vehicle network. They just lack one critical piece, which is they don't own the cars. And Tesla does own the cars. And Tesla does have the autonomous uh, technology. Uber just sold their autonomous technology. Does anyone remember who? We shared that headline about six weeks ago. And they sold it for a considerable amount of money, half a billion dollars. Does someone remember who? Did they sell it to Waymo? Didn't they partner with uh -uh. Waymo? Waymo Waymo is Google's autonomous team, but the CEO and the CFOs just stepped down, interestingly, which puts Tesla in the lead uh, in this battle for the future of who's going to have this autonomous vehicle network. Was it was it Ford? No. But somebody can Google it. We'll get to it. But the point is, is that Tesla and Amazon both understand whoever has this autonomous vehicle network. And you can imagine if you own a Tesla in the very near term, In the next few years, your Tesla will drive all day and night while you sleep or work and do deliveries on your behalf. And you might get some part of that money. And then they sold it to Aurora. I don't know what uh that is. And then shortly after that, as soon as those cars prove themselves to be super valuable and have good ROI, Tesla will stop selling those cars to people, keep them for themselves. And Amazon itself is doing deliveries and starting to do autonomous deliveries. And it'll be a race to see who can do the autonomous deliveries because once you if you can monopolize the autonomous delivery market then it's not that big of a stretch for tesla to partner with e-commerce sites um and be a real existential threat to amazon and um, jeff and elon are friends but very much fall into the frenemies category of you know um being huge infrastructure players in the future of, you know, the, the, the future of infrastructure is who's going to do delivery of all the products and services and people within a city. 
Right, because Tyler, with your point, exactly the data, the data that these guys have so that Amazon has about people and sh pushing um, shopping and e-commerce, delivery is the other big pillar there, as you're saying, that last mile delivery or those short trips. And so as you're pointing out, that's a huge factor that they can get in in and do that. And did someone just say that they sold um, to Agora, no. the, the platform in China? Justin, no. No? Uh, we have to see who did uh, oh, uh, no. Uh, no, Uber no. Oh, sells autonomous team to, to Aurora. Aurora is the Aurora. name, yeah. It's a startup, which so I, I, Aurora, I tweeted it uh, out at you. Yep. Aurora was started by Chris Armson, who founded Waymo or started Waymo. So uh, Aurora is actually a leader in the field of uh, autonomous driving technology. Yep. Just and so then, for folks who, are, who don't Sid, know. do you happen to know, nobody seems to have reported, I would love to figure out the riddle and the again tech journalist here's a story for you why did waymo's uh ceo and cfo or cto rather recently both in the same week resign because that's a huge story that somebody's not yet covering because that is google's key people in their bid to be the delivery and they've been investing in this very heavily for a very long time because they understand how important that is to be to have that autonomous vehicle network or army if you want to call it that um it's a very yeah sid do you, you i no doubt know people I, in the valley don't who know the answer know. to that question i don't i haven't really followed this news i'm hearing this for the first time but i quickly googled it and patrick Pichet, who's the cfo yeah. uh or no, that he's the Google CFO. Uh -huh. uh, I thought the Google CFO retired. I haven't seen any Waymo CFO resignation uh, news. Maybe I got. I, maybe you can I, tweet I, it I out. But I'm it. not. Maybe maybe it's related to why David Chang hasn't been on. No, I spoke to your friend David today, by the way, and he he's <laughs> the, he. I, I'll tell you why. He's. I did yeah. too. He, did he tell you why he's been kind of low key lately? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we should. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we yeah. should say that. It's, a, it's an understandable reason that I think he will. I was just thinking about what happened to him. He has a very good he, reason. He'll be back. He has a very good political reason for why he's laying low, which I think he'll reveal when he comes back in a couple of days. That's a cliffhanger. Yeah. So well, that's what uh, we yeah, call yeah, a cliffhanger in the business. To, uh, is he still yeah. in Beijing now? Yes, by he the is. way. Oh, so Google autonomous division Waymo CEO resigned and moving to Austin, Texas. Oh, craft chick. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I think he just retired. He's, yeah, he's, made, he's made too much anything. money and he's just retired. Then, he's going to go to a Waymo, startup in Austin. Right. Maybe. And then Waymo said the, just days later that the chief technology officer, Dimitri Dolgov and chief operating officer, uh, will serve as co-CEOs, but then one of them, as I recall, there was a headline just days later that one of them resigned. So that what I'm curious is, is why would two C-suite people on one of Google's most important projects both resign at the same time? And I, that's that deserves uh, some tech journalist to go dive into that one. Yeah, I follow this space pretty closely. I haven't heard that there's anything um, suspicious about it. Uh, Traf Kraftic, you know, built it pretty much from scratch. So, I mean, he was going to move on at some point. Um, I mean, Austin is where Neuro is. I doubt he's going to end up there. But um, but I think it, it's possible because Waymo has recently said Waymo is basically considered the, the gold standard. You know, Cruise is people know maybe Cruise Automation, who's associated with GM and is a Silicon Valley kind of darling. And then there's, there's a couple other, obviously, international players. But Waymo 
is the first one that had a robo taxi that did not have like a trailing vehicle or, 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 or someone in, you know, even a safety driver in the front seat. So they're the gold standard, but I know they recently came out in the past couple months and seemed to basically say self-driving is further along than everybody thinks. And so when they say that, <laughs> that kind of makes everybody else be like, okay, this could be another, you know, it's been two years, according to Elon Musk, it's been two years away since like, you know, 2015, and so when Waymo says it's 10 years away, who knows, maybe they, they are just looking for a different vision now to either, because people have always said they can just license their product. It's ultimately it's software. The car is the car. So who knows, maybe they are looking to go in a different direction in terms of their business model. Time with the- Just one thing I wanted to add to the discussion uh-huh. really quickly about delivery. Um, I'm not sure if uh, it was brought up already, but I was listening in um, kind of passively about Domino using Neuro um, and they launched in Houston in April. Yep. Um, for, for pizza delivery. Um, yeah, so they, I, I think Neuro is going to be a big player in this. Space yeah, we well. covered that headline when it broke. I mean, let's, let's, be, let's be clear that, that Domino's delivery bot was half a kilometer delivery Correct. in a very, very suburban area. So that's like 10% of the problem right. that Neuro very... has solved. I'm, I'm not throwing no, the no. crap at Neuro, but these are very, very edge cases that make the news. Yes, the, it, uh, well just, said. And yeah. and for the and what uh, Sid is very appreciatively doing is helping the non-geek audience understand when innovators innovate, they need to do it in baby steps. And this Domino's is a perfect, nice little example of how to beta test something in a baby step fashion. Of we call it beta testing. You you can think of it as taking baby steps, and um, they're beta testing this technology, and they found a use case where they could beta test it uh, by doing little pizza deliveries around. You know, because pizza deliveries are all often done very close ge- geographically in a very preset area, because pizza delivery shops have an actual boundary of where they deliver, which is already understood. They could map out every bit of that little predefined area that little geography of that delivery area they can map it out perfectly for that vehicle and so it's a it's instead of doing the entire city or every city which becomes mathematically exponentially more difficult because if you only have to do five city blocks by five city blocks yeah we can train the car to drive those five city blocks by five city blocks that's actually totally within the realm of possibility today for autonomous vehicles so there's a pun for that it's uh, it's a it's the one of the small dominoes to fall <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, there is. Uh, there is. I mean, it is like the, the geofence. So that's why Wingmo also operate, app, you know, uh, operates just in Chandler, Arizona. First of all, there's it's, there's no pedestrians there, so it's a very easy yeah, environment. Yeah. But also, you can basically really micro manage the map. Um, I think what people need to realize though is that, well, first of all, a lot of these companies we've talked about. I think you've mentioned Neuro before, Tyler. Neuro still they deliver groceries and stuff. They have a human vehicle trailing, at least they did a couple months ago. We have here in Ann Arbor a little mini bike. It goes in the bike lane. It's like a three-wheeler that delivers. They also have someone on a bike right behind it. So it's not so much that the technology is there, but also the business model, because you have to realize you have to beat a, a human driver. You have to beat like minimum wage. You have to beat $15 an hour. So it's not just building the tech, it's building it at scale, um, because we have we do have a substitute, which is, you know, what we see all every day, which is your groceries getting delivered by a person and it's nearly flawless and with labor cheap, it's yeah, by by the way, you know, you, you gotta beat that. By the way, the three 
wheeled vehicles is also a very clever uh, regulatory hack for innovators who want to avoid, because there's a lot of regulations once you, once you add that fourth wheel. If you can do it as a three-wheel vehicle, there's much less regulatory red tape uh, that you magically get to. It's kind of what we call the wheelchair at Disneyland effect, where you get to go right to the front of the line if you're a three-wheeled vehicle rather than a four-wheeled vehicle. And so you're going to start seeing a lot of these autonomous things testing out three-wheeled vehicle, as I think it was Jesse who said. Um, Dr. How, De- how do you know all that, Tyler? What's your background in? I, I know too much. I have too many interesting <laughs> dinner dates with people doing interesting things. <laughs> I've realized, about, Tyler, hey, you're like the Al, Forrest what about Gump the physics the, for the um, so, those three wheels. Yeah. Dr. Danish uh, just shared a hot uh, link. You want to jump into that one on MedTech? Yeah, it's a it's a huge one. Today. Go for it. And uh, I, I think it's hard to explain. But the 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 big news is that one medical merges with Iora Health today. Um, and I, just to give you guys some context, one medical is the largest concierge care platform in the world. Uh, Iora Health is one of the largest value based care providers uh, in the world, both are tech enabled, and this completely shakes up. And sound, uh, from at least a few people that I've talked to today, they're sad that this could be either the changing of the guards in the healthcare delivery space, uh, this combined company, or this could be a giant catastrophe. Uh, because as you guys may know, uh, one medical gets paid for every visit, so their fee for service. Iora Health gets paid per month, so their value based care. And them coming together uh, kind of could be the clash of the titans in that way. So we're really excited to watch. But the, uh, literally, uh, some people are calling this the end of legacy health systems. Uh, this is the they now one medical goes from six states to 28 states in one day. Huge news. I just shared it from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW so people can read the entire article. Uh, and do the deep dive uh, uh, for those who love the med tech. And we appreciate Dr. Danish because he const- consistently brings fantastic, the most important headlines around med tech and then helps us do the deep dives. And even now doing the deep dive rooms uh, on the weekends with the other med tech brainiacs uh, who join us regularly. And then, then you get two hours, three, three hours of deep dive on med tech. Yeah, it's great. Go ahead, Professor Asif. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the biggest news today is about in 20 years, FDA first approved a drug for Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. early stage Alzheimer's. And that's, that's a, uh, although that scientific data is iffy, if I, you know, from what we, but they obviously felt that uh, maybe we're moving into a new climate where a patient, uh, if, there's, if it reaches patient safety and there is some efficacy, they're going to approve. And, but this, you know, just think of most pharma run on one or two drugs. And so this, uh, this is a biogen is a startup kind of thing. They're going to become like Moderna, which is now quarter of a market cap of AstraZeneca. Yeah. So if that comes through, so yeah, that, that's one of those med, med tech. It's been approved. Yeah, yeah, I got you. No, it's been approved. By I got you. And that is earth-shaking news. And for the non-medtech folks, um, when you know when these pharmaceutical companies get approvals like this, that's billions and billions and billions of dollars uh, that starts raining from the sky. <laughs> that is, uh, you know, it's earth-changing earth, earth stuff. 
Um, and that's why he says it's it, for that industry, for the med industry, it's not even med tech, just for medicine in general, the whole healthcare space. That is, you know, a, a huge kind of home run type event. Um, and it's, it means and that the regulators are going to be more lenient towards unmet medical need areas where there is a life-threatening conditions like preeclampsia you know so that's why I'm, I'm saying it's quite important thank you for that and tyler the key for this drug is that it attacks the amyloid plaque in the brain so it's not just in trying to create better quality of life for those suffering it's going after the cause perhaps of actual alzheimer's so it's, it is a potential exciting drug I will say that the uh, let me just you know let's go between the lines for a mm -hmm. second. The, the other big issue that Dr. Asif is uh, alluding to, and Dr. Asif, maybe you can do a better job than I can. But you know, federal regulators have been looking at this, and there, you know, while it has been approved, uh, there has been immense pressure from the Alzheimer's and the caregiver community, having been part of that caregiver community for some years. Uh, but the road to regulatory approval has not been easy. In fact, uh, if the drug initially showed promise in 2016. But in March of 2019, uh, they actually pulled the drug after an independent group revealed that it was unlikely to work. And then, uh, you know, that they still, Ogas, have spoke about. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I, I think that the, across the medical community, there are some, like you said, there's some iffy data. And a lot of people feel like we're moving way too quick on this approval and that, you know, nothing is without some level of risk and, and I and you know uh, for for families that are struggling with Alzheimer's or with uh, dementia issues like mine um, I understand and I can appreciate it but science is science and I think a lot of people are feeling very hesitant about this and the FDA moved forward regardless despite the medical community being very split on this and so uh, exciting day I do think that the mechanism of action is very fascinating but I will caution that this according to a lot of scientists not all of them i would say it's literally split along the middle uh a lot of people are questioning the decision mm. here yeah i mean and the metadata meta-analysis data of past trials did not support this conclusion so and the, even the amyloid plaque clumping of it there is no real i mean it's been it's it the but the point is that the trend is that to be a little bit less uh, uh, cautious uh, as long as meets the minimum requirements. So I'm just thinking we're moving into a new world order for the next five to six years, at least, uh, unless something drastically goes wrong. And I'm and uh, Dr. Asif, just to kind of uh, speak to that more, I'm actually concerned that we're moving in that direction, that this deregulation and carving out half of the FDA uh, is leading to a place where we are potentially moving for headlines over safety. And I'm not saying that this is unsafe. I'm just saying it's not efficacious. And so, but, you know, people are getting a lot of hope and they're getting uh, excited about this. And I think it's uh, at some level warranted. I just, I, I feel like if I'm a physician uh, and I have to now make that final decision about whether this is going to be efficacious for my patients, uh, which I always do, but you know, uh, now I can't even trust the FDA to be as uh, as thorough. When literally, like you said, we have systematic review, once a large systematic review, and a couple of uh, 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 meta one big meta analyses that that show that yes, it's trending forward. But it, I mean, this does not even meet the highest level of evidence. And so we need more lax systems. We need to remove the red tape. 
but we can't sacrifice the science or people will start asking questions like they did with vaccines and other, and that leads to vaccine hesitancy, but also to, to uh, a lack of belief in the systems and the institutions. That's at least my personal opinion. And yeah, D- Danish, I will just say one thing. Uh, uh, I think what's happened in the last 12 months is that not only do we, we've always stuck with r- randomized control trials. What's happened is the real world data has been driving the vaccines. And so this may be the fact that if it reaches a certain point, you give it approval and then you see what the real world data shows. Because sometimes real world data gives you a better outcome association. So you combine it with the randomized control trial, with, which is the gold standard, with the real world data. And, that's, uh, and I think in that context, I think it's the right kind of move. But we'll have to see what FDA themselves say because their independent committee had recommended not to go forward. So it was 50-50. So it's- but, but Dr. Asif, sorry, I just want to, uh, and Professor Asif, sorry, I was going to say that, you know, I agree with you that we just need more real-world data. Just call yeah, me Asif. So Asif, you know, we need real-world data. You're absolutely right. But it can, a real-world data is not uh, uh, devoid of bias. And we need more high-quality studies. We need and real world evidence. It's not mutually exclusive. And I think that's the problem is that we have now gotten to the point where in the middle of a pandemic, we you're absolutely right. And actually I wanna double double tap on that. Like if this is actually completely because of the success at some level of how well the real world evidence met those trials and how good we're feeling about this new move. I just think that does not translate to situations like Alzheimer's and after 20 years, this is the drug that we're going to be putting out with this level of data for families that are literally struggling and now will have false hope potentially. And I'm not trying to hate on the data. I hope the real world evidence is better. But I think the public and science deserves a little bit better than this drug. And I'm uh, again, I'm being a little I, bit. Extra I don't deny it. So my, my mother has early Alzheimer's and we actually discussed this drug yesterday with my sister and we probably what it's not because she has vascular dementia so it may not work for her anyway but uh but i, I but what i'm saying is it's, it should not become the norm for all drugs because if you've got statins that shouldn't be for statins because there are plenty of options but it's probably going to be where there is no treatment like for example you know if we come up with a treatment for preeclampsia and that's uh, there is nothing out there then then I think it's worth trying it out on some uh, in real world situations. And people are, have, even my drug people have tried it on patient to uh, doctor cases. So I think those are the kind of approach will happen going forward. So we'll have to wait and see. I'm sorry, Tyler, we've taken up too right. much space. It's a, yeah. it's a very important conversation. Um, but there's in the mean, even since we've been having this conversation, and I, I, I'm retweeting Faraz's uh, tweet about Biogen Alzheimer's drug is approved by the FDA for those who want to, you know, do more deep diving on their own. That's now out on our Twitter account at Tech News Around the World, T N A T W. Uh, Biogen's Alzheimer drug is approved by the FDA. Go ahead and do your own deep dive on that. But there's a whole bunch of, since in the past 15 minutes, a whole bunch of really good articles have been coming in uh, due to the smart people on stage and in the room. Let me just run through some of them quickly, and then I want to turn it over to a couple of people who just joined the stage. Um, 
Bosch opens a German chip factory to help relieve global shortage. And that's now been reported by Bloomberg. I have to say, somebody before Bloomberg, even before any journalist had covered this in the past few hours, DM'd me. And I've been meaning to get to that story. So my apologies to whoever DM'd me and requested to remain anonymous because she's based in Germany and in the industry and said she didn't want to be named, but she knew. In fact, before all of the journalists are now releasing the articles that Bosch opens a new chip factory to help relieve the global chip shortage. Um, so thank you to Faraz. I'm retweeting that. Um, uh, MicroStrategy, who's one of the biggest uh, whales in the Bitcoin space, to sell $400 million in debt to buy more Bitcoin. So Michael, Michael Saylor, who is sort of leading the charge uh, of, of taking Bitcoin to the moon, is now uh, selling. $400 million in debt to buy more Bitcoin. So he's buying the dip, as we say, and let's see what happens. Bitcoin, by the way, technically for people who trade uh, stocks or Bitcoin or any currencies, it, the, the chart that it's making is sitting at a very interesting testing point, as Kieran no doubt knows. It's either going to break up or down from where it is at, at the moment. And that sounds obvious. It's not. It's, it's either going to break up rather substantially or down rather substantially from where it sits right now. Of course, if I ask Kieran, he's going to say very loudly that it's going down. I'm sure other people on this stage would feel the opposite. But nonetheless, it's notable that it's going to go up, notably up or notably down in the very near future, like in the next couple of days. Um, but according to My Michael, I believe it's going to go up. And so he's uh, willing to take on $400 million of debt to make it, make it go up. And other really interesting articles that people have shared in the past few minutes, uh, a company called Astra to acquire electronic in-space propulsion company called Apollo Fusion. So retweeting that one. Thank you to Haridesha uh, for, for sharing that one. And Google is being fined $270 million in France for unfair advertising practices. And you, I don't know, I'm hearing now there's breaking news that Google's team and lawyers are laughing as they leave the courtroom um, because that's how they play the game. They could give a fuck about fines uh, because they make far, in the time that you've done the court case, they've made that money. But matter of fact, by the time that it took the jury and the judge to park their car, they made that money. Google could really give a fuck about fines. You're gonna have to find some other way to disincentivize bad behavior of these big companies who make millions of dollars a minute. So anyway, um, there was three, uh, like three more quick ones I wanted to jump into here. Bear with me. One of them was uh, this one. Someone saying this is breaking news. And in fact, it is. Mark Zuckerberg just posted on his own Facebook account uh, uh, within the past hour. In fact, 50 minutes ago, he says to help more creators make a living on our platform, we're going to take, we're going to keep this is, uh, let me play the breaking news music. This is breaking news from Mark Zuckerberg himself on his own Facebook account. And by the way, this is now the second time in the past two weeks that Mark Zuckerberg has taken to his own Facebook account to break news about Facebook, which tells... And just be, hmm. just before Apple event. Well, yes, and just before the Apple event. But, um, and you're right, Cheryl. He does mention Apple in this Facebook post. So the timing of this is very interesting because he wanted to get the news out very quickly. So here, I'll just read his post. It's very short. 
from 53 minutes ago. And my friend Victor, who works at Facebook, uh, I noticed, liked it. And it says, to help more creators make a living on our platforms, we're going to keep paid online events, fan subscriptions, badges, and and our upcoming independent news products free for creators until 2023. And when we do introduce a revenue share, it will be less than the 30% that Apple's and other take. Kind of poking a finger at Apple before the Apple event, because Apple might announce something like this, where Apple's going to let creators monetize on Apple's platform. And that might be a safe assumption because Mark Zuckerberg certainly has access to information inside Google, uh, Apple's campus and almost certainly has access to information of what they're going to announce at the event that's going to start in just an hour. In fact, in 50 minutes, we're going to turn on the live stream and join Tim Cook and the Apple executives for their announcements. And here you have Mark Zuckerberg kind of stealing the show with this quick announcement. And let's unpack it a little bit. The fact that Mark has now, in the past two weeks, gone to his own personal Facebook account to break news tells you how much he cares about tech journalists. <laughs> he, he wants to speak directly. That is the future of um, how to engage. And Tesla knows that. Elon Musk knows that. Apple kind of knows that. That's why Apple's doing this big event this way. Everyone can consume it themselves directly. And Mark is talking through his direct means. Less middlemen, the better, perhaps. Um, and I just also want to repack this where he says, it's focusing, this is, by the way, the second time in a month that Mark is talking about empowering creators on Facebook to monetize. In this case, he's talking about uh, making a living on their platforms. And he's used that phrase twice in three weeks, that he wants to make it possible for creators on Facebook to make a living, not just money, make a living on their platforms. We're going to keep uh, paid online events, which, yes, they do have paid on online events, although I've never seen anyone try and charge me for a Facebook event, but in theory, they exist. Fan subscriptions and badges. And by the way, Twitter just announced in the past 72 hours that they are going to have paid uh, uh, chat rooms like this room that we're in, but they call it ticketed rooms, uh, ticketed spaces, I'm sorry, where it'll be a space. They call them Twitter spaces, like a clubhouse room, and Twitter spaces can be ticketed. And so Mark is saying they have uh, fan subscriptions, they call them, and badges and our upcoming independent news product, which competes with Substack. And that's kind of the big news that he's he can't mention Substack. Substack has been an absolute game changer, like Clubhouse. And has had a tremendous impact and is sending big shockwaves through the, the journalism world because on Substack, they just raised a bunch of money from Andreessen Horowitz, just as Clubhouse did. And Andreessen Horowitz is one of the best tech investors in the world. And Andreessen Horowitz, like a lot of tech founders, doesn't really like how tech journalism is happening in 2021. And so they're putting their money uh, where their mouth is and funding Substack. To and Substack <laughs> just minutes after the fundraising was announced that Substack raised a whole bunch of millions from injuries and Horowitz, the Substack CEO made a separate announcement that we've just raised a bunch of money and we're going to use that money to entice our favorite journalists to leave 
uh, the publications that are attacking uh, the tech founders, you know, everywhere. And they are doing that. They are giving advances, kind of like book deal advances, to the tech journalists who are willing to leave the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and all of these sinking ships, uh, uh, as they refer to them, and come on over and work independently yourself and make your own living as an independent journalist on Substack. And Mark Zuckerberg understands the opportunity here. And he says, well, why don't journalists do the same on Facebook? And we will let them make a, a cut. And he's also saying, when we do introduce this revenue share, it will be less than the 30% that Apple and others take. So we might now expect Apple 45 minutes from now in their uh, keynote to announce some kind of system that allows people to um, uh, journalists in Apple News. Apple does have a product called Apple News. And perhaps Apple News will now allow independent journalists to participate and get a cut of the subscribers of Apple News. So that will be interesting to see because that would explain why Mark feels the need to throw this out just two hours or an hour and a half before the Apple event. So, and nonetheless, he, he does see the opportunity with Substack. Like a channel, like a channel on Apple right. News. Yeah, in, independent like journalists. In yeah, News. exactly. Yeah. Because Substack is becoming such a force. All the investors in Silicon Valley are fascinated by it. Andreessen Horowitz, who's... If they, if if Andreessen Horowitz invested in it as they did in Substack, that means every other investor in Silicon Valley wanted to invest in it. And normally, founders, if Andreessen Horowitz wants to invest, then you go with Andreessen Horowitz or Sequoia. They're kind of the top two. And that means if those two were willing to invest, every investor in Silicon Valley wants to invest. If if Andreessen is saying they want to invest, and so. That also sends a signal to all the other product teams around the world, like Facebook and like Medium, which was Evan Williams' company. And Medium was kind of like Substack with a slightly different business model. And Medium has now pivoted to be much more in line with what Substack's business model is. And that get, tells you, again, all the evidence you need to know that they've got the, the right um, product market fit, as we call it in the business. They figured out the right mousetrap that fits the market, the product market fit. So Medium is pivoting its product to have the same product market fit that Substack has proven. That's the right product market fit. And now Zuckerberg himself is making a new product within Facebook that will allow independent news products, um, which will be free for creators until 2023. And when we do start taking a rev cut, it will be less than a 30% that Apple takes. So they're going to allow their, they're going to compete with Substack by taking no cut and let the share the ad revenue directly with the people who are writing the articles on Facebook. And they hope that Facebook will become a competitor to Substack. Good luck with that. I say, um, it'll be interesting. You see, it's starting to become a very competitive space and clubhouse plays into it because believe it or not, tech news around the world is now competing with the tech journalists on Substack. And you're getting your, you, those of you, the 655 people in this audience are voting with their feet every day where they want to consume the news. And I would argue, that we as a group with Dr. Danish and Simon and Cal and everyone on the stage, Akil and Florian, everybody, we're doing a better job of helping people understand where tech news is going than one independent tech journalist who used to work at the New York Times writing on Substack. I say to them, I say, good luck. <laughs> I put, I'll put this group of 30 brilliant minds together across the planet geographically. Uh, uh, good luck competing with that, I say. So, um, Moving on, let's see what Apple uh, announces. And 
Go ahead and jump in if you want. I have yeah. a Apple. I have a Apple News. Uh, I sent it to from Alaska. It's the Anchorage. Are you ever pronounced that Daily News? Apple's tightly controlled app store is teeming with scams. Apparently, two percent of the top thousand grossing products are scams in one or another way, and they are actually during the t- time these that they have been measuring. They have had a turnover of $48 million. You will find it in your feed. You want them yes, speaking. Yes, and here I've got the article right here. I will retweet it. Thank you, Johan, who consistently shares fantastic articles. Uh, study finds up to 2% of the top 1,000 apps in Apple's App Store. So Apple has millions of apps. Out of the top 1,000 apps, the paid apps, not the free apps, the top 1,000 paid apps, of those are scams. And so these are not unpopular apps. These are very popular apps, very popular paid apps, and they are scams. And what this indicates is that Apple's not doing what it claims that it does. They claim that they can charge you 30%, not you. They charge the app makers 30% of the money they make in Apple Store because they're creating a very safe experience for all of the millions of Apple users. And this article says, the fuck you are, <laughs> because 2% of your top apps are scams and taking, in fact, stealing money from people. And in fact, Apple knows those apps are stealing money from people. And Apple's not doing anything about it because they make 30% of that scammy money. And people are sending in... Um, very furious messages saying this app is billing me $9 a month and it won't let me unsubscribe. And they don't. And that's how they, that's the scam is they trick you into clicking on something inside of a video game that then makes this signs you up for a $9, $10 a, a week service that's $40 a month. And unless you check your bill, you would never know it. And that's a scam. And Apple's getting 20, 30% of that $40 a month And so they don't really have a strong incentive of removing these apps from the store. And that's sort of the developing story there. And thank you, Johan, for sharing that. And of course, they're not going to mention that during the keynote, which starts in 40 minutes. Another thing they're not going to mention. Tyler, can I just bring an amazing piece of news forward from the genome sequencing lab in the UK? It's just been announced. I just saw that myself. That the Wuhan lab leak theory. Yeah, hold that thought for two seconds. I just saw that myself. I'm just going to add on that there's one other headline uh, coming out in the past 48 hours that w- Apple will not be announcing, which is Apple and uh, Tim Cook sent an email to the entire Apple team about 72 hours ago, three or four days ago, informing all the Apple employees rather globally that they're going to be coming back to the office starting in September on Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And that email uh, was corroborated by our friend Sid on stage who works at Apple. And he said, yes, he did get that email. Now, the headline that came out 48 hours later from the BBC is Apple employees uh, rally against the office working plan and have now got a a signature collection together to tell Tim Cook, hell no, we're not coming back to the office Monday, Tuesday and Thursday. Go fuck yourself, Tim. So I don't suspect that that will be part of the Apple event that starts in 45 minutes. He can't wait to fire all of those idiots. (laughs) But by the way, why would frothing at the mouth? What would drive those Apple employees to write such a letter to their boss, Tim Cook, who could very easily fire them, especially in America, where there's a fire at will policy. In Europe, it's a little more tricky to fire people, by the way. 
So, from what I understand, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a a big number of the like yeah, it was no a it was a number of employees, but it wasn't like substantial. And on top of that, I mean, come on, he's he's literally giving you two days right. off that you get to stay home and two weeks two weeks per year of work from home anytime right. you want. It. Well, here's why they might have felt empowered to write that letter because two weeks ago. Apple had hired a guy named Antonio, who was frequently in Clubhouse here as part of the Big Ideas show with Eric and and Mark Andreessen from from uh, Andreessen Horowitz. And Antonio was hired by Apple to be their ad guru because he was formerly the ad guru at Facebook. And he sold his home and moved across the country and, you know, went through great lengths to set up for this new gig at Apple. And as he's uh, proverbially walking in the front door, he is told to get the fuck off Apple campus. You are no longer welcome here. And what the hell happened? Well, uh, some employees got together and get, did a signature collection to say we don't want him as part of the team because of a couple of sentences he wrote in his New York Times bestseller five years ago that are rather he rate, paints a rather unsavory picture of um, women in the Bay Area. And so Apple said, okay, um, sorry, Antonio, you're not welcome here. Uh, sorry about the trouble. And so because the, the people who wrote that signature collection campaign were successful in that case, they, it certainly sends a signal throughout Apple's employees that if you want to, if there's something you're not happy about, well, you just get a bunch of people together and write a, get a campaign together, get some signatures together, send it to Tim Cook. And maybe you'll win. So now you understand why they felt even empowered to do something that seems a bit crazy in the first place. Like I said, Tim couldn't wait for some idiots to step up and do this because he needed to set that example, make sure nobody thinks like that again. Well, that will be very interesting to see the, the outcomes of this. No doubt it's a to be continued. And I don't, I would be, you know, it would be the ultimate move would be for him to kick off this uh, keynote in about 40 minutes by saying uh, to everyone who wrote me a letter, uh, please jump up on stage Fire. and say you're fired right in front of everybody. That would be hilarious, but of course that's not going to happen. But um, we can all dream. But <laughs> but um, I did want immediately yeah, buy more Penny stock. did have a, a huge headline that's breaking around genetic engineering. Go ahead, Penny. You still there? M Money, Penny. Sorry. Ground control to make. Hi, sorry, sorry. Nick, Nick. Yeah, <laughs> I had about eight pages open yeah. I was going to read from. Okay, oh, so. Yeah, so uh, you know the largest genome sequencing lab in the United Kingdom, and we also have um, the lab Porton Down, which is meant to be the world's best lab for you know finding secret things that have been hidden in coronaviruses. Um, so this is the Daily Mail um, that has reported just in the last few minutes um, that uh, irrefutable proof of the lab leak story scientifically backed up by uh, American scientists. Um, she says just desperately trying to find the headline in front of her. Um, and this is basically saying there is a stream of uh, genome sequencing that has been found from the lab in the UK, which is not anything like and has never been seen in a coronavirus. A coronavirus being a generic, obviously, which includes the SARS-CoV-1, SARS-CoV-2 and MERS. Um, so this headline is irrefutably uh, supporting the lab leak theory and uh, supported by uh, University of California, Richard Muller and a couple of other guys 
And that's it, basically. That's as much as I know. Well, what's interesting about this is uh, Christian G. Anderson sent an email to Anthony Fauci highlighting this back in uh, January 2020. Uh, yeah, I was just going to bring that up. I'm looking for it now. So it looks like everyone on Reddit in November of 2019 was right. <laughs> vindication. So, vindication. COVID deliberately made in a Chinese lab before it leaked to the world. Expert study bombshell claim. COVID-19 has the genome sequencing combination CGG, CGG. Two US experts say that no naturally occurring coronavirus has ever had that combination. The CGG combination is extremely rare, except when it was used by scientists doing gain of function in laboratories. The experts conclude it is more likely than not that the virus was therefore created in a lab. The two US experts append a damning essay. Dr. Stephen Kay, CEO of biopharmaceutical company Atossa, <laughs> sorry, Atossa Therapeutics Inc. and Richard Muller, a physics professor at the University of California, Berkeley in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, thank you for that. So um, on the subject of health, here's a big headline. Walmart Health is gearing up to offer telehealth across. Um, well, Walmart is preparing to provide tele uh, online healthcare in more than a dozen states, including Ohio and Texas. And it's a bit of a firewall. So let me read it this way. Yeah, so I can kind of talk about this a give, little bit, Tyler. Yeah, give, so, let me just do the uh, overview here. It says uh, Walmart Health Medical Provider has filed to operate in 16 more states. A Walmart spokesperson said the filings are related to the company's push into virtual care. Uh, Walmart signaled the, that push when it unveiled plans in May to buy telehealth company MeMD. And Walmart is gearing up to provide health care online to people across the country. Take it away, Dr. Dennis. Yeah, so uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. It has more to do with the acquisition of MeMD. Yeah. MeMD had the technology and the infrastructure and even the clinical network of doctors. And part of this is just uh, Walmart getting uh, something called management service organizations uh, set up in different states. Uh, that There's this thing called corporate practice of medicine that corporations actually can't direct medical care. So there's a loophole in that <laughs> uh, where the Corporations can serve as the administrators for those medical practices, and that's how they get around it. And that's what—that's the process that they're going through right yeah. now. Uh, the thing that's interesting about MeMD is what Walmart is doing is they're saying, hey, we just needed to buy something that had the network of doctors. We get those doctors licensed in all these different states, and we can then do all the paperwork, all the administrative, and aggregate demand. So they were able to find the supply and as you know, with two-sided networks in general, they then can now go heavy and uh, aggregate demand. I think the platform wars are on. I think Amazon and Walmart are back oh, at it time. again. So check this out. I just did a Google search for the words Walmart Health. The top listing in Google is walmarthealth.com. And when you go there, it's a 403 forbidden website. Yeah, I just noticed That's that. So that means they are currently building the website for walmarthealth.com. And um, as part of this story, uh, where did it go? Um, where did it go? It says, oh, and then there's a, I just tweeted out the article from Business Insider. The headline is Walmart Health is gearing up to offer telehealth across 16 states. And the subheadline is even more, it, there shows a photo of the Walmart Health 
clinic. I don't know where this is, but it says a Walmart health clinic with counseling, labs, optometry, primary care, dental, and hearing services. Walmart Health. I, I think it's Texas. Yeah. I think it's Texas. Um, I think it's Florida because there was an article a week ago that shows a similar facility in Florida, but you could be right. It might be Texas. Um, but Walmart Health is for real. They've got physical, actual facilities that handle counseling labs, optometry, primary care, dental, and hearing services. And what's interesting about this is Walmart is going very big, as we know, because of the flip cart uh, into data and health, just like Google, just like Amazon. And it's amazing to see Walmart ain't going to go down uh, like a normal dinosaur Titanic type company, which it ordinarily would. Um, you know, normally what would happen in these cases is Amazon comes in, kind of wipes them out. And Walmart says, think again. We're going to get smart and hire smart people and build up an incubator as they did in Silicon Valley and hire lots of startups and acquire a lot of startups and acquire big delivery companies with a, and a lot of smart people that know how to use data. And now they are acquiring med tech companies and um, they got some smart people making some smart decisions over there. Also, also yeah, uh, Tyler, Walmart's been I'm not ahead sure who said Florida, time. but they definitely are. Uh, this is Matt. Uh, I'm looking just like for Walmart careers. They're, they're hiring PCPs in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. Can yeah, I, they're they're something? they've been ahead. Yeah, in front. Let me just jump in. Like they for years have been ahead on the data, AR, VR, like you know, training people internally. They're they're not some behemoth old school company. They're they're very um, progressive and forward. Yeah, it's 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 wild so, to watch. And yeah. so Tyler, just to add in, add, just to add yeah. into that, um, Walmart has and forgive me, I can't quote the numbers, but. Um, Walmart has one of the biggest supply chains of medical supplies coming out of China at prices that would dazzle you. I mean, you're, I'm talking about branded sort of medical supplies that you wouldn't imagine major companies like Medline getting the sort of prices that they get walmart gets out of these companies in china is is below discount prices they command the market in china because they can squeeze there. the supply chain because they they they're involved exactly. in so much of it right so and you build that so you build that into their own model of walmart health clinics walmart uh, with telemedicine etc etc in the long term you've got i i don't i don't see walmart hospitals being out of the question walmart hospital and healthcare walmart uh, virtual care, Walmart AR, VR solutions, Walmart this, Walmart that, Walmart robotics. Um, I mean, clearly, clearly, one. I think one of the earlier predictions um, around two years ago was that possibly Walmart could go down and whatever they've done is great because they've clearly revamped their entire strategy and are now coming in big. I'm, for us, I'm yep. done. It's uh, one of the big, big, and here's, let's just unpack for everyone who hasn't heard the rant. I'll just give the super short version, which is data companies uh, do what data companies are going to do, which is they're going to use data and take over whatever area they get into. And they took over media first and the newspapers didn't stand a chance uh, in the advert because media newspapers make money by advertising. Right. People used to put little ads in newspapers. They're not doing that anymore. They're putting ads on Facebook and on Google and on Twitter. And so the newspapers are dying. OK, now 
the data companies have an unfair advantage because they use all this data around what people want to buy on Google or who their friends are on Facebook. And they use all that data to use their ad network to give you much, the advertisers, a much better targeted experience of who they want to show their ads to. Because on a newspaper, you're showing your ad to everybody when really you just want to show it to, you know, potentially uh, new mothers. And the newspaper can't do that. They can't only send the newspaper to expecting mothers. But Facebook can and Google can and they do. And that's why they are vastly superior. So it was an unfair fight. And they're going to bring that unfair data fight. And they're looking for other big industries to fight because they already killed the newspaper media business. And they're thinking, hmm, who out there makes a lot of money that doesn't understand data that we can knock the fuck out? Oh, the medical industry. Let's go take them on next. And they are. And that's why you're seeing Amazon and Google in the past two, three weeks making it very clear that this is their next new opponent. And they both pick the same opponent at the same time. And they're going to go into medical with guns blazing, data, you know, slinging and wreak havoc. And it's going to that's where it gets very interesting. And that's where that headline, by the way, that we covered a, a bit ago about the Foxglove um, kind of uh, uh, tech. Uh, what do they call themselves? Um, activists feel like they need to drive awareness around these issues. But by the way, we do, too, here in this room, which is, hey, we as the geeks are kind of hinting to the non-geeks out there who dare to listen. Like, you got some shit coming down the pipe, y'all. <laughs> I don't think you realize what you got coming your way. This is the data train, baby, and you're laying down on the tracks. And <laughs> it's not going to be pretty. So, um, but essentially, the the data companies are going to buy up the most important players in the game, suck them into their, their Borgs, and, um, you know, do what data companies do. And they're going to take over that whole game. And then they're going to look for other big industries to get into. And it's going to be interesting to see 10 years from now if they get into the government game and they might be buying up states. Hey, El Salvador, uh, that's nice that you want to take on Bitcoin. But how much would it cost to buy your fucking ass? I am stunned you made that connection. Hey, El Salvador, okay. let me just ask you. How many square kilometers did you got? How, how many how, how, how many coconut trees did you got exactly, El Salvador? I give it ten years before Amazon offers to buy El Salvador. And make an Amazon city. Yeah. Well, Google just got a big piece of San Jose. They're going to build their new camp. We, we covered that three days ago. We talked about it for an hour. Google's building up downtown San Jose. That's great. But guess who writes the rules in San Jose? Seychelles powered by Walmart. Yeah. Seychelles powered <laughs> by Walmart. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Amazon Island. That's why I say he's selling his country. Yeah. He's selling his country. Hey, El Salvador. If anyone can speak German or read German, I, I highly recommend the sci-fi book Quality Land. It like, speaks about all of this, but in a fun way, like satirical way. It's really good. Well, kind of going, uh, kind of going back to the healthcare stuff, I think, you know, and I see that, oh, Matt left, I was going to actually bring this up. There's a lot of belief in the healthcare community that a lot of this is hype. And I think to Tyler, your point, these are giant data companies that are going to do it better. They're going to make it more personalized. And I will make a prediction, but I don't know if this prediction is going to be true. I think it's going to be true, but, um, I think we're going to see the fall of several large regional health systems. And we're going to essentially see 
these, you know, like in every city, there's a big one here in St. Louis, there's Barnes uh, with WashU. Uh, in New York, you have Mount Sinai and others. We're going to start seeing them dropping like flies, like we saw the retailers. And I think this is the, what's happening in the last three months, if anybody's been paying attention with, and I know Cal's obviously paying attention with Best Buy, with Amazon, with Walmart, with, uh, you know, Google's movement now, Apple, they will find out. I'll, it's I'll over. second you on that, Dr. Yeah. The game is over now. And so my prediction is that in 10 years, we're going to, the, the whole, we're going to have national health providers that are going to be powered by technology and all of that data that is in currently uh, in, in the healthcare system will actually be in these platforms. And we have to make a decision on what we believe on all of these, but it's already happening. And we're going to see, uh, you know, the one big question I had Zev Newworth this weekend, uh, he's the chief clinical transformation officer at Atrium. We had a big conversation about this on Clubhouse, actually. And one question I asked him was, are these, and he, and he was not speaking from Atrium, so please don't take that quote uh, away from that because I know there are you know, journalists in the room. But what he said specifically was, when you took look at what health systems have done traditionally, which is build or partner, now for the first time, we might start seeing a flurry of acquisitions from the health systems. Health systems might start buying tech companies to try to compete. And that's where the game becomes much more interesting. Yeah, 10 years from now is going to look very interesting. And I'm not giving up on airships. <laughs> I think they're going to get into the medical device part, right? They had uh, they, they were working on a real-time COVID-19 test too. Wasn't Amazon working on something like that? So somebody just sent me a DM because this person works in the industry. And I'm going to, out of respect, read their DM, but without revealing who it is. It says, I don't want to tweet this out as... Uh, I'm in the industry, uh, and, but wanted to share as this is an interesting, quite a few news outlets are questioning it. And it's from Rolling Stone on rollingstone.com. I'm going to tweet it right now from the Tech News Twitter account, which you can follow at T-N-A-T-W. That's short for Tech News Around the World. And um, you can join the ever-growing list of about 2,000 gorgeous geeks who follow Tech News Around the World. And uh, because we share all of the articles in real time as we discuss them here and other beautiful geeks in the audience find other articles and use our Twitter account as part of their tweet so that we can include their tweet as part of the ever growing conversation. But this article from Rolling Stone being sent by somebody in the industry, which I can confirm, I know the person who sent the DM personally, and um, I understand why they don't want to reveal themselves. So this is interesting. The Rolling Stones headline is. Spotify launched discovery mode. The House Judiciary Committee has questions. Congressman asked Spotify for additional information about a quote-unquote plan that could ultimately lead to further cut pay for working artists. The House of Representatives Ju Judiciary Committee sent a letter to Spotify this week requesting additional information on quote-unquote discovery mode, a controversial program which allows artists and labels to recommend specific songs to more listeners via the streaming giant's algorithms in exchange for a lower royalty rate. Spotify announced Discovery Mode last fall, framing it as a boon for artists, saying, artists tell us they want more opportunities to connect with new listeners, and we believe our recommendations should also be informed by artists, the streaming platform wrote in a blog post. 
The quote continues, in this new experiment, artists and labels can identify music that's a priority for them, and our system will add that signal to the algorithm that determines personalized listening sessions, which, on the face of it, I, just pausing for a second, I have to say it sounds kind of brilliant, that the artists can tell Spotify, hey, you know what, Spotify, that's great, you got this algorithm about my music and everybody's music, and that's all lovely and everything, but I, as the artist, actually, I want to focus on these new songs I've been writing. And as an artist who had to deal with capital, I can confirm that's the way artists feel about their music. As much as their fans might like their old music, I, as the artist, I really want my fans to focus on my new songs. And so Spotify hears this all the time. And so what Spotify is saying is we're going to let artists on Spotify tell us which of their songs to emphasize in our algorithms. And I honestly, I think that's kind of cool. So now back to the article, the, this program called uh, Discovery Mode is being tested in formats like radio and autoplay. In exchange for this prioritization, labels or rights holders agree to be paid a promotional re recording royalty rate for streams and personalized listening sessions where we provide the service. And to unpack that for not people who aren't lawyers in the music business is typically the labels are the rights holders and they say labels or rights holders. Well, that's very rare the case that the someone other than the labels are the rights holders for the streaming rights. Um, they agreed to be paid a promotional recording rate, which is different than the regular rate. Um, so for the privilege of telling us how to change our algorithms, you know, we're going to look because it benefits you that we do that. And in exchange, we're going to pay less of a royalty rate um, for the, for the listens that you get. So there's kind of a, a tit for tat. Uh, it says, but not everyone was excited about this opportunity to influence the music Spotify recommends to listeners. BMG and Beggars Group both signed concerned about the potential impact of discovery mode. Impala, an organization that represents indie labels in Europe, recently issued a 10-point plan to improve the streaming ecosystem. One recommendation called for no reductions in royalties in exchange for enhanced plays or privileged treatment in algorithms or other features that recreate elements of payola. And here's why they're saying this, because the artists don't own their own streaming rights. And the artists can tell Spotify, hey, here's what I would like you to prioritize of my music. The problem is the artists aren't the ones who own their rights. The labels do. And the person who owns the rights is going to get less money according to this new scheme. So the artists are the benefit by prioritizing their request as part of the algorithm. And the labels get paid less. As a result, so the labels say, fuck no, we don't want you to do that. Because those are, that's our music, not yours, silly artist. Tyler, does this also go towards more of direct artists and cutting out the middlemen potentially? Because as artists release more later or newer artists, they're going to be cutting out middle people with this. So this what this will ultimately do is force the artist to realize, the artists already realize that the labels are the bad guys in this equation. But they're, what this does is, it's Spotify sending a signal to the artists. Hey, actually, we're on your side. We want to do what you want to do. Let's fuck these labels. And so what you're going to see down the road is, hey, next time your contract expires, don't re-sign the contract with those fucking dirty, scummy labels. Well, let's just do something together. We'll make sure you get enough listens. You keep all your own rights. We'll pay you all of the money directly. And if you need a little money to record your record, yeah, we got that for you. You can come to us for that money. We'll do a deal and we won't take your rights. We'll let you keep your rights. And then that will be the end of, I only, that will be the end of the record labels. 
and you heard it here first. So I only wish that Prince were alive yeah. for this me, moment. Me too. Because I mean, you know, I, I think so much of what music has become is directly attributed to his fight with Warner Brothers, you know, during the days of Napster. Not but, just him. Um, yeah, this is what he's been, what, what he pushed for for so many yep, years. Yep, not just him. Particularly in his later years yeah, of life. He, he fought the good fight very notably, very visibly. A lot of other people have behind the scenes. And um, it, it will happen eventually. The, the label, the days of the labels are numbered. And Spotify's. Uh, yes. Tyler? How, how different are the financials for artists from Apple Music and Spotify? Not that different. And with that, Tyler, could you can, could you please, in one sentence, explain that? Because I am so confused. Initially, I thought it was a good thing. But now I'm thinking it's a really bad thing. But in one way, it sounds like a good thing. What, what's what, what's so a good thing? The idiots like me, this this whole thing that we just yeah. went over with the what artists it is, and, is, the, it's, and the record labels. So okay, so a, this, this falls under yeah. why tech news around the world is so interesting. Because you get people who know what's really going on behind these articles. Because at the face of this article, you, it's not clear what it's really all about. And what it's really all about is uh, the future of music is artists uh, being independent on these platforms like Spotify and Tidal and whatever. And content creators, meaning musicians, traditionally had to sign deals with record labels. And now the role of the record label is vastly diminished in the age of Spotify. Because Spotify is your distribution now. It used to be you would sign a record deal, you get a loan, you would make a record, you go on tour. The label tries to get you on the radio, which is this old box that people used to have in their car and in their houses to listen to music. But that radio is gone now, right? <laughs> so now the artist can go directly to the platform, which is Spotify. And so why sign a deal with a label? When I can, Spotify is saying, hey, yeah, you can sign up right now. Here's your account. Great. Give us your songs. Upload them. Great. We'll, we'll, we will distribute that for you, which used to be the label's job, right? Now, the, issue, the only issue at hand is the money to record the record and go on tour. And Spotify can now provide that as well because they've got all, they're a data company. And they can say, oh, yeah, we're watching you just like Instagram watches you, just like YouTube watches you. And we can see how many plays you're getting. And we let people listen to your music. And we know which music people are liking and listening to and sharing with their friends. And we know which music is worth uh, giving money to because we know people are going to continue to share that music uh, based on the analytics. And your people love your song. So we're going to give you some money to go and record a better version of that song and go on tour and promote yourself as an artist. and do all that well that you that was the label's role and now that's not needed anymore because by the way remember i said data companies versus non-data companies well guess what the record labels don't have data guess what spotify has data so guess what spotify is going to do to the labels game over so the artist and spotify are going to work together and what this headline is about is spotify saying hey artists we're willing to adjust our algorithms based on what you want us to promote but we're going to charge whoever owns the rights to the music. We're going to give them a little less money. Well, that turns out to be the labels. And the labels are saying, hey, wait a minute. That, those are our songs. And then it highlights the fact that the labels don't give a fuck about the artists. And no artist, you can't tell Spotify what you want to do because those aren't your songs. They're our songs. And, it, and it's forcing a wedge between the artists and the labels. And it makes Spotify look good in the process. 
So Spotify looks friendly to the artists, which they are. Spotify would love to do direct business with the artists and love to get the labels out of the game. And that's what's starting to unfold. And this is a very clever way for Spotify to show the artists, actually, we care about you. We're on your side. We want to work with you. And, and these labels are trying to fuck everything up. Okay, so yeah, Spotify is still the good guy, right? And I it comes it, down to money, distribution and ownership, as you pointed out, Tyler. So, so the distribution piece is, you know, one major piece, but then also ownership. Mm -hmm. So you have these major artists who, you know, have these incredible songs that don't own them because they sold their lives away when they were 17 to labels. And, and, and so I think that both of those factors will help to liberate the artists. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're about now 10 minutes from the Apple live stream, starting with um, Apple CEO Tim Cook jumping on stage. And before we do that, I want to make sure everyone is able to jump in with whatever it is they want to share. I see Squid Bliss is in the audience. She's an did artist. You, did you have the nasal spray? Sorry, did you have the, the nasal spray, the COVID nasal spray? Hold on one second. Hey, Yasser, are you, are you speaking English? Yeah, so I was wondering, uh, what's the uh, Apple keynote? Yeah. In 10 true. minutes. Yeah. And by the way, I... What is it about? What, He's asking what, what it is. is. Uh, just hang tight. They're going to tell you themselves what it is. It's the big an annual event. It's Apple's biggest event each year. They do it one time every year. They spend $50 million doing it. And they share the future of Apple with everybody. Once like Christmas morning for Apple geeks. And the Apple CEO is going to uh -huh. tell you what the future of Apple is, starting in 10 minutes. Yeah. Great. Welcome, Sweat Bliss. Yeah, hey, hold Tom. on one second. Flash your... Hold Hi. on one second. Hang, hang on. Hold your horses, everybody. Hang on, everyone. Uh, flash your mics if you have Katarina, something that you would Katarina like to share before something. we get into the Apple live stream. Okay, I'm going from top to down order. We get one minute each. Go ahead, Jordan. Okay, just really quickly on the news that's been discussed today, I want to merge two topics together. The first one is the fact um, uh, of dementia, right? And the other one is privacy. And I think that with this uh, keynote Apple live stream, Apple really needs to consider how they um, support people that are um, affected by dementia and Alzheimer's. So one example of that is with my father at the moment who's suffering from it. Um, you know, I struggle to get a hold of him on the phone. And there needs to be research done right by Apple to try and make it easier for people that are suffering for that, particularly when we evolve with iOS devices and we grow older and older. It would be nice to have um, something there that's, you know, supporting um, people that are suffering from that. And just to correlate that with privacy, I think that, you know, people that are suffering from that, that go into an Apple store, for example, how are we um, ensuring that they're secure and safe from people trying to infiltrate? Good point. Uh, I empathize as my gr my grandmother had Alzheimer's. And uh, so my I, my heart is with you and your father. Um, flash your mics, PTR order. We're just going to run through, make sure everyone's got a chance to chime in. JT? Yeah, I was just reading um, a new continuation pattern from Apple that uses um, a new mixed reality headset um, in combination with a base frame so that a base station could be an Apple uh, watch, it could be an iPhone, it could be a Mac, whatever it is. So it uses those two 
uh, peripherals to essentially generate content uh, frames and then send over that connection to the headset on display. Um, it has some various sensors such as world mapping sensors, head pose sensors. So these two world facing and user facing sensors are on the mixed reality um, headset that is on the Apple patent um, that I just read through today. I tweeted oh, that out and uh, I will, uh, I will retweet it as soon as I find it. Thank you for that, JT. And thank you for all the uh, awesome articles you're finding. And Katarina, by the way, is you know running for first place with Poppy for sharing fantastic articles. Katarina, you had something you want to jump in? Yeah, there was the antibody uh, spray. That's right. Spray for COVID um, yep. treatment and prevention. Then um, China is, uh, I found that interesting. China is also now the military looking for UFOs because there were in the last years more sightings and they are using AIs for that. Um, that was really interesting because they confirm also that there were a lot of sightings recently. Yep. Can you get closer um, to your microphone, please? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm outside. Sorry. And then there's the seaweed that tastes like bacon to solve our protein future issue with, you know, helping climate change. You know, seaweed produces oxygen and, yep. you know, because of photosynthesis. So, so it's the best way. So there's new seaweed that can make it taste like anything. And it's really good for climate change. Yep. Okay. Thank you for that, Katerina. Dr. Danish, go ahead. All right. So market's dipping. Uh, the Wall Street uh, 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 people are starting to, I mean, it's dipping to flat, but G7 advanced economies agreed to back 15% corporate tax rate mm -hmm. globally. Uh, and I don't know if you guys talked yes. about this already. And we I have, missed yeah. it. There was an article I okay, just perfect. retweeted 10 seconds ago. I'm trying to see who sent it in. I, you sent it in, the Wall Street flat yes. tax shares shrug off G7 tax deal. U.S. stocks were a little changed yep. on Monday as investors remained on the fence ahead of key inflation data later this week. Very thank you, very good share. And and then and then the other thing was right now, Biogen stock, uh, the one with the Alzheimer drug, uh, are set to reopen at eight hundred. Wow. They were they were at two eighty eight oh earlier. Holy today. shit! Like I said, raining money from the sky. I think is what I said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, I should have listened to Professor yeah. Asif. Yeah, that well, that is a game changer, as I said. And uh, when they have these home runs, it's like money, like traditional tech doesn't even, it, you know, it, it's it's like Amazon's Apple style money when they have these big home runs on these major diseases. Yeah. Um, Did you invest, Professor Asif? It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. He's not there. Are you there? No, I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay. All right. Um. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Willie in the audience who joins us regularly found a trend of the best article ever about this Facebook um, looks to expand paid events tool to host pay-per-views. And um, I'm just retweeting that now. And it's sort of, um, yeah, their version of what Twitter has coming up soon around monetizing um, uh, content. Uh, so thank you for that, Willie. I just retweeted that from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. And um, let's let's pause there with the headlines. And good job, everybody, on the headlines today, by the way. Three hours. Yeah. yeah. Came, came really fast. fast Three and hours, curious. and the room has consistently grown from zero, and we're now up to about 720. 
and uh, just in time for four minutes away. So how this, welcome everybody, if you're new to tech news around the world. Uh, what we're going to do is in precisely three and a half minutes, our friend Tim at Apple is going to jump up on stage and welcome us to the Worldwide Developer Conference 2021. And um, he's going to jump into the future of Apple, which we are very eager to unwrap these beautiful uh, Christmas presents here on uh, the Geek uh, version of Christmas Morning. And uh, we're happy to do it together with all y'all. So um, how we do this is we're going to go to apple.com where you can watch the live stream on your mobile or, or laptop. And then what we encourage you to do is turn off the volume, but, but keep the video going. Because Michael here next to me is going to have his volume on through his microphone where we can listen to it together in this room and commentary in real time on top of uh, the, the, the live stream audio through Michael, which is how we've done it in the past. And which is much better than just listening plain stuff and making drawing the own conclusion. As we Indeed it is. It, yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of because, by the way, we've got a bunch of smart people on stage who understand a lot of the tech that they're going to be unpacking. And um, I hope that Sid hasn't abandoned us, <laughs> but he might have to due to uh, not being an approved uh, Apple spokesperson, because that's a very thing they take incredibly seriously over there at Apple. That you and all the big tech companies, but especially Apple, they force their employees to go through very extensive training to become media certified to make any kind of public statements about anything they do. And um, he, as an engineer, no doubt hasn't gone through that training, so he's literally risking his job by. Uh, but Michelle certainly has gone through that, and Michelle joins us from Facebook each day, and that's why she's able to tell us all kinds of amazing stuff that's going on internally at Facebook. But it's why Sid needs to watch himself very carefully. But um, it's fun nonetheless. So I think we're now two minutes away. Indeed, we are. So I think it's time to go over to Apple.com, which I'm doing now. And indeed, this this uh, animation I they've been playing it. for the past five minutes is awesome, as is the song that they've been playing. Like the production value, even just in the buildup, is just. And so let's dope. talk about that for a second. Uh, if you compare, compare, yeah, if you compare that with the Facebook, right? One. So, <laughs> I was just going to say so that. So, <laughs> for those who are new, many of us on stage get together every day, twice a day, for hours a day, and some there's a couple new people on stage like Jordan, but the rest of us honestly have met countless times for countless hours. And we were here when Google did their event like this. We were here when Facebook recently did their event, and uh, Apple absolutely is the Pixar of uh, these events. They put, they are absolutely pushing the frontiers of what is possible with these types of events. And it was interesting to see Google really didn't really spend much of a budget. They put on a nice event. Actually, in hindsight, Facebook's event was a new shocking surprise uh, in the budget, the, in, in, in stretching the imagination of how cheaply you could put on one of these events. It looked like a Zoom call. Um, I think that they spent most of they spent most of their budget on the plants in the background. Um, and Apple has already spent more in the warm-up video to this event, which you can now see at Apple.com, than than Facebook did on their whole two-hour keynote. So we're really looking forward to what Apple's got in store here in just about 30 seconds. Michael, can you 
bring just, up the music uh, a little bit just want to yeah. point it out tyler uh, yeah. to the room for uh, those with low bandwidth it's being live streamed on youtube too and that's a faster experience if you're on low internet bandwidth thanks yes yeah, it's, it's a super cool animation it's super cool i love how all the emojis are like every time a message pops up they all start reading it so many cool little details oh, going on they're zooming in here we go folks For me, the dub dub is the Super Bowl. Oh, that's my friend. Energy. The second guy they like, just showed is my dear friend in Stockholm. What it feels like uh, being a developer. <laughs> he does a startup called LifeSum. Nice. Really? Marcus from LifeSum. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, we open on black. The curtain slowly opens. Have a DeLorean to stay. <laughs> Team Cook. Get out of that DeLorean, showing the phone the flex capacitor. I would probably not start there. <laughs> I think it's kind of geeky. That's him, Marcus. <laughs> We're gonna go <laughs> so we open on black. Does it have to be black? Doesn't have to be black. It could be, be yellow. yellow. Now my mind goes into like a cartoon. Imagine someone on their computer, you know, they have an idea and then, like they push like enter or some red button and it goes out to the world. And then all of a sudden there's like millions of people around the globe that get to experience the thing that you've made. Are you actually able to do all this? Um... Maybe the title <laughs> of the film should be Our Journey Into Tomorrow. I see a little girl in an endless white room. She meets Craig Federighi. Hi. But we don't see him. We just hear his voice. Not cool. Not cool. Not cool. Not cool. Now she's older and dressed for work. There has to be action at this point or like some sort of drama. She goes to work and discovers something catastrophic. Someone says, We have a bug. So she comes in and the bug is fixed yeah it's like a musical musical yeah the bug but a musical <laughs> we fixed the bug <laughs> we crushed the bug we fixed the bug we did it Wait a minute. Why not make arena rock of dub dub? They could have used your hair for this time. <laughs> but I think why not? Pyro is fine. Marcus! I love how much those two actually uh, look like Tim and Craig. I wonder why they didn't use the real. Tim and Craig Duck. Here comes the real Tim. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> oh, this is so cool. This is so I love cool. This. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's an audience of emojis. Good morning, and welcome to WWDC. It's wonderful to see so many familiar faces with us today. We're excited That's to share amazing. our latest technologies with you and with the incredible community of millions of Apple developers around the world. 
Your creativity and groundbreaking apps continue to deliver new and meaningful ways to enrich people's lives. We applaud the extraordinary work you've been able to do throughout this challenging time. Last year's WWDC was our most inclusive and most watched developer conference ever with nearly 25 million viewers. It was exciting to have so many people join us and to see the impact it had on new Apple developers as we broadened our audience, welcoming more people from more places around the world. We've continued to look for ways to help cultivate the next generation of developers with an emphasis on those underrepresented in technology. We host entrepreneur camps for black and female developers to foster the talents of future industry leaders. Our developer academies, including the newest in Detroit, prepare the coders of tomorrow with valuable tools and training. Damn. And Learn to Code offers an amazing curriculum for people to develop new skills and learn swift. We are committed to being a force for change as we seek to make the world a better place, full of opportunity for Amazing lighting on him. This year, we're bringing you another yeah, online experience featuring over 200 in-depth sessions, one-to-one -one labs with Apple engineers, and so much more. We'll provide the tools you need to continue creating the world's most innovative apps, apps that inspire us in new ways every day. And just like last year's WWDC, this entire conference will be made available for free. We've got a lot of exciting news and breakthrough innovations to share with you today. So let's get started by turning it over to Craig to tell us what's new in iOS. This is already a hundred billion times right. better than everything let's else. Let's dive right in. <laughs> For many of us, I like all the foreshadowing about virtual. And at the heart of iOS yeah. is iOS. iOS powers experiences we've come to rely on. And this year, we were inspired to create even more meaningful ways iPhone could help you. Our new release is iOS 15. It's packed with features that make the iOS experience adapt to and complement the way you use iPhone. Whether it's staying connected with those who matter to you most, finding the space to focus without distraction, using intelligence to discover the information you need, or exploring the world around you. Let's start off with features that will let you stay connected in brand new ways. In a year when figuring out how to get face-to-face -face has felt more essential than ever, we've all found ourselves using video calling for just about everything. And when it comes to making calls that are easy, spontaneous, and connect us with the people who matter most, FaceTime is a standout. With its incredibly intuitive design and end-to-end -end encryption since day one, FaceTime is how we catch up with friends around the world and how we stay close to family members when we're apart. Enjoying these deeply personal moments over video can bring so much joy, but it also has its challenges. Are they turning it into their own Zoom? When talking in person, our brains process hundreds of social, auditory, Are they and turning it into what? FaceTime and VR. Are they turning it into their own can Zoom? get lost, leaving us feeling drained. So this year, we've set out to make FaceTime calls feel more eye tracking, comfortable, Watch and this. lifelike. First is a feature that makes FaceTime calls sound like you're sitting in the very same room. We're bringing spatial audio to FaceTime, mm. creating a sound field that helps conversations flow as easily as they do face-to-face. -face. 
Now your friends' voices are spread out to sound like they're coming from the direction in which they're positioned on the video call. That's dope. Making your calls more comfortable and more natural. Next, let's talk about two powerful new options for your microphone. The first is voice isolation. When you're on a FaceTime call, your mic is picking up a cacophony of sound. So in voice isolation, machine learning distinguishes these sounds, blocks out the ambient noise, and prioritizes your apparently voice. Apparently, so apparently the mics on the new IMAX Check can it out. find Are your mouth from your camera and point Ooh. the mics to your mouth. Yeah, I saw Better, that. right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Sometimes, though, we want every I mean, bit of sound to come through. And that's when you switch to wide spectrum. In wide spectrum, your mic picks up an entire symphony's worth of sound, your voice, and everything around you. Next, let's turn to video. When you want to see every face in the room, you can now turn on grid view, giving you another way to view your group FaceTime calls. Here you see people in the same size tiles and you'll be able to clearly identify who's speaking while seeing everyone else's reactions. And to make your FaceTime video capture more beautiful than ever, we're introducing portrait mode, where we've taken inspiration from iPhone's stunning portrait photos. In FaceTime, portrait mode blurs the background and naturally puts the focus on you. Nice. Next, to help you schedule your FaceTime calls, we created now you can generate a link for a FaceTime call and share it anywhere. Oh, that's dope. It's a terrific way to plan ahead for a call. You can send the FaceTime link in places like messages, email, WhatsApp, or jump into calendar and make an event for your FaceTime call so everyone will know exactly it's where to meet Zoom on FaceTime. and when. And it's not just Apple devices that can use a FaceTime link to join your call. That was my next your question. Your friends with Android oh, hello. And devices can wow. use your FaceTime link wow. to join there the call. There you go. Right Zoom from their browser. the browser. And even on the web, FaceTime calls are still so cool. end-to-end so encrypted. Cool. So your privacy is never compromised. Jesus. Some of our favorite ways to connect involve more than just talking. Like getting together for a weekly movie night. Or listening to an album with a friend that brings back amazing memories. We love enjoying shared experiences, and so we built SharePlay. SharePlay is a powerful new set of features for shared experiences that you can enjoy when you're on a FaceTime call. With SharePlay, you can bring music into your call for a shared listening experience unlike any other. Watch movies and TV shows while having rich, real-time connection with your friends. And share your screen, giving you limitless possibilities for bringing apps, right into your FaceTime calls. It's about time. Let me show you how this works, starting with listening together. Say you're hanging out on a FaceTime, talking about a new album that came out over the weekend. With SharePlay, you could bring that album right into the conversation. When you're on a call, all you need to do is press play in Apple Music, and you can choose to listen together. And like magic, high-quality music playback wow. will start in sync for everyone on the call. And you're still <laughs> connected with FaceTime while listening. Everyone on the call can add songs to a shared queue, and shared playback controls let anyone press play, pause, or jump to the next track. Now, let's check out what it's like to watch That's really together. cool to do DJing together at a party and plug in the phone to the and PA system. Play. And boom, you yeah. and your friends are watching oh, the same shit. video totally in sync. SharePlay this is, is like any other shared content experience out there because it moves fluidly throughout the whole system. 
Maybe you want to order takeout while you watch. Picture in picture lets you see your friends and the video you're enjoying together. And controls are always accessible with just a tap. By if the way, it's working right now. stay connected with no I'm interruptions to the video phone, sound, you can jump into messages like and keep the conversation your, going there. Um, and when the moment calls for a bigger screen, my you can extend the video to your Apple phone. TV and watch it there while sharing the moment with your friends over FaceTime on your iPhone. Even when you're using SharePlay across multiple devices, everyone will remain in sync. We wanted to make sure you have a ton of incredible experiences to share in FaceTime. So in addition to Apple Music and the TV app, SharePlay is designed to work with your other favorite apps and streaming services. Say what? With an API built for easy adoption, yeah. developers can bring their own In other apps words, you right and 20 of your friends can watch and Netflix today, together so on your iPads. That we're already working with some incredible Watch blockbuster movies with your friends on Disney+. Plus and hit TV shows on Hulu, wow. catch originals wow, from wow, HBO wow, Max, wow. and see your friends react live to a buzzer beater in the NBA app or a speed run on Twitch. Jump on TikTok to watch the funniest videos of the wow, week, wow, wow, learn wow. a new skill with a friend on Masterclass, and so much more. Finally, check out screen sharing. You can use it to browse Zillow listings live with your future roommates or show off a tricky move Shut in your favorite game. What? Screen sharing is also a simple and super effective way to help someone out and answer questions right in the moment. And it works across Apple devices. So that's SharePlay, a whole new way to FaceTime and share experiences with the people you love. Next, when it comes to staying connected throughout the day, our go-to is messages. And these days, so many of our conversations are inspired through sharing articles, photos, and more. So this year, we're introducing great new ways to enjoy all of this amazing shared content and the exchanges that follow. Here's Mindy to show you how it all works. Thanks, Craig. I'm so excited to show you what's new in messages. Let's check out my family's conversation. Everyone's sending me pictures from our fun trip down to Joshua Tree. Look at this brand new collage design. Oh, wow. In this cool stack with even more photos from Taylor. Show that girl from the lawsuit them. who just had her nude photos uploaded at the Apple store. Even add a quick tap back. <laughs> this is really Now, dope. let's see what's going on with my friends. They're always sending me all kinds of things. Like this fun playlist from Leah. And this mission critical article from Casey about what type of pizza is best. The thing is, the time when I receive this great content is often different than when I'm ready to enjoy it. For example, I'm not going to read this right now, but I'd love to the next time I catch up on the news. Let me show you something we designed just for that called Shared With You. So now if I head over to the news app, there's a new Shared With You section that conveniently oh, surfaces dope. that pizza article and a few from my other friends. Now that I'm ready to learn more, I can take a look and check this out. Up top, it shows me who it's from and I can tap from Casey to pick up our conversation and remind her that deep dish is obviously the best kind of Damn pizza. Right. And then get right back to browsing. So now if I want to check out that playlist Leah sent earlier, I can head over to Apple Music. And it's right here. Let's take a listen. Love it. Definitely adding this one to my library. Now one I really love is photos. Remember those great pictures from my family's trip to Joshua Tree? Well, over in the Photos app, the new Shared With You section makes it super easy to get back to them. They'll also appear in my featured photos and memories. And what's really cool is they're automatically brought over to my library too. 
So if I scroll back to that Joshua Tree trip and drill in, you can see all the great photos my cousin sent are right here with the ones I took, making my collection so much more complete with zero effort. And Photos is smart enough to only bring over the ones I actually care about, like the ones I was there for, so I don't have to worry about screenshots or memes cluttering up my library. So that's sharing in iOS 15. Back to you, Craig. In addition to photos, Apple Music and News, mm. we built Shared with you into Safari, Apple Podcasts, and the Apple well, TV. Well, the FaceTime thing is really actually right? important. So it's pretty through. interesting. I think they're, they're easing into it. With you and places like search. So that's messages we shared with you, bringing connection to the places you love to enjoy content. Together with SharePlay and other powerful updates to FaceTime, we're giving you even more meaningful ways to connect. Of course, that means making the time for it. So we have new tools to help you focus on what matters most. Today, iPhone plays so many roles in our lives. It's where we get information, how people reach us, and where we get things done. This is great, but it means our attention is being pulled in so many different directions. And finding that balance between work and life can be tricky. We wanna free up space to focus and help you be in the moment. And that starts with notifications. They have a fresh new look, contact photos for people and larger icons for apps, making them even easier to identify. Notifications are useful, but they can pile up throughout the course of a day, breaking your focus in those moments when you're trying to get in the zone. And the truth is, while some notifications require your immediate attention, others could be dealt with later. To help you engage on your own time, we're introducing the Notification Summary, a helpful collection of your notifications <laughs> you can schedule to be delivered at any time you choose, like in the morning and evening. We use on-device awesome. intelligence based on how you interact with your apps to arrange Will there be ads? So it's easy to quickly catch up. Notifications in the summary are ordered by priorities. Notifications from people will not end up in the summary, so you won't miss important messages as they come in. If now really isn't a good time, you can use Do Not Disturb to silence all notifications. And it turns out, it's even easier to step away and focus if people know we're busy. So we created an easy way to signal to others when you're doing that. Now, when you're using Do Not Disturb, your status is automatically displayed in messages. When you reach out to someone who's indicated they don't want to be disturbed, you'll be reminded in that moment. And for truly urgent messages, there's a way to get through. While an important part of finding focus is about reducing distraction from others, it's also about drawing boundaries for yourself. There may be periods in your day when you want to be totally focused on work. Or maybe you just want to be fully present with your family at dinner. In these moments, you can use Do Not Disturb or strike more of a balance with Focus. Focus is a new way to match your device to your current mindset. With Focus, all you have to do is choose what you want to focus on. You can carve out time in your day for work, or your personal life. When setting up a focus, we use on-device intelligence about your past activity to suggest apps and people to allow notifications. I like how from. he keeps saying on-device. So work, you could choose to only be notified by coworkers or apps like Mail, Calendar, or Slack. You can even dedicate a page what on your phone screen to match your focus and organize your apps and widgets in a way on that device reduces is so temptations of privacy. by making only your work apps visible. For your personal life, 
will suggest being notified only by friends and family or apps like Calm. And for a home screen to match, you can have your favorite entertainment apps like YouTube or widgets for keeping up with your friends and family. We'll even intelligently suggest using a focus based on your context, using different signals like location or time of day. Of course, you can create a custom focus too. And when you use a focus on one device, it automatically sets on all your other devices. We think together, these tools are a really powerful way to help you find balance. Not only does iOS give you space to focus, it also uses intelligence to elevate your experience, helping you discover more in your photos, quickly find what you're looking for, and even relive special moments. Let's get started with a feature we call Live Text. Today, our photos are full of rich and useful information, from photos of places we visit to handwritten notes of family recipes. And now, Live Text unlocks this information in a way that's really natural. It starts with the camera. Let me show you. Let's say I just finished They're a meeting really getting into AI now. and I want to yeah, capture my notes from the whiteboard. This is awesome. I can now just point the camera at the whiteboard and an indicator appears here in the lower right. When I tap it, the text just jumps right out. I can use my normal text selection gestures, just drag and Whoa. copy. <laughs> now I can switch over to mail and paste those in and then send this off to Tim. How cool is that? This will revolutionize note-taking. Yeah, it's just like one note. That's why I use one note. Right, Microsoft. There's some text. Now, I can just select it like this, and I have the option to use a lookup. Wow. Find out more about this restaurant and even look up its location. Oh, and here's a picture from a friend. Now, you may notice here in the background is a phone number. I can just zoom in, and with live text, it's recognized with a link. Now, I can think just about how all this could be used. Give this place a call, just like that. I know. Hi, Wonderland Creamery. Oh, uh, whoops, sorry. Uh, I just find the most neurotic company on the planet. Here to a photo of your shop. No actual need for ice cream at this time. Uh, Got to drop. Bye. Live text works with photos across the entire system, including screenshots, quick look, uh, and I love even it. photos on the web. And it understands seven languages, including simplified and this traditional is another step Chinese, towards AR. and works across iPhone, mm -hmm. iPad, and Mac. And it's not just text. You can also look up information on recognized objects and scenes. Just tap, and you can look <laughs> up information like the breed of a dog or type of a flower. And this Stand works back. for art, books, nature, pets, and landmarks. We're also making it easier to search for your photos by adding photos to wow, Spotlight. Wow, wow, wow. This Spotlight is, is wow. the universal place to start all of your searches. Now, with photo search in Spotlight, you can quickly find your photos right from the home screen. Spotlight leverages intelligence from the Photos app so you can search by people, scenes, elements in your photos, or location, like San Francisco. And leveraging live text, Spotlight can even find text in your photos, which is great when you're looking for a photo of a recipe, a receipt, or even a handwritten note. We've also added all-new results for contacts. You'll have quick <laughs> access to call, text, FaceTime, or email them, and Spotlight intelligently includes everything related to them. Their location, if shared through Find My, recent conversations, shared photos, calendar appointments, notes, and files. And we've added all new results for actors, musicians, TV shows, and movies as well. That's Spotlight.
Next, let's talk about how Photos uses its deep understanding of what's in your library to enable powerful emotional features like memories. Memories intelligently curates your favorite moments, stitching photos and videos together into heartfelt movies. To take a closer look at what's new, here's Chelsea. Thanks, Craig. This year, we've got the biggest update ever, including bringing Apple Music into your memories for the first time. Let me show you. Here in the Photos app, I can tap on the For You tab, and my memories are right at the top. Check out this beautiful new animated title card. Oh, that's cool. Let's watch this one of my climbing adventures. You'll hear a relevant, personalized song from Apple Music that brings the memory to life. Do people look at this sort of stuff, though? I wonder. I use them all the time. On the fly. Yeah, even They're I use them on the and alive, and are paced to the beat of the music. I can touch and hold to pause, and the music continues to play. Like pre-pandemic, when, when we would go to clubs or go out to parties or barbecues and, and things like that, again. I would always send them instead of swipe. making like just random slideshows. I would always send the memories to everybody. I can tap to bring up the controls, then tap this button to jump in. Swiping on this carousel lets me try out different mixes with intelligently chosen songs, pacing, and a look to match. Notice how the feel of the memory changed with a calmer song, slower transitions, and a black and white look. This faster song has a more energetic feel. And these looks aren't just filters. We analyze each photo and apply consistent color and contrast, just like a colorist at a film studio. To check out Machine more intelligent learning. song suggestions, I'll tap on the music button. You'll notice these top suggestions are a great fit for my climbing memory. With tens of millions of songs in the Apple Music Library, <laughs> experts have curated sets of songs that are combined with my music tastes and the knowledge of what's in my photos to create personalized recommendations just for me. I can search for a specific song by tapping on the magnifying glass but I'm gonna go with something from my listening history. This song from Imagine Dragons will be perfect. And I can keep watching related memories, personalized with my favorite songs from Apple Music. And now back to Craig. Yeah, I can imagine Fly how the text, pandemic killed look up, that kind of stuff. Spotlight really well. and memories. This is a perfect time to be announcing it now that everyone's about to be able to go back out. Intelligence. Next, let's talk about how iOS helps you better understand and explore the world around you with some great updates to Wallet, Weather, and Maps. To tell us about what's new in Wallet, here's Jennifer. With the Apple Wallet app, we set out to replace your physical wallet. Starting with Apple Pay, we added payment cards to make payments safer and more secure. Next, we brought transit cards with express mode to your iPhone. You just breeze through the turnstiles in San Francisco, New York, Beijing, Tokyo, and more. And just recently, Walt Disney World added their park passes, creating magical moments as you tap to enter, ride, and explore. You can never leave home without your keys. So we're continuing to add keys to Wallet and making them even better. We started with car keys, which we're improving with ultra wideband support for an unlock and drive experience. No need to take your iPhone out of your bag or pocket. 
BMW and others will ship cars with UWB starting later this year. With iOS 15, we're bringing keys for your everyday places to wallet. Starting with where you live, we're creating the fastest, most secure way to unlock your house, apartment, or flat. And where you work, just add your corporate badge and tap to enter your building or office. And Whoa, where you travel with hotel sick. keys, you'll automatically receive your key when your room is ready, even before you arrive at the hotel. Starting this fall, Hyatt Hotels will start rolling this out to over a thousand properties worldwide, creating a faster and safer you experience. You use your Apple Watch too. Anywhere you go, just tap to unlock. An incredible range of partners for locks and access systems have signed on to support keys for all the places you go. However, to be fully free of your physical you're not wallet, watching, they just showed there's about 40 one more companies. thing we need to bring to iPhone, and that's your ID. So we're bringing identity cards to Apple Wallet. Ooh. This fall, you'll just scan your driver's license or state ID and participate Love in it. US states. It's that easy. Your ID information is now in Wallet. All right, so get on board. and safely stored in the secure element, the same hardware technology that makes Apple Pay private and secure. And the TSA is working to enable airport security checkpoints as the first place you can use your digital ID. Dope. When you present your ID, you'll know what specific information is requested and securely presented. With just a tap, you're off to your flight. So that's Wallet on your iPhone and Apple Watch. Back to you, Craig. That's it. Next up, weather. The weather app is incredibly popular and it's getting a huge update. First, we're introducing a beautiful new design with data and layouts that change based on conditions, such as wind and rain, unhealthy air quality, or sunny skies. We've also added new weather graphics to help users better understand conditions like wind, UV index, and barometric pressure. And we've completely redesigned the gorgeous animated backgrounds. There are now thousands of variations that more accurately represent the sun position, clouds, and precipitation. And the weather app in iOS 15 includes full-screen, high-resolution weather maps. These maps show temperature, animated precipitation, and air quality that provide a whole new way to see the weather around you. Next, we have some really big updates for another app our users depend on every day, Apple Maps. Apple Maps is the best way to navigate your world. It's easy to use and beautifully designed, while providing the confidence that your privacy is protected. Here's Meg to tell you more. Two years ago, we started rolling out our new map, offering richer details and more accurate navigation to help you get around. Built from the ground up, we've launched our new map so far in the US, UK, Ireland, and Canada, and we're excited to announce we're bringing the new map today to Spain and Portugal, and later this year, we'll add Italy and Australia. Our goal has always been to build the world's best map. So we looked at everything we've done so far and asked ourselves, how can we push things even further? We started by building a gorgeous interactive globe that invites users to tap and explore. This is a whole like new way of looking at the world. Yep. But it's in cities where we're taking Apple Maps to an entirely new level. Our current map is great, and our users have told us it's a lot more useful for navigation and exploration. 
But in iOS 15, maps will offer incredible new details for commercial districts, marinas, buildings, and so much more. We've added things like elevation, it's like little drawings of the yeah. yeah. design landmarks really cool. for places like Point Tower and the Golden Gate Bridge. I love it. And we built like a, a video beautiful game. new nighttime mode. It is. With a a metaverse. Be the metaverse. <laughs> we think all of these improvements are going to make exploring like a the cities so much fun for Maps users. And when a user is ready to go somewhere, Maps and iOS 15 will make getting there way better. Let's start with driving. We've added a great deal of new road details to the map so we can help drivers so as they move throughout a city to better see and understand important things like turn lanes. This is kind of bizarre, really, to look at. Bus and I almost feel like we should drop and people more. in that and start like, walking around doing things. Detail, including the addition <laughs> it's very of and bike lanes, very cool. will help drivers more I want this to navigate complex intersections. And when driving on highways, Max now renders overlapping Whoa. complex interchanges in three-dimensional space, Holy making shit. it much easier to see upcoming traffic conditions or to know which lane you need to be in. It looks so much better. And of course, wow, we'll be bringing this driving experience to CarPlay later this year. But it's not just driving. We've also made big improvements for transit riders by helping them easily find nearby stations. Did someone screen cap that? And even keep track on their Apple Watch, so there's no need to take your phone out of your pocket. Yeah, but let's Maps see how they keep up with New York City MTA. Notifying you it's time to disembark as you approach your final destination. And if you've ever exited a station, unsure of which direction you need to go, Maps will help get you back on track. Simply hold up your iPhone, Whoa. scan the buildings in the area, and Maps will generate a highly accurate position, wow. delivering detailed wow, wow, wow. directions okay. and augmented AR shit. to help you complete your journey. Whoa. That's Full literally what we were describing like three a couple weeks ago. In these cities by the end it was of super imposing arrows on top many of more to like come the visuals next year. that you're seeing through your phone. And that's beautiful. the all-new Apple Maps. Back to you, Craig. So that's just some of what's new in Apple Maps, an incredible new way to explore the natural beauty of the world and an amazing new three-dimensional city experience Holy with improved God. navigation. iOS 15 is a great release that helps you stay connected, find focus, discover more with on-device intelligence, and explore the world. And there's more, including voice search in Safari, powerful support for cross-app drag-and-drop, and new outfit options from Emoji. So that's iOS 15 with powerful new features that enhance how you use iPhone. 14 was such a big and of update. Course, one I didn't of our think most popular be accessories for iPhone is AirPods. To tell you about what's new, here's Guggen. I love the production value of these videos. So good. AirPods have helped us enjoy music like never before. What was Facebook thinking? And they've helped us stay connected in so many different ways, whether to friends and family, to our devices, or to our favorite entertainment. With iOS 15, we have some great new features coming to AirPods. Starting with Conversation Boost, which is designed to help people with mild hearing challenges stay more connected in conversations. Through computational audio and beamforming microphones, Conversation Boost focuses your AirPods Pro on the person talking in front of you, 
making it easier wow. to hear and follow kind along of pseudo in a face-to-face conversation. Yeah. Wow. And to help wow. you hear the conversation even better, you can also reduce the amount of ambient noise. Wow. Next, when you can't reach for your iPhone, announced messages with Siri helps you stay connected. iOS 15 takes this further with announced notifications. Now Siri can automatically read your important time-sensitive notifications to you, like when your dinner has been delivered. And when you set a location for your reminder, like the grocery store, Siri will read your shopping list to you right when you need it. <laughs> you can easily choose which apps to enable and select Do Not Disturb when you don't want to be interrupted. And if you're using the new focus feature, your notification preferences are already taken into account. Next, we have significantly improved how AirPods work in Find My. With iOS 15, you can locate your AirPods Pro and AirPods Max using the Find My network. Your AirPods simply send out a secure Bluetooth beacon that can be detected by other Apple devices. They can relay your AirPods location to the network and then back to your Find My app. And if they're nearby, just choose Play Sound. Listen I need to find my right earphone. Where is it? Everybody who just bought AirTags for those. And the new proximity view in the Find My app lets you know when you're getting close. To make it even less likely to lose your AirPods, you can now receive a separation alert to notify you if you leave your AirPods behind. Finally, last year we introduced spatial audio with dynamic head tracking for AirPods Pro and then elevated the experience even further with the high fidelity audio of AirPods Max. Enabled by computational audio, the three-dimensional theater-like sound really makes movies come to life. This fall, we're excited to extend spatial audio to tvOS. So now you can enjoy the full surround experience tuned for the big screen in your living room without disturbing the rest of the house. And with dynamic head tracking, it properly responds as you move about the room. We're also bringing spatial audio with dynamic head tracking to macOS on our new M1-powered Macs, so you can enjoy spatial audio on all of your devices. Wow. In addition, we recently announced spatial audio for Apple Music with the incredible multi-dimensional sound experience of Dolby Atmos. And we're excited that it's available starting today with albums from some of your favorite artists like Ariana Grande, The Weeknd, J Balvin, and Casey Musgraves. With the benefits of Conversation Boost, the convenience of Find My, and the enhanced experience of spatial audio, there are some great new features coming to the AirPods family. Now back to you, Craig. It's time to talk about iPad OS. iPad is an incredibly versatile device with its unique blend of mobility, innovative technologies, and touch-first user experience. And this experience is powered by iPad OS. With iPad OS, we build distinct capabilities that make it possible for iPad to become whatever you need it to be. Like when you're browsing your photos, an iPad becomes an album of your most precious memories held right in your hands. Or when you pick up Apple Pencil and it becomes your notepad, a markup tool, or a canvas for new artwork. Or when you attach a keyboard and trackpad and it becomes a powerful way to work on your most important documents. This unique set of capabilities mean that you can get things done right in the moment and can seamlessly move from capturing and working on your ideas to sharing them. With iPadOS 15, we're taking this versatility further, making iPad even more capable and more intuitive. And we started right on the home screen with widgets. They offer beautiful, glanceable information at just the right moments. And this year, we have a big update. Now you can place widgets among the apps on your home screen. Finally. This is a huge deal. 
Awesome. Let me show you how it it's works. It's only been on iPhone for two years. Okay, here I am on the home screen. You can see that I already have a few widgets placed along the top. Let's start by adding a widget. I'll bring up the widget gallery. Here, you'll notice some new widgets, like the beautiful new Find My widget and the Contacts widget, which helps you reach family and friends. Anyone who has an iPhone with widgets knows Let's what to do Let's find a good already. spot for this towards the top here. Now, I'll go back to the gallery and grab the Parcel widget for tracking my incoming packages right on the home screen. Perfect. Now, of course, a bigger canvas means more room for widgets. So we're adding a new larger format for widgets designed just for iPad's larger display. Here's the new Apple TV widget. I can easily dive into my favorite shows with a tap. And here's my gaming page. The new Game Center widget lets me jump into my games faster and discover what to play with friends. And check out the new large size photo widget. It really puts my favorite photos front and center. And with this larger files widget, I can keep tabs on all my work projects. Now with pages full of these great widgets, some of my less frequently used apps have gotten pushed to later pages. We wanted to make it easier to get to all of your apps. So we've brought App Library to iPad. You can see all my apps are here automatically categorized for me. And what's really cool is we built access to App Library right into the dock. So no matter where you are, you can always get to your apps. And now that you so have clean. App Library, you can hide pages that you Mac no longer OS need. is going down. Just like this. A lot and of this is even reorder them. Nice They're just right it on iPad here. as well. Yeah. That's widgets it's and so App clean. Library. I'm so happy you're finally going bringing to that over to the iPad. And access all your apps on iPad. We also have a major update for another key part of the iPad, iPad like a multitasking. This year, we've made it easier to discover, easier to use, and even more powerful. To give you a closer look, here's Shabam. Thanks, Craig. In iPadOS 15, there's a new control that appears at the top of your apps. Tapping on it reveals the multitasking menu. From here, I can take an app full screen or work with two apps at the same time by creating a split view or slide over. I'll tap on the split view icon and the app slides to the edge of the screen, giving me quick access to my home screen where I can select from any of my apps. I've been working on a podcast, so I'll choose Ferret. And now I can work with Ferret and Notes at the same time in split view. It's also really easy to switch apps in split view. If I want to replace Ferret, I can swipe down and Notes moves aside, letting me pick another app from the home screen. Let's select Mail. This works exactly the same way to choose a new app for either side of the screen. And we brought the same ease of multitasking to apps with multiple windows. In Mail, I can touch and hold on this message to open it centered on my screen. This allows me to read the entire email without leaving my current view. And I have the same multitasking controls here too. So I can easily it's move It's a window centered on top of the two split screen. But I want to save this email yeah. and come back to it later. So I can just swipe down to minimize it into a new area we're calling the shelf. The shelf gives me easy access to all open windows of an app. Let's go to Safari. And you'll see that the shelf appears automatically when I switch apps. I often have a lot of Safari windows open, many in split view paired with other apps. And now I can just tap to quickly switch between them. I can also add or remove windows right here from the shelf. We've made the app switcher even more powerful. 
I can now create a split view just by dragging one app over another. So that's multitasking in iPadOS 15. Now back Why to Why do I need to buy a Mac again? These nice new multitasking features will help our users be more productive and do even more on their iPad. And what's really cool is we now have a new set of keyboard shortcuts that let you do all of this without lifting a finger. iPadOS 15 also gives you more powerful ways to capture and organize your information with notes. This year, we're adding powerful new features for collaboration and organization. First, we're adding mentions. Just mention someone in a shared note and they'll get a notification linking them back. There's also an all new activity view that quickly shows you what's changed in a shared note while you were away. And to give users new ways to organize their notes, we're adding tags. You can add a tag anywhere in your note and then use the tag browser to quickly find your notes. But sometimes you just wanna quickly jot down a note to remember something important for later. And that's why we're taking notes system-wide with a feature we call Quick Note. Quick Note is a fast and easy way to get to a note no matter what you're doing. Here's Will to show you how it works. Thanks, Craig. Starting a quick note is easy. When I swipe, the note appears out of the corner of the screen. Now that I've started a note, I can type or I can write with Apple Pencil. It's perfect for jotting down something like a phone number. And when I'm done, swiped up I just the swipe right it away. With the pencil and it Let's open Safari. Yeah, I'm going to use this all What's the time. super cool about it? I know, I was just thinking the same it's thing. It's aware of the app I'm using. I'll start a new quick note on top of Safari. And now I can easily add a link from the website into my quick note. I can tap this link anytime to return to this exact site. Let's go to a website and add a link to earlier. Really refined. A small thumbnail pops up in the corner. It allows me to quickly get back to my. Yeah, I love this. You can see all the information I found. Yeah, it's fantastic. You'll notice this text highlighted on the page. I added this text to my quick note, and tapping on a link from a highlight takes me right to the content on the page. Wow. I can add a link from almost any app I'm using. I'm already not disappointed. Third-party apps. Here's a link from Yelp. And if I tap, it takes me right to the restaurant listing. I can swipe across my quick note to see my most recent one at any time I want to see all my quick notes. I can find them right where you'd expect in notes. Now back to Craig. Thanks, Will. So that's Quick Note, a new way to capture information anywhere. Quick Notes can be created on iPadOS and macOS, and you can access and edit them later on iOS. Now, let's talk about Translate. In just one year, Translate has already helped users make billions of translations on iOS. So we're excited to bring Translate to iPad with experiences that leverage iPad's unique capabilities, like practicing handwriting in another language with Apple Pencil, or translating right next to your document with Split View. And Translate was designed for conversations so we're making conversations feel easier and even more natural with auto-translate. Auto-translate detects when you're speaking and in which language, so no one needs to tap a button to respond. Holy cow. Just speak and let translate do the rest. We're also That's excited amazing. to announce system-wide translation. So you can translate text anywhere. Just select the text and tap translate. With live text, you can like even WeChat. translate text in a photo. System-wide translation is available on iPadOS, 
iOS and macOS. And of course, you can download languages to use it all of these features photo, on device. Whether you're working on a document or yeah, meeting with it. someone, Translate makes iPad even more powerful. That now, is perfect for let's talk about Swift Playgrounds and how it's bringing a whole new dimension of productivity to iPad. Swift Playgrounds is a great way to learn to code through a series of Apple design lesson plans that are interactive and fun. This year, we're taking it even further by adding the ability to build apps on iPad. You build these apps with Swift wow. UI, which makes development <laughs> easy. The code you write is immediately reflected in the live preview of your app. This new project type even works with Xcode on Mac. Swift Playgrounds now supports improved code completion. This is why they put the start typing in the iPad and quickly Pro. add the suggestion yep. to the code. You also have access to the whole library of UI there goes app and developer the documentation jobs. to go with it. And if you're new to app development, there's a guide to creating your first app. While you're developing your app, no, you can create run more it app developers. to try it out. And when you're ready, I think this will create way more jobs. for the App Store. My 12-year-old brother is amazing. You can now build apps for iPhone and iPad on iPad. We think this will take this iPad. It just opens place. it up to so many more people. That's yeah, iPad OS 15. Who could Taking afford the, the iPad? Ability of iPad even further with new widget layouts for your home screen, app library, and a redesigned multitasking experience. New yeah, note-taking and translation features and the ability to build apps with Swift Playgrounds. Combined with the great new features we talked about in iOS, it's time to completely rethink what you can do with your iPad. Next, let's get into privacy. This is interesting. <laughs> oh, man. The key he just button. opened up a hole in the floor and jumped through At it. Apple. We believe privacy is a fundamental love, human right. But I love the, uh, we don't think the you parallel have to make to a trade off between great features and privacy. And the room is dark. We believe you deserve <laughs> so both. Dope. Since the beginning, we've worked to help you keep your personal data under your control. And over the years, we've integrated powerful privacy controls into our operating systems, most recently adding privacy nutrition labels and app tracking transparency. Today, privacy is more important than ever. Because Michael, I'm not sure about this. I'm getting triggered. Apps, you can be tracked by a complex ecosystem of data brokers and ad tech firms, often without your permission. We don't think this is right. We believe in protecting your privacy and giving you transparency and control over your information. And to tell you about the new ways we're giving you even more control, here are Katie and Eric. Thanks, Craig. Let's start with mail. If you're like me, you get a lot of marketing emails like this. What you may not realize is that many of these emails use invisible pixels to collect information about your mail activity, like when you open a message and even your IP address. We think you should be able to choose whether to allow this or not. So now in the mail app, we're introducing mail privacy protection. Here's what yes, it does. Go. It hides your IP address so senders can't link it to your other online activity or determine your location. And it prevents senders from seeing if and when you've opened their email. Yeah. So now you can catch up on email with greater peace of mind. 
shots fired and protecting you against cross-site tracking this with intelligent tracking prevention. And this year, we're making it even stronger by also hiding your IP address from trackers, so they can't use it to link your activity across this different sites change the or learn your location. Yikes. You can see which trackers are prevented from profiling you in the Safari Privacy Report. We wanted to bring this same transparency to apps you use too. So we're introducing the App Privacy Report. This new section of settings gives you an overview of how apps treat your privacy. You can see how often apps use the permission you've granted to access your location, photos, camera, wow. microphone, contacts, and more during the last seven days. And to find out who your data is shared course. with, you can see all the third-party domains Holy the app is shit. contacting. So these are our the new The tinfoil guys are going to be calls. super happy. Now, let's talk about Siri. Siri is available across all of your Apple devices, allowing you to quickly get things done with just your voice. <laughs> and Siri is being used more than ever on over 600 million devices each month. We recently added more diverse Siri voice options, and they sound incredible. Hi, I'm Siri. If you need anything, just ask. Now, Siri has a ton of great me? new features this year. But today we want to focus on a major update to privacy. Siri's designed to process as much data on device as possible, keeping your information private. And with the power of the neural engine, we're able to do this more than ever. Today, we're introducing on-device speech recognition. This means that by default, your audio is all processed right on your iPhone or iPad. This addresses the biggest privacy concern we hear for voice assistants, which is unwanted audio recording. And this has some great benefits beyond privacy. First, you can now make many requests without an internet connection, launch apps, change settings, control music, and more. Second, on-device processing speeds things up. Check this out. I'll do a few requests back-to-back. -back. Open photos. Open They're doing calendars. this partially because your, computer, your phone is faster than your Turn on airplane mode. in a lot of cases. Yeah. Set a timer for 20 minutes. Switch to dark mode. Wake me up at 7 a.m. It's amazing how fast Siri is with on-device processing. I mean, it's just going through For these one For those of some of the yeah, so protections in Mail, Safari, and your apps, along with on-device speech recognition for Siri. Back to you, Craig. Next, another part of our ecosystem that puts your privacy first is iCloud. Here to tell you about some great new updates is Mike. Apple is so far ahead on everyone else on privacy. It's Many amazing. of us rely on iCloud. I know, it's amazing. A lot of personal information. And it's important to always have access. So let's start off with two improvements we're making to your Apple ID. First, we're adding a new way to get back into your account if you ever forget your password or get locked out. You will now have the option to add people you trust, like family and friends, to a recovery contact list. They won't get any access to your account, but if you ever forget your password, you can call them to get the code you need to get right back in. It's fast, easy, and secure. Second, we're launching a new digital legacy program. We don't often think about it, but it's important that we can easily pass down information to family members or friends when we pass away. You'll now be able to add people to your account as legacy contacts. Oh, wow. So when you're gone, they can simply request access and your information can be passed along quickly and easily. 
iCloud has always kept your important information like photos, documents, and notes safe, up-to-date, and accessible across all of your devices. And today, we're making some big updates. We're upgrading our paid subscription to something that we call iCloud Plus. iCloud Plus combines everything you love about iCloud with some great new features, starting with something to help protect your privacy online. On any given day, we all use a variety of networks to browse the web, from the internet in our own homes to public Wi-Fi on the go. And behind the They're scenes, about network providers and websites can combine your identity and browsing history into a detailed profile about you. So now, in addition to everything Safari does to protect you online, we are introducing a new service called Private Relay. Hey, I know him. It lets you browse with Safari in an even more secure and private way. And the way it works is really cool. It ensures that the traffic leaving your device is encrypted, so no one can intercept and read it. Then all of your requests this, are sent to anti steroids It's designed so that no one, including Apple, can see both who you are and what sites you're visiting. And it does all this without compromising performance. Next, let's talk about another iCloud Plus feature, Hide My Email. We've all had moments when we've thought twice about sharing our personal email address, like when we're filling out a form on the web. With Hide My Email, you can share a unique oh, wow. random address that forwards messages to your personal inbox, and it's built right into Mail, Safari, and iCloud settings. So it's easy to set up uh, as I many addresses that. as you need. They just killed you so many time, uh, keeping you in temporary email websites. iCloud Plus also includes built-in support for HomeKit Secure Video. More and more of us are using security cameras to keep an eye on our homes. With iCloud Plus, you can connect more cameras than ever. And none of the video counts against your iCloud storage. It's just a part of your subscription. Of course, you'll still get everything else you love about iCloud, including photos, backup, and iCloud Drive. They just and hit the Amazon, too. Is, we're not changing our prices yep. at all. You'll get all of iCloud, plus our new private relay service, Hide My Email, and expanded HomeKit Secure Video support. Same prices as with before. With the same low prices we offer today. Dope. We're really excited to be giving users an even more private So it's just an addition to our iCloud Plus. subscription, then. Now over to Sumble yep. for the latest developments in health. <laughs> Your health and the well-being of your family is always important to you, and never more so than this past year. Apple's commitment to health is stronger than ever. We're collaborating with medical experts to accelerate health innovation, and we're empowering individuals to improve their health as well as make it easier for them to participate in large-scale research studies. With our APIs, developers are using our devices and health app to come up with ingenious ways to push things forward. Here's an example. I'm Francoise Marvel. I'm a cardiology fellow at Johns Hopkins. Seth Martin, I'm also a cardiologist at Johns Hopkins. Seth and I spend our days alongside our patients at the bedside. You know, six white coats hovering over a bed, and we're trying to actually share what the patient's condition is, how they need to improve their life. We use medical jargon, we speak quickly, we confuse patients, and they're left on their own. 
there has to be a better way than just treating a patient, handing them a bunch of papers, and expecting that they're going to understand how to change their life. We thought, well, what if we completely re-engineer the process for a heart attack patient by using research kit, care kit, health kit, and then connecting it with an Apple Watch so we can bring in key cardiovascular metrics that help us to know patients are doing well. When Francoise was in the technology accelerator program at Hopkins, the work there led to this phone call with Apple. And towards the end of the phone call, Francoise said to Divya at Apple, what can we do to accelerate this? And Divya said, you guys got to come out to Cupertino. Let's turn your vision into reality. And we had a Silicon Valley Airbnb. And we started side by side coding with our iOS developers. And then every couple hours, we would talk about their vision and the tools they could leverage. We go to a whiteboard and we lay out, here are the things you guys should go tackle. And we go back to our Airbnb, pour more coffee, you know, order some bubble teas, eat some food. And then we would go into Cupertino. They'd come back into Cupertino piled in a minivan and spend like almost a full day there getting more feedback, working with their teams. And then they would leave our offices and work through the night building and implementing the things we had talked about with our tools and their vision. We ultimately made magic together. We left Cupertino invigorated and guess what? Our clinical trial was able to save an incredible amount of people from having complications and come back to the hospital and it reduced hospital readmissions by 52% and likely saved a lot of lives. I remember we were just sitting outside beautiful Cupertino weather and it was just one of those moments where it dawned on us that Corey app was going to have an impact on so many people's hearts around the world. This is the start of something incredible. It's the spark and now it's like fire. And the death of a Swedish startup. This is just one of the many inspiring stories. A critical part of taking care of yourself is monitoring changes in your health, which can be subtle and easy to miss over time. So this year, we're offering three new features to help you to identify, measure, and understand those changes. And here's Aditi to tell you about the first of these features. See, Apple is focusing Let's on start the patient, with everybody mobility. Else is focusing on the, the way that you move and exactly. walk can indicate balance issues and exactly. impairment. This is the Makes leading cause of falls in adults. Currently, fall risk is assessed by a care provider through a questionnaire and an in-person evaluation. But this can miss out on your everyday movement, so important changes can go unnoticed. Your iPhone already captures mobility data as you walk with scientifically validated metrics. We're building on this to introduce a completely new way to assess your risk of falling called walking steadiness. For the first time ever, you can get insight if your fall risk increases and take action early to improve your steadiness. Let's take a quick look at some of the science behind this. As you walk with your iPhone, the built-in motion sensors automatically measure how fast and how evenly you walk, the length of your steps, and the timing of each step, right down to how often you have both feet on the ground. Wow. Combined, these metrics provide powerful insight on changes in your balance, stability, and coordination. We used real-world data from the Apple Heart and Movement study with over 100,000 participants across all ages. This is the largest data set ever used to study fall risk, and it's helped create this first-of-its-kind health metric. You can view your walking steadiness in the health app, 
you'll see a classification of okay if the metrics show that you're stable while walking. You can see how your walking steadiness may change as the months go by and receive a notification a if your steadiness is low or very low and you're at increased risk of falling. You can also learn how to improve your steadiness. There are movement exercises right in the health app and these can help you increase your strength and balance and reduce your it's risk like of falling. Now back to Fumble to tell you about sure. another way to yeah, monitor really health dope. changes. It also you can fingerprinting. already view lab results like your cholesterol right in the health app. I love how it all in the U.S. alone, 14 billion clinical laboratory tests are performed each year. That is a lot of information to keep track of. When you see your own results come in, it can be hard to understand what these tests mean or what has changed. The health app will now include detailed descriptions to help you better understand your lab data. For example, when you receive a cholesterol result, you can now see that the LDL is a bad cholesterol and having too much may put you at risk for heart disease. You can also now see whether your labs are within expected ranges. Together, these views will help you get even more meaning from your lab results. Many health changes happen over time. So to better understand your health even more holistically, we're introducing trends. You'll get insight on long-term changes across areas such as steps, resting heart rate, blood glucose, sleep, and much more. You'll also be alerted when there's a new trend in your data, which may be something you wanna monitor more closely or even discuss with your physician. So if you're getting more daily walks in, your health summary will show that your steps taken have increased over the last few months. This is a great way to celebrate progress towards meeting your health goals and a powerful new way to get early that. insight into potential health issues. With trends, walking steadiness, and a better labs experience, you have three new ways to see changes in your overall health. You Another really important part of managing your health is having meaningful conversations with your doctor. During your visit, physicians look at your vitals and labs, but will also ask you about everyday health activities like exercise and sleep. And patients can often have difficulty remembering all of these details, but the health app has all of this valuable information. So to support this conversation, you can now share health data that you choose with your healthcare provider in a private way. For example, if you have a concern about your heart health, you can now share your heart data. This is shared securely. No one else, including Apple, will see this information. Your doctor can then view this data directly from their electronic health record system and look for important trends such as changes in activity and a history of alerts like high heart rate. I'm curious what Aspects health records this information helps yeah. give your doctor a more complete view of your everyday health outside of the clinic. We're so excited about this new capability to share your data from the health app directly with your doctor. These electronic health record companies in the U.S. will be the first to support this feature. Cerner is a big one. And we look one. forward to expanding availability even more in the coming yeah. months. Epic now, for missing. many of us, Epic. it's not just the changes in our own health we care about. It's the health of our family and loved ones, too, whether they live with us or far away. For some of us, that means taking care of our kids. And for others, it's our aging parents. And for many of us, it's actually taking care of both, generations above and below. To empower you to care for others, we're introducing health sharing, a private and secure way to view health data, trends, and alerts for the people most important to you. For example, I could set up a sharing relationship with my mom, and with her permission, I could view data like her heart rate, activity, and labs. And just like with my own health data, trends proactively highlights changes like in my mom's health data for me. That's I can also helpful. receive notifications, including high heart rate alerts, changes in mobility, and more. 
And it's easy for me to connect with her about her health. So if I see a noteworthy change, like her resting heart rate increasing, I can simply tap messages to stay connected to the well-being of those you love. You'll have peace of mind and they'll know they have a trusted partner on their health journey. Since the beginning of our work in health, all of our health features have been architected to keep your data secure and protect your privacy. Your health data is under your control and is encrypted in transit and at rest. The permissions built into the sharing experience give you granular control over which types of data you share and with whom. And you can make changes at any time right from the sharing tab. Data you share is sent in an encrypted form and Apple does not have access to any of this information. Privacy is fundamental in the design and development across all of our health features. We're so excited for what's coming in health. A first of its kind metric to assess fall risk, richer insights to understand changes in your health, and completely new abilities for you to privately share selected data with your doctors and loved ones. Now I'll hand it over to Kevin to talk about watchOS. And yet Google she is that, was in her, that was definitely underwhelming. This is an interesting conversation regarding how it makes replace old PHRs. Apple Watch is already the most loved watch in the world. It keeps you healthy, active, and connected. With features like fall detection, she CCG, and cycle calories. tracking, Apple Watch She's is lacking. an essential health companion. It motivates you to close your activity rings and transforms the way you stay fit. And staying connected to the people and things you care about most is easy with Apple Watch, all from your wrist. In WatchOS 8, we're introducing more capabilities in each of these areas. Let's start with health. More than ever, people are realizing the importance of dedicating time to practice mindfulness. In fact, the Breathe app has grown in popularity, particularly over the last <laughs> year. In WatchOS 8, the Breathe app has been enhanced to give you more opportunities to slow down and be mindful including a new animation that has a beautiful look and feel to help you center and calm as you breathe. We're also introducing Reflect, a new way for you to be more mindful. For example, a reflection could be, think about something you love to do and why it brings you joy. A gentle animation helps you focus. And studies show that regular mindful moments like this can lead to increased positive emotions and overall psychological well-being. The Reflected Breathe Sessions live in the new Mindfulness app. This will help you reduce stress and relax your body and mind. The With the Sleep app, space. we introduced an entirely new way to sleep goals and track metrics like time of sleep, heart rate, and even blood oxygen. In WatchOS 8, Apple Watch can track another key metric while sleeping, respiratory rate. This is a vital <laughs> sign that measures how many breaths you take per minute. And since your sleeping respiratory rate tends to be consistent over time, a change Goodbye. may indicate a shift in your overall wellness. You'll be notified if a meaningful trend in your respiratory rate has been identified. And you can see even more details of respiratory rate in the health app. Now I'd like to turn it over to Jules to tell you what's coming to help you stay active. Apple Watch is the perfect companion to motivate you to be more fit. And Watch OS 8 adds two of the most popular workout types that are great for bringing more mindful movement to your routine. First, a new Tai Chi workout. This Chinese martial art is thousands of years old and is often described as meditation in motion. Its gentle approach can help reduce stress and find a more peaceful state of mind. And a brand new Pilates workout type, which is one of the best ways to develop core strength, posture, balance, and flexibility. Of course, another way people are staying fit is with Apple Fitness Plus, the first service built entirely around Apple Watch. 
We've heard from so many of our users how it's making a positive difference in their lives. And now Fitness Plus is introducing a new series of workouts featuring Jeanette Jenkins, one of the most sought after fitness experts. With seven workouts focused on strength and high intensity interval training, she's bringing the fire and her belief that all bodies are made to be strong. Because music is so key to the Fitness Plus experience, we're introducing a new Artist Spotlight series. Each workout features an entire playlist from Lady Gaga, Jennifer Lopez, Keith Urban, and Alicia Keys. The Artist Spotlight series and the new workouts with Jeanette will be available later this month. With new workout types and great new Fitness Plus content, Apple Watch continues to be an incredible motivator to help you stay active and fit. Back to you, Kevin. Let's talk about some new features to keep you connected to the people you love. <laughs> Photos are a great way to relive your favorite moments and most precious memories. On Apple Watch, the photo's face is the most popular watch face. That's why WatchOS 8 is bringing another great way to enjoy your favorite photos with the new Portraits watch face. It takes the great portrait photos from your iPhone and uses the segmentation data to create a multi-layered face with depth. And you can make this watch face That's your cool. own by adjusting the photo's composition and time the placement text to really make the subject stand out. This is really great really to see really live. Let me invite cool. Chandra to show you a demo. Thanks, Kevin. Your photo comes to life when you raise your wrist. And as you scroll the digital crown, you get a view of the dynamic composition that makes this watch face extraordinary. You're going to love how this face keeps you connected when you can't be face to face. Speaking of photos, the Photos app itself has been completely redesigned. It now includes memory highlights, featured photos, in addition to your favorites. If I tap into this memory, I can scroll through the all-new mosaic layout. My daughter Wesley and I adopted our puppy Fondue last year and are missing her during the day. The new Photos app makes it simple for us to quickly reminisce. This picture from my memories is a good one. I'm going to share it with Wesley to remind her we're not always missing Fondue's best moments. If I tap the share icon, you'll see that we now have support for sharing photos via messages and mail directly from my watch. Let's get this over to Wesley. I'm going to tap add message to show you that we've made it even easier to compose a message. We can now dictate, scribble, and add emojis in the same view. I always find it easy to dictate my messages. Remember this? If I tap scribble, I can edit my text in line by selecting and deleting what I'd like to change. And I can use the crown to move the cursor and add additional text. And what message is complete without emojis to get a point across? By tapping the emoji icon, I can add multiple emojis while in the scribble view. WatchOS 8 makes it easy to send the perfect message right from your wrist. That was quick. Wesley must have the puppy on the brain too. And with gifts now on Apple Watch, I can reply as comedically as I would from my iPhone. In the new app shelf, you'll find hashtag images. You can search for the perfect gift or choose from your recents. I think a facepalm best captures how this photo makes me feel. And that's a look at what's coming in WatchOS 8 to keep you connected to the people and puppies you care about most. And now back to Kevin. We think you're gonna love these new features in photos and messages. And of course, there's so much more, including next hour precipitation, support for find items and multiple timers. 
WatchOS is the world's most advanced wearable operating Multiple system. Multiple timers, yay. And WatchOS 8 takes it even further with new features to help you stay healthy, active, and connected. And now, over to Craig. Let's talk about the home. At Apple, we design our products for the home to embody three key attributes, starting with being easy to use. We believe the technology <laughs> in the home should work for you, not the other Here way around. Here it is, Tyler. And we design our products to work better yep. together so that your iPhone, HomePod mini, Apple TV, and other devices can I'm leverage OS. each other to deliver seamless experiences. And everything we do is built to be private and secure, which is so important to all of us. With this foundation, we have a great set of features coming this year to make life at home more enjoyable. To tell you more, here's Yah. At the heart of your smart home is HomeKit, seamlessly orchestrating and controlling your smart home accessories. And it all starts at your front door. The cover. With our new home keys feature, simply tap your iPhone or Apple Watch to securely unlock the door. Just like that. Now, sometimes when you get home, you just can't wait to watch your favorite show. So we made that easier than ever. That set is so cool. Starting this fall, before, you can I ask really Siri on HomePod Mini to play something on your Apple TV, completely hands-free. Hey Siri, watch the latest episode of Mosquito Coast. Here's season one, episode seven of Mosquito Coast. For many of us, the only thing better than watching TV is watching TV with friends. As you heard from Craig earlier, SharePlay is going to change the way you enjoy TV together. You can watch it all on Apple TV, in sync with your friends on FaceTime, ensuring everyone catches a movie's dramatic reveal or show's punchline at the same moment. And to make it easy to see everything your friends are talking about, the Apple TV app will now feature a new Shared With You row, highlighting all the great shows and movies your friends are sharing in messages. We also want to make it easier to decide what to watch as a group. Especially if mom's into action movies, grandma loves sci-fi, and the teens can't get enough comedy. That's why we're introducing a new rule called For All of You, with a collection of shows and movies based on everyone's interests, perfect for family movie nights. And you can easily fine-tune the suggestions based on who's watching. And when you're ready to watch something, you want it to sound amazing. So this fall, you can select HomePod Mini as the speakers for your Apple TV 4K. With the power of computational audio, HomePod Mini delivers rich, balanced sound and crystal clear dialogue for everything you watch. HomePod Mini is perfect for any room, like the kitchen, where you can convert measurements, set a timer, or add to your grocery list. Of course, you can always listen to Apple Music and other popular music services. And we're excited to add support for lossless audio and Apple Music later this year. Because we want more people to experience the magic of HomePod Mini, we're now making it available in even more countries and regions. In addition to everywhere we ship HomePod Mini today, we're bringing it to Austria, Ireland, and New Zealand this month, and it'll be available in Italy by the end of the year. Also later this year, we'll begin bringing voice recognition everywhere HomePod Mini ships, giving each member of the home a personalized experience. So each person can ask Siri to send a message, set their own reminders, or hear a playlist curated just for them. We believe Siri is most powerful when it's available throughout your house, which is why we're so excited to bring Siri to third-party devices. For the first time, HomeKit accessory makers can enable Siri in their products, 
so you'll be able to talk with Siri on even more devices. Hey Siri, set the dinner scene. We've designed it so that your Siri requests flow to your HomePod without going to any third-party server. They're showing an Ecobee thermostat with Siri. From Apple. Accessories that? enabled Siri will be available starting later this year. And to make your smart home accessories work together seamlessly, we formed an alliance with other industry leaders to create a new smart home interoperability standard That's called the Matter. It leverages the HomeKit technology yeah. we open source last year, and we're excited to announce okay, the support is coming is. in iOS 15. You can control HomeKit and Matter-enabled accessories with the Home app. It's available across your Apple devices, and this year, we're making the Home app even better on Apple Watch. You can Anything tap intercom be to broadcast the message or quickly access the accessories you're most likely to need in that moment. You can even see what's going on around the house. With a HomeKit enabled doorbell, it's easy to see who's at the door and greet them right from your wrist. Oh, I love that. HomeKit Secure Video uses the on-device intelligence of your Apple TV or HomePod Mini to alert you when people, animals, or vehicles are detected. And this year, we're adding package detection, so you know when a package has arrived. And we're adding new ways to take advantage of your cameras on Apple TV. While viewing a camera, you'll now be able to control nearby accessories, such as turning on the outdoor lights. And you can even display multiple cameras at the same time, giving you a more complete view of what's happening around I love the house. that. Those yeah. are just some of the great experiences we're bringing to the home this the end of With incredible new features like home keys, share play for shared viewing, and access to Siri in more places than ever before, your smart home has never been more capable. Back to Do I get rid of my ring? You, you just get, get rid, rid of it. Let's talk about macOS. macOS has always been about the fusion of power and simplicity. <clears throat> With our current release, macOS Big Sur, we introduced a bold new design that gives users more control and huge updates for apps, all while making everything even easier to use. And when combined with the M1 chip, Big Sur delivers unmatched levels of performance and battery life. With people using the Mac more than ever, macOS has become an even bigger part of our daily lives. And our next release is focused on helping you do even more. But what Bumped should we in. call it? Well, that brings us to the latest exploits of our <laughs> macOS pandemic. Team. With their annual what? vision quest postponed, our merry band of nomadic neighbors wandered aimlessly through the California hills before donning their technicolored wetsuits and immersing themselves in the inspiration of the beautiful rich waters of Monterey. macOS Monterey gives you the power to accomplish more than ever and helps you work fluidly across all of your devices. The incredible features we talked about earlier are going to be great for the ways you work on Mac like the new capabilities in FaceTime, which help you look and sound your best while talking to coworkers or friends. With SharePlay, it's just plain awesome to watch movies and shows together <laughs> on your stunning Mac display, or share an app window as you collaborate on a project. Shared With You offers a totally new way to discover photos, articles, and more that people share with you over messages right in your Mac apps. And when you're working hard on Mac, you can choose a focus that syncs across all your devices, helping reduce distracting notifications so you can get the job done. Plus, QuickNote and Notes give you versatile new ways to capture and organize your thoughts. 
These powerful features are just fantastic on Mac, and we have even more new features that make it easier to work across all your devices, starting with continuity. Oh, Every yeah. device we make is powerful in its own way, and when you <laughs> use them together, you unlock new experiences that feel truly magical. This year, we've created a completely new way to work across your devices with greater precision and speed, and we call it universal control. With universal control, you can now use a single mouse and keyboard to move between your Mac and iPad for a seamless experience. Oh my goodness. Universal control is so incredible. So you just have to see it in action. Let me show it to you now. I'm putting the finishing touches on an illustration here on my iPad. It's the last piece I need to finish a presentation that I have open on my MacBook. Now, I'll just set my iPad down next to my Mac. And check this out. Without any other setup, I'm going to simply move my Mac cursor towards my iPad, and the iPad wow. automatically recognizes it. And if I move a bit further, boom, my cursor is now on the iPad. Wow. How cool is like that? And now I can move my cursor back and forth effortlessly between the two. <laughs> now it's easy to control it's like the having iPad multiple with just the keyboard and trackpad on my Mac. Yeah, it's an For instance, I can click and close this document. Extended and displays. click on my trackpad to return to my iPad home screen. Of course, I can swipe between my pages of apps, and I can use my MacBook's keyboard to open Spotlight and say, launch notes, and even use Command-Tab to switch it back to It makes every device a monitor. This is well, really powerful. Like With universal sudden, control, I can even drag and drop files between my device. device kind of. I'm just going to take this drawing I finished on my iPad and drop it on the keynote on my Mac. Awesome. For our pros out there, universal control works with more than two devices. So let's add this iMac into the mix. Now I can use the trackpad on my MacBook to control my iMac as well. I can also switch to use my iMac. Somebody was tripping on acid when this they came so up with cool. this one. What? Now I have a title text image I've been working on here in Procreate on my I iMac. I love this. Now I'm going to take this image they and just drag it across the from the all iMac through the power button to the iPad in one swap wow. to Final Cut. Just like that. Perfect. Let's for... see the final product. Nice. That's this is a gateway drug. Universal control on Mac OS Monterey. Between Universal your control iMac and your VR headset. Between your devices. So you can be more productive oh. and focus your energy on the task at hand. Another way our devices work great together is with AirPlay. We all love the way AirPlay lets us watch a movie or share a presentation from your iPhone to a TV, just like that. But there's another screen with its stunning retina display that makes everything you watch simply amazing. That's why we're introducing AirPlay to Mac. It works just oh like God. AirPlay today, so it's instantly familiar. You can play, literally present, and share just about anything. As you draw a sketch on iPad, your colleagues can follow along on the bigger display. And you can even take advantage everything of any you own Apple works with everything else you own Apple. as an AirPlay speaker. AirPlay brings your Mac to life. In so a basically, your way. Mac can be your TV. If With you want Mac to OS be. Monterey, your Literally. devices work together like never before, making it more fluid to work across them. And we're not just reinventing how you work between devices, we're also giving you powerful new tools to get more work done on your devices. 
the Mac has a long, deep history of automation with command line, shell scripts, Apple script, and automator. And on iOS, we've made automation even easier with shortcuts. Shortcuts take all the taps and swipes you usually need to order your favorite lunch and makes it as simple as tapping a button or asking Siri. Shortcuts is all about helping you get more done faster because you can let your device do the work for you. And this year we're bringing shortcuts to the Mac. The Mac is everywhere all, rejoice. But we turn for so much of our creative work. And now you can automate the everyday stuff to achieve peak productivity. You get access to a rich gallery of pre-built shortcuts designed just for Mac. You can set up a shortcut to instantly share selected files with your friends so they never miss a moment. And with the shortcuts editor, you can easily link together a series of actions to design shortcuts for your specific workflows. For instance, if you're a designer, get right to work with a shortcut that opens Pinterest in one window, Affinity Photo in another, and start your favorite playlist in Apple Music all in one click. We've weaved shortcuts throughout macOS so you can run them no matter what app is open. They're in Finder, Menu Bar, Spotlight, and of course you can ask Siri to run them hands-free. Shortcuts is the future of automation on Mac, and this is just the start of a multi-year transition. Automator will continue to be supported, and you can import Automator workflows into Shortcuts beginning day one. With Shortcuts, there are more ways than ever to create, express yourself, and get stuff done. Finally, hey guys, dropping out for the really birthday dinner. About Enjoy. an app that's central to the Mac experience. Take care. Safari. We built Safari from the very beginning to provide the best browsing experience on Mac, and it continues to blow the competition out of the water. Safari is the world's fastest browser. It makes navigating even the most complex websites lightning fast. And Safari is known for its legendary power efficiency. On an M1 MacBook Pro, Safari users can get up to 17 hours of browsing. And of course, Safari sets the bar for user privacy on the web with features like privacy report and drink. intelligent tracking prevention. Our users are doing more in the browser than ever before. Work, school, shopping, entertainment, and that often leaves them with a lot of tabs, windows, and other distractions. We think using the browser should feel natural and uncluttered, so we've reimagined the browsing experience. We distilled the toolbar to its essential elements. Tabs are more compact, modern, and lightweight, and there's a completely new way to use tabs with tab groups. They allow you to easily save and manage your tabs without cluttering up your tab bar. I'll hand it to Beth to show it in action. Thanks, Craig. Let's start with Safari's gorgeous new tab design. All of my tabs are right here in the new streamlined tab bar. One of the really cool things that we did this year is we built the search field right into the active tab. Safari is more space efficient than ever, and I can see more of the page. I can click on the active tab to see the page's full address, and then I can search right from here. Reader is in the tab bar whenever I need it, and everything else is right here in the More menu. Check this out. As I switch tabs, the tab bar takes on the color of the site that I'm viewing, so it feels like a part of the page. It looks beautiful. Next, I'm so excited to tell That's you about tab cool. groups. Tab groups are an easy and lightweight way to save your tabs and pick them back up later. I'll open the new redesigned sidebar, and I have a few tab groups here already. Each of these groups is a whole set of tabs. I use them for meal planning, 
for news and for gift shopping. Here in my open tabs, I'm planning a road trip to Los Angeles and I'm not done with my research yet. I can save these into a tab group and come back to it later. I'll click the new tab group button and call this trip to LA. What's so powerful about tab groups is that they're on all my devices. I've got my MacBook here and look, my new tab group is here already. As I make changes to my tab groups, they update everywhere. I'm gonna open a bunch of tabs and my iMac just keeps up. And if I change my current tab, my tab group is always up to date and I never miss a thing. I can't wait to share these trip ideas with my family. And I can just drag this tab group into an email and send it off. Once you start using tab groups, we know you're gonna to wanna to get to them all the time. So we made it super easy to switch from right here in the tab bar. That's the new Safari on Mac. We didn't stop there though. Back to Craig to tell you more. Thanks, Beth. When we were designing the new tab experience, we wanted to build something that worked consistently when you switch from your Mac to your iPhone or iPad. On iPad, the new tabs and tab bar work just like they do on Mac. Tab groups are especially helpful on iPad and the instant syncing means you can continue a project from anywhere. On iPhone, we've done something really special. We took all the thinking that went into Mac and iPad and pushed the envelope even further. For this smaller screen size, we're introducing something that's easier to reach and maximizes the page on screen. The new tab bar appears with just a tap and it's directly under your thumb. And when you scroll, the bar moves seamlessly out of the way. It's now easier and more natural to access your other tabs too. You can just swipe over the tab bar to move quickly between them or swipe so the up the tab bar to, to reveal a brand screen, new grid goodness. view of all your tabs plus your tab groups. When you get to the end of your tabs, you can swipe again to open a new one. And the new customizable start page syncs with Mac so you have the same Safari experience everywhere. There's one last feature that we're really excited to share, extensions. Mac users love to deeply customize Safari with extensions like Grammarly, Honey, and Momentum. And now we're bringing web extensions to iPhone and iPad. Just like on Mac, you choose what wow. website you want extensions to be wow. active on. And developers can easily tap into an entirely new audience because these extensions can share code with existing Safari web extensions. This is a huge year for Safari. A totally new tab design and tab groups simplify your browsing. And Safari is more customizable than ever with the new start page and extensions on iOS and iPadOS. And with that, I might have, have to Mac try OS Monterey. It's a fantastic release with great new features like, that Mac users do more than ever. Back, so. You can work across Mac and your other devices using universal control such a and good AirPlay update. to Mac. It's easy to get productive and creative using shortcuts and the totally new design for Safari, along with incredible features like SharePlay, Shared With You, Focus, and QuickNote. We do have more we'd like to talk about, but first, let's get out of here. <laughs> Now he's beaming between different Probably locations, including the, the pool. As I mentioned a moment ago, so cool. we've made incredible advances in macOS and across all of our platforms this year. These are going to be awesome for users. They also create new opportunities for our developers, the heart and soul of WWDC. And to tell you about the new developer features and technologies we've been building to help you take your apps to the next level, 
Here's our VP of WWDR, Susan Prescott. It's such a privilege to come together with our developer community and to connect with your creative energy. Over the course of the week, Apple engineers are gonna share all kinds of exciting new technologies and features that we think you're gonna love. And there are a few announcements that we just couldn't wait to share. APIs that'll help you create even more incredible apps. Swift features that make the language both easier and more powerful. And app store features that'll help you better connect with users. Let's start with APIs. And there are a lot of new APIs this year. Like the ones for SharePlay that make it possible to build new shared experiences for iPhone, iPad, Mac, and Apple TV. And system level enhancements like voice isolation, wide spectrum audio, and portrait mode that can work in any video conferencing app. New APIs for focus and notifications. A new extra large widget size for iPad. The Screen Time API, always on apps for watch OS. New advanced rendering APIs in Reality Kit. And we've gone even further in this release to make it easy for all developers to create realistic 3D objects with object capture. Object <coughs> capture is a revolutionary AR. new API. AR. Rather than manually creating 3D models, which can take weeks. Object Capture uses photogrammetry to turn a series of 2D images into photorealistic 3D objects in just minutes. Leading developers like Maxon this and Unity are already using Object Capture to unlock entirely new ways of creating 3D content. It's as simple as taking photos of an object on your iPhone or iPad, then importing them into Cinema 4D to create a lifelike oh 3D God. model. For the first time, developers can generate an AR preview of the model to ensure they've captured what they need while on location. Wow. And Wayfair is using object capture to develop tools for their manufacturers so they can use an iPhone and Mac to easily create a virtual representation of their merchandise. This will allow Wayfair users to preview more products in their homes with AR to make sure they choose the right product for their space. This is a massive step wow. forward for 3D content creation. What used to be the most difficult and expensive part of building AR experiences in 3D scenes is now available to all developers in macOS Monterey. Object Capture and all of the APIs we've talked about today are built on the Swift programming language. Swift has made a huge impact on our app ecosystem and today the majority of the top thousand apps are built using Swift. Wow. To tell you about the improvements we're making this year, here's Ted. Thanks, Susan. We designed Swift to make it easy to create great apps. It has an approachable modern syntax, incredible runtime performance, and safety features that eliminate whole categories of programming errors. In recent years, we've worked with the Swift open source community to build tons of new features that make Swift easier and more powerful. And this year, one of the biggest features we're building into Swift is concurrency. Concurrency is one of the most requested features for Swift, and it's key to building apps that are responsive to user input while doing work in the background. Concurrency also makes it dramatically easier to write code that does work in parallel, so your app can take full advantage of multi-core processors. Without language features that simplify concurrency, you need to write asynchronous code that's hard to write, hard to understand, and hard to debug. Our approach to concurrency in Swift builds on the same core principles of Swift itself, making it easier to write fast, modern, safe code with fewer mistakes. 
people structured concurrency deep into the Swift language and used the common async await pattern combined with a technology called actors. This means you can write code as a simple sequence of steps with actors safely isolating parallel tasks from one another. So building code for concurrency goes from something complicated like this to something simple like this. That kind of power and simplicity is what Swift is all about. And we're excited to share more with you this week. Now, back to Susan. We created Swift and all of these other technologies and frameworks for one reason, to help you build the best possible apps. And the best place to discover those apps is on the App Store. To tell you about some of the exciting features we've been working on, here's Anne. Since the beginning, we designed the App Store to be a safe and trusted place. Users can just focus on finding the right app, knowing Apple has reviewed every app to make sure it meets our high standards for security, privacy, and safety. I don't safety. know about that. And that's why the App Store now serves nearly 600 million weekly visitors in 175 countries and regions. What's on her other wrist? Making it a great business opportunity for all developers and an engine for innovation. Let me see when growth. it comes back. And Apple has dashed over $230 billion <laughs> to developers since the App Store launched. Today, we're introducing some incredible new ways to help developers uh, like you reach even more users starting with the app product page. This year, you'll be able to create multiple custom product pages to showcase different features of your app for different users. You can also try out different screenshots, videos, and even app icons to understand what users Maybe like testing. most. These improvements will give you even more ways to tell the world about your app. It's also important to showcase the dynamic things happening inside your apps. The most popular apps and games are constantly introducing new content and limited time events, like Pokemon Go Fest, film premieres like In the Heights, and Nike Fitness Challenges. Events across the entire app ecosystem help users find the next big thing. This year, we're introducing new ways to discover amazing events like these. We call them in-app events. With in-app events, the dynamic content and experiences within apps will be front and center on the App Store, so users never miss a big moment. And this is huge for developers. In-app events can be surfaced throughout the store to millions of users, whether they're brand new to the app or they use it every day. You can showcase them on your app's product page. Users can learn more, sign up to be notified, or quickly join the action if it's happening now. They can discover events with personalized recommendations and in search. Our expert editors will curate the best and biggest events. And the new App Store widget will feature upcoming events right on the home screen. With in-app events, the App Store continues to be the best place to discover what's happening in apps and games. And this will be open to all developers, whether they already have events or they're just getting started. And now I'll hand it back to Susan. They're really trying to play lip service There's to why something else we're doing this year and it's going to take the app development is. to the next level. It integrates the and cloud with our developer tools in a powerful new way, and it's called Xcode Cloud. Today, creating an app requires multiple steps, building, testing, and delivery, and a number of different tools. Xcode Cloud simplifies the workflow by bringing everything together. 
So as an individual developer, you can focus your energy on being creative and development teams can collaborate more effectively. Here's how it works. When you commit a change to your code, Xcode Cloud can automatically build the app. Because it's built in the cloud, your Mac is free for other tasks. And for teams, everyone can see if the change introduces errors so everyone can find and fix issues faster. Then, Xcode Cloud runs your automated tests in parallel, so they complete in a fraction of the time, even as they simulate running on every kind of Apple device and platform. And the test results are displayed in Xcode, so you can easily see what worked and fix what didn't. What's it going to cost? Once the app passes all its tests, Xcode Cloud can automatically distribute it to the testers on your team and even external beta testers with TestFlight. And all of these essential continuous integration and delivery features are right there in Xcode. So you can work without switching tools and you can stay focused on your code. Probably Xcode free. Cloud is the quickest, easiest way to build, test, and deliver your apps. And it's built with advanced security to protect you and your projects. Your source code is only used in a temporary build environment. And the only things Xcode Cloud stores are the products of the build. Xcode Cloud and TestFlight make it easy to distribute betas to users on iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, and Apple TV. And we want Xcode Cloud to be able to automatically distribute beta apps across all Apple platforms. To make that That's happen, right. we're bringing TestFlight to the Mac. So you can use TestFlight to easily test your Mac apps, including features like in-app purchases. Xcode Cloud is incredibly powerful, and we can't wait for you to use it and see how it will help you to build better apps faster. We'll be providing access to a limited beta starting today and expanding access to this free beta throughout this summer and fall. And Xcode Cloud will be available to all developers next year. We'll provide more details on pricing and availability this fall. We're really excited about these announcements and these are just some of the highlights. We continue to innovate with the App Store and tools and technologies to help you do extraordinary things. And we're gonna be telling you even more in sessions throughout the week. Now, back to Tim. But first, yeah, if Apple servers are doing better. the heavy lifting on a lot of this stuff, they're Take gonna have home, to charge Tim. for that. Thank you, Susan, and thank you, Craig. And thanks to all of our presenters. What a big day of announcements and innovations for our users and our developers. We took giant steps forward with all of our software platforms, and they will enable our users and developers to do remarkable things. Our OS releases will be available as developer betas today, and each of them will have a public beta next month. And all of this incredible software will be available to all of our users this fall. I am so excited for these new releases and how they will make our products even more powerful and more capable. They will provide users new ways to enrich their lives and developers new tools to change the world. We hope you've enjoyed today's event and that you're excited for the week ahead. For those developers who want to take a deeper dive into our announcements, we have the platform State of the Union coming up later today. And we have a week full of in-depth sessions and one-to-one -one labs with Apple engineers. We will also provide pavilions, daily recaps, and other experiences to help you get the most out of the conference. Thank you for joining us. Let's have a great week. No new
What about the glasses? Yes, exactly. September. Yeah. They're all coming in September. They just they just set up the software for the hardware right now. It's all coming. They're coming in September with the phones. What's yeah, that? With the phones and the new Macs and whatnot. These guys just set up the whole software ecosystem for the new hardware they're going to launch in September. Oh yeah, APIs for sure. Only three months away. We're good. Only yeah. three months away. That Did we was... mention when iOS 15 was out? Um, I'm, here, let me check my phone. It might be out today. The, the notification is to developers today. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it looks like it's coming and out. And it releases this fall. Yeah. So about we have to check for the Apple Music special event as well. Yeah, it's it's about to come on right now. Let me see. I think it's interesting how they're handling health because there was talk earlier about Walmart health and getting into that and Amazon and all their big data and so on, but really seems like Apple is more focused on the person and their their health and how that data can be shared with others. So it may be that down the road we're going to see Walmart interfacing with uh, with Apple on things, possibly. They're going to make it impossible that they can't uh, not interface with Apple because I think if they give the power to the, the people, the people will dictate, right? So I think they will have to come to Apple to build their systems. I'm surprised Epic is not part of it. I think I know why. They've always been reluctant to join into these uh, uh, yeah, sharing. They don't, in- they, they don't interface with anybody unless they have absolutely no choice. Right. It is just like they did for the uh, the whole pandemic. They didn't want to come on for telemedicine until the last minute when they were dragged into it. Yeah, with all these new features, certainly uh, they seem to have sewn up the ambient assisted living market. It's going to be very difficult to uh, to challenge this type of ecosystem. And as they, they look to force um, the third-party vendors through HomeKit to use their, their interface, their GUI, then, um, then they'll just get stronger. I mean, they now have the ecosystem and the reach to dictate to vendors, even well-known brands, you know, whether it's Ring or Netgear or... Or any of them, you know, if, if, if you want to play, if you want to be in our ecosystem, then you need to integrate your devices with our, our home kit controls. And, and users will just gravitate to them because why would you want to go through four or five different smartphone apps when you can just go through home kit? Man, that what's was interesting a, uh, to me is um, Apple is no longer a closed loop ecosystem anymore. So they've opened up quite a bit and you can do quite a number of things with their products and devices. Yeah, but, think... but tying them all together in an ecosystem yeah. of products that give you com- holistic control from a, a MacBook through to an iPad through to your iPhone. This is something that's only going to be available to Apple. Um, and they'll use that and they'll use sort of consumers and users. Um, they, they want uh, ease of use. They want consistency of experience. So over time, they'll gravitate. And it's always been that, you know, 80% um, of usage is around 20% of the features. And what HomeKit will do is, and what the Apple GUI will do is focus on those 20% of features that are used 80% of the time. And users will just gravitate to that Apple interface. 
That, that's oh. what happened. A- Amazon and, and Google are all trying to do this as well, so they're not unique. Um, but, you know, with voice control as well, they're trying again to, to counter sort of Google and especially Amazon. You know, it's another push seeing those uh, Siri um, home pods connected to the TV, to Apple TV and the experiences surround sound. They're trying to, again, make them relevant in the home and try and sort of dislodge um, uh, Alexa, Echoes and, and um, Google Home. So, so this one stage, on I'd like ring, to get us thoughts. Are my ring cameras going to work with this or do I just have to throw them out? Well, no, this your, is the your, story. your ring cameras will work and you can still use your ring, your, your mobile app. But the point is HomeKit will allow you to control that ring device using the Apple interface. And then if you want to access that through Apple TV or through another one of the Apple devices, then you'll gravitate to use the Apple interface. Because let's face it, Ring's not going to have a widget that, that is displayed on Apple TV. So if you want to view your camera footage, right. or if you want that to pop up, it will pop up on your Apple TV as a widget with the video footage. But it won't say Ring. It won't say any of that. And then you know, over time, these devices, you know, they're just they're just bits of tin that are manufactured in Far East Asia. You know, without the application, then you you lose that opportunity to connect with your customer. That's what it's all about. Apple owns all the beachfront property and all of these third party vendors over time will become sort of less and less relevant. But the key thing uh, that was missed was the fact that you, they could store this data without affecting your iCloud data, right? All the camera Which data. Which is awesome. Yeah. Right. So that takes away the revenue sources for Nest and exactly. Amazon Ring exactly. and also uh, the other players. But what it does is opens up all these other players that could easily come in and uh, sync up with Apple, right? Because they don't have the storage capability. Like a lot of these small players who sell yeah, really at, cheap, at good cameras. Market. Yeah. That's what I noticed too. And yeah. actually, to, so the to be honest, get pretty low to this, Jonathan's point, and the, the margins go to the software player. Yeah. yeah. On a software on a software scale, Sorry, this 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 was a knockout. Like uh, this, yep. on an integration level, this was a not like everything about this. Honestly, was just knockout level. Um, so many different. There are so many different types of small end companies that do small things. Where like, there's a million different times where where my friends would ask me. Hey, what's a website I can get a temporary email? Apple just directly just addressed that right now. And there's hundreds of those types of stuff. Like there's so many things that they just did that are going to knock out a, a bunch of like little bullshit kind of things that aren't even done anywhere near to the quality that they're doing it. Oh, no, and, no, don't say bullshit. Uh, they're actually good. But it's just Apple, the, because of the, the heft that they have, they've actually just taken all the good elements and put it together. Well, when I say, well, the reason I say bullshit is because a lot of those times, those those little apps that I've used, they don't work the way they're supposed to, or there'll be some hidden paywall or all these different types of things. So for me, it's bullshit. It's not upfront. It's not clean and clear, light and concise the way I want it to be or how I expect it to be. Um, And one thing I will say uh, for any of my other uh, my other 3D animation artists out there, CG artists. Photogrammetry is fucking difficult. I have to go outside with one of my uh, T5Is or one of my other cameras, my 7Ds or something, 
And I will literally take hundreds and hundreds of individual photos of a rock, a tree, a fire hydrant, all these different things. And you would have to take all these different images of all these different Who's things. calling? In order to, uh, what's that? Who's calling? Oh, we're no, it's the, Tyler. We're getting the cycle oh. pumping up. Okay, got it. But you, but you would have to take all these different photos, hundreds of photos, to do one product, to do one object in photogrammetry. So when they just announced that you're going to be able to do photogrammetry in minutes, when I tell you the amount of money I spend on software and on the amount of time that I spend to get one object, this changes the game just at a completely ridiculous level. Yeah, I'm even considering using, um, you know, uh, reverting from um, from Firefox to use uh, their their browser. I even forget the name, but I was very uh, very impressed. Um, Safari. Yeah, Safari. So I mean, looking at that, you suddenly, you know, to a point that Greg Greg used to make quite vocally, you suddenly see this company basically with no real effective competition. I mean, they're just putting so many smarts into uh, into the products and, and the software that they're developing that they're just moving ahead of everybody. I mean, they've now clear water. It's, is it innovation or just basically they're just putting things together, right? Because they have a, a like a, they've got a very space safe space where they could actually take all these uh, ideas from other companies and then put it all together, which is great nah, for the customer. It's innovation. No, I it is. Yeah, I've been yeah. doing photogrammetry for yeah. years, and it takes hours and hours and hours, and, and just the process, the amount of processing time for them to just be able to just condense that in the minutes with their AR kit, with their uh, lidar. Now nah, that's innovation. That's huge innovation. Yeah, when the iPad Pro came out recently, people were asking, why is it so overpowered for what the software could do? They just answered with the software. By Big time. Like that. And the piece, around, the piece around the, uh, sorry to, to cut someone off, but the piece around um, software development uh, toolkits for, you know, new coders, it's all centered around Swift. So, you know, tease all these new software developers into your ecosystem, get them to use Swift, which is almost exclusively used on on Mac products. And uh, there you go. You just sort of, you know, reinvigorated your app marketplace. At a time, you're coming under regulatory pressure. I mean, they're just a beast. They're not going to stop. Yeah. So, and, and just to build on that point, Jonathan, there's two, two things that I've seen in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. If you build a platform or you sort of, uh, anyways, several companies have sort of um, surrendered themselves to this point. Um, surrendering to the platform idea and allowing everybody to build on top of it. I mean, Salesforce did this, what, 15 years ago, or maybe more than that, and sort of saying, we're going to stop competing in a marketplace that everybody's getting into. We're going to create a platform or an ecosystem where everybody can sort of play on it, and we're just going to let everyone do that regardless, sort of agnostic, in a sense. The other the other thing is, is that um, I was noticing how Apple has never bothered to get into the, and I don't want to say camera market, but camera market in the sense of um, I've been waiting for them to come out with their their um, home hub that has a camera on it for um, for uh, to replace my 
Echo devices, and they never did. And I don't think they're going to. And it's I coming. It it's going to come later this year, I think. They've set you the really? work for it. Yeah, because I kind of wonder if, if they, if they just don't even want to have that conversation with people, considering the privacy concerns that everybody has. And um, maybe if they're just going to allow what they've just announced today to sort of say, nah, we'll let everybody else do that. And then we won't have that, I don't want to say liability, but maybe it's liability in the, in, in the sense of you can play on our platform, you can come into our ecosystem, but we'll let that manufacturer deal with the with the concerns regarding the settings or maybe this is somebody somebody else can talk to exactly how that how that um gets regulated or how that gets managed because i started to think about how they just haven't done it when they could have all along considering how innovative they've been in the camera space Yeah, I I don't really have uh, an opinion there. I mean, may, maybe it's because, I mean, you're right, they have the expertise. Maybe it's just they're doing so much. They want to focus at the high end. You know, things like a doorbell camera or an internal external uh, camera for security reasons. I, I mean, these are, these are, again, it's bits of tin. I mean, we manufacture them for most of the players. Um, it's SOC-based solutions. Um, you know, it's not where the money is. I yeah, agree with you, and it's, it's it's just not where the money. Yeah, you, is. you haven't got the margin. Right. Yeah, I mean. Also, they didn't do TVs, right? Yeah, they, they didn't, didn't do TVs. TVs. We were waiting and, for and... TVs at Best Buy. The Apple TV. We we're waiting for it. They didn't yeah. because you know what? You know they can just do the software. They 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 interface the entire platform. Now the switching cost has just got higher for anyone, right? But, On the ecosystem. But Cal, the didn't they? Like, who's yeah, yeah, switch, yeah. Cal, right? Cal, you're Apple. absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking at this, and I am now uh, having been a PC guy up right. until sort of 2012, and then only getting a um, a MacBook Pro for myself, and slowly the family. We we are now totally we we we've become a hostage. You know, I mean, even <laughs> through to now, I find I'm not using that. I've got an Apple uh, Apple TV. Um, and <laughs> I'm using that interface and I'm preferring it as, as opposed to my LG interface that I could get Apple TV through or Netflix, but it's just so much easier and so much simpler. And you're becoming sort of accustomed to the interface and, you know, as yeah, soon and, as you come the, across an Apple device, you know how to the... use it. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, well, it's just such a shame. They, they fell out of no, the exactly. game market. The interface though. is everything. Yeah. You know, that's I just it. watched the keynote. Is... This was just this this was just fucking incredible. Like honestly, I wasn't expect like last year's update was so big. I just did not expect this many things to happen this year with with the updates. And I just mean, I, I know a lot of that might have seemed like small little things, but that was huge. Everything about this update was huge. The integration, making making all iPads literally a Wi-Fi enabled sidecar now just a wi-fi enabled extra monitor the fact that you can just just use your that means i can i can literally just use my all the keyboards and 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 track pads i have i can just pack two of them away and bring it and just use that to control my macbook and my uh ipad and just use those as a dual monitor workstation now on the go um without you can develop, other... which was available like years ago right with that i forget what that app was it's amazing yeah app. but you had to have that sidecar app to do right. it Right. Yeah, fact, this just this makes exists. it so much easier. Yeah. yeah. I mean, from a productivity standpoint, now. when you're a pro and you're needing to move things from here to there, 
and you need to use yeah, like it's crazy the little how... bits of time you that add up every day of having to plug this in or exactly. on the sidecar, whatever. It gets what? really frustrating and it that's, takes your mind away uh, from what you need to be on. And this just here? solves so much of that. Can you you buy it or go pick it up? So many little Michael, things that they is, just is did the music to... event starting right now? It's supposed to start right now. Is he available? Uh, let me check and see if it started yet. Can you contact him? Or... Uh, Cam. Mike. Uh, refresh. Cal, can, can you somebody have to re- DM me with any mobile updates? You can develop uh, applications on the iPad now using Swift. That's huge. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. Again, okay. another reason why they put the M1 in the iPad is because it's powerful enough to do the coding and things that needs to be done. Yeah, that was huge. Exactly. I'm curious how the bigger um, widgets, the bigger widgets API would look like, and how much work do you get? How much do you get for free, or how much do you have to design ahead of time to take advantage of showing more content with the bigger widgets? Hmm. The thing that I was disappointed about, though, is that none of the presenters had a colorful shirt. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler, do you see the link for it anywhere? Because it's not on no. the website. Sylvan, is it a, a simple way of saying something else? <laughs> don't you don't you remember the <laughs> the guy with the really colorful shirt? Did there you check the WWDC app? The one. <laughs> Guys, I was surprised. I was surprised. I was surprised they didn't introduce the white, uh, white um, teeth whitening um, as a, as any product. You know, um, every single one of the teeth just feels like you know something polished uh, out of something that they can only produce. You know, it's, it's, it's a strange looking at their smile. Did you, <laughs> uh, did you check the WWDC app for that uh, so-called live thing? Yeah. Okay, it's, it's not on yet. No. And, and oh, I, just, okay. I just want to Let comment. I, I, I just want to comment on a sidecar thing. I think that's been around for like a year or two, like for a year or two. But I, I guess it's just being able to detect the trackpad. I think that's the new bigger thing that now, you know, yeah. you don't got to set up. You can just pretty much start. Well, that's the, yeah. That's the thing about it is just it's literally just the ease of use that they just they just made with that. And the ease of use they really just made with. I I just I'm trying to wrap my brain around how. I mean, they really just knocked that out of the park. Yeah. For me personally, obviously, the photogrammetry is the biggest deal because that's just going to change my entire workflow. And it's going to literally save me. When I tell you that, like, if I'm building a level and that level is a forest level and I want unique assets, I have to drive to, like, a, <laughs> a yeah. national park with my camera and spend a day, a full-ass day there just taking thousands of photos. The fact that I can literally just walk up to anything, just take a video of it really quickly and have it in, in minutes is just, I cannot tell you how much that just changed the game. What sidecar? You can use your iPad as a second monitor. Say, for instance, you're on the road, you're using your laptop, you have an iPad. You can use that as a second monitor. So you can or drag and drop between, yeah. With Develop your apps on it? Uh, you can, yeah, you, could, you can use the well, You won't need it now. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, like not. <laughs> is built into Mac OS and it gives you the ability to use an iPad as a second screen, but it can also be a touch interface for the Mac as well. But the thing is you have to set it up in the settings of Mac OS. You get to go to the display settings and turn it on 
and all sort of thing. This just automates all of that. So if you need to use your iPad as a thing, set it next to your Mac, boom, back and forth. It, and it's oh. just going to save so much throughout the day. Yeah, they, having to they must Michael, be using I'm glad the... you said that because you just reminded me. Go ahead, Ben. They must be using the ultra wideband, the same uh, chip, the same as for the AirTags in order to work out where the devices are relative to each other, I think. I would assume pretty as cool. much. Yeah, which is a hell of a lot less much. clunky than dragging dragging icons around on a desktop. So all that sort of side is super, super good. The other bit I was very uh, excited about was the 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 how much easier they're making concurrent code programming because we've got so many processing units now. Yes. Is that it is? I mean, the two hardest things in computer science are naming and caching, and uh, you know concurrency is hard. So yes. it's cool they're making strides there. That's going to make a big difference to developers' ability to use all this horsepower. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Another right. major one, another major one is, uh, and this is huge. So a couple years back, there was a, a company called Rabbit. I don't know if you guys remember Rabbit.io or not. But basically what Rabbit did was it allowed people to go online. And is that the together, Yeah, together they could watch a movie. You could stream a movie on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, and it would be in sync so everyone could watch it together. Now, it was only voice. It didn't use video. But the fact that they basically just said you and, you know, eight or ten of your friends can FaceTime each other, sync up on Netflix with one person's account, and this includes on Android, they really just changed the game with that. That's a big fucking deal. Yeah. Especially right now, people are separated. What's up, Amanda? I saw you on my... I was going to say, we need that for now. Tech news. We could be watching this update together and we could be talking about it. You are Amanda, and I complete you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ma- hey, Michael, I think you misunderstood when I said the white teeth thing. You know, white can white uh, so the teeth can reveal a lot of the health information, right? So if you you know one of those cool looking the white teeth thing guys, another you know, same influencer has been uh, marketing, right? So if you put them in the mouth, let's say that link to the iPhone through an app, health app. You you got to sleep with it. You know, in the morning you can know whether you have a certain, you know, a cortisol levels. Uh, if you're suffering from certain, you know, kind of stress. Uh, right, right, issues. right. So it's, it it does adds even some research done in Stanford and MIT is that it even. No, yeah, uh, Karen, you cut out. Karen, brother, you cut out. Uh, if you can hear me when you cut when you get your thing back, uh, you left off at. Uh, where did you leave up? Oh, we lost you. Um, but yeah, I, no, I he, think that he's the, absolutely right. I do think that the, the health uh, dashboard is really quite impressive. Yeah. In bringing together and integrating you know, a number of matrices in relation to health. I will that's, say, that's so really I will interesting. from the other. So then, are you done? I'm sorry. Uh, so what I was going to say was I was very underwhelmed by their health releases. I'm just being very honest and, and forthright. I, I thought it was going to be something a little bit different. And I think maybe it wasn't yep. ready yet. But I thought their health releases were like not what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be Their health releases were, were lacking. Don't discount the fact that they're linking with all of the electronic health records that yep. they are. And it's just going to be expanding. Because that is going to provide a ton of valuable data to providers um, to be able Michael, to they, take care I of will, I will, that's, that's a big deal. What, Michael, what I will disagree data, respectfully. There, Go ahead, Cal. Sorry, I was just curious. Because I don't know. I didn't look at the, the name of the people that they... They're connecting with are there some big providers there like, i mean some uh, of them are but some are. Not with epic which is like epic, epic is the biggest and Michael, then how uh, do you get to the music 
Apple Music. You, you, is that on now? No, 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 it's Tyler. Oh, Tyler's okay. dancing in Thailand. Tyler, Tyler's doing a uh, Peloton workout right now. Yeah, yeah. sounds like yeah. it. But I was going to say know. that, you know, the thing that's crazy is, sure, connecting it to electronic health records is great, but uh, none of the doctors on the stage, unless they know something I, I, I know, I don't know. It, we don't know what to do with that data. So let's just first figure that out. Uh, you know, like if somebody comes to me, you know, how often does a patient come to your office and say, hey, doc, look at all my steps. And you're like, oh, good job. Uh, and like, that's about as far as we can go. We're not using this data in current clinical practice. I think that's going to happen over time, but I think yeah. that was not super exciting for me. I mean, um, the fall stuff was exciting that, for Danish, me. But... Yeah. And this is yeah, I know that I'm... very exciting. Uh, I yeah. would disagree with you, Danish, on that. Uh, I've been doing that physically for like 10 years, monitoring my, all my blood results and everything. Uh, and so you can see trend and even got my kids to do their all. So, it's not in clinical practice doesn't mean to say it's not important what they're doing they're setting the trend and i, mm-hmm. I, I, I that's great but it's not it's not something the specific point was about electronic medical records asif and so i'm speaking right. to that specifically okay, I, I so, that. so the, the point okay, was sorry. they're integrating health data into medical care data and the challenge is medical care data is distinct, distinctly different and so we just have to be honest about what impact it's going to have I don't think it's sure. going to have a major impact in clinical practice in any way. And I, I think even even with the different medical records that they have, Cerner, Cerner is like the old Getting the care providers to one. cooperate with Apple on that is going to be like, like pulling teeth. I swear to God. Exactly. Okay. But imagine, oh, oh. imagine this maybe world. you've got a slightly perspective on this. One second. So maybe most of the data that they're sharing is from an ingress perspective. So it's not egress. They're basically adding data to to medical records. So very, th- th- just look at this as like ambient assisted living, which doesn't have really any regulation around it. So they can start capturing all of this data from all their smartphones and their watches, and they can establish these relationships by feeding data into um, clinical databases. That doesn't mean that they're reading them or that any of the, the, the data that they hold... But it doesn't do anything. That's so the here, problem. Dana, let me share a quick story here. Hold on, hold on. But I have a perspective that I want to share. Walking and falls for elderly citizens and people that um, have disabilities is very important because it's about of peace. Of but, but we're not using that today. Again... Here, let Tina let Tina go, and then Ben, and then I was going to say hey, something. Guys, go ahead, Tina. Tina's trying to get in. Can, yeah. can you, Tina's, so, Tina's yeah. trying to get so, in. So I think, I think we have to think about this from a, from a larger perspective, okay? What I think Apple is doing, and this is purely conjecture, is they're trying to, they're trying to, I, I'm going to use the word manipulate in a very broad sense. They're trying to manipulate the marketplace by um, using personal health records okay this is asking the asking the consumer to use their products and form sort of a grassroots effort to say hey look at all this data that you guys are giving us all of this great information that can help your provider um, give them more information about you 
And I think this is something that the consumer or the patient, to all of you doctors, to all of you healthcare professionals, you have been trying to inform your, your healthcare professionals about you. And maybe you don't have that time because as we know in healthcare, there's very limited time that a lot of professionals have to care for their patients in a 15 or a 20 minute visit, whatever it is. So you can give them all this data that gives them trending information about your, your health whether you're actually managing a chronic disease or if you're actually a mostly healthy person. And then in that way, with all of this data that Apple is going to be capturing, they can sort of manipulate, and again, broadly giving that information, manipulate the marketplace to then go back to the larger MRs like Epic and say, with all of this data we're capturing, wouldn't it then behoove you to start working with us or a greater I don't know if it's a software manufacturer or something to then find a way to integrate that data with the larger sort of clinical data that's being captured to give a bigger perspective on what the larger population is trending towards. If that makes sense. And no, I, Tina, I that's perfect. How populations are getting healthier or not. Tina, you're absolutely right, because this is what I've been also saying from the start. Home care is where it's heading, right? Healthcare is going to be decentralized, and this is the perfect way for Apple to do it, because they cannot go to the, the mountain, right? They cannot go to the epics. They cannot go to those things, because they will, they will increase the guard around their fortresses, right? As soon as you even say that, you know, we're going to allow this to happen on our platform. So I was chatting with the Norm behind the scenes, too, and we noticed that diabetes apps was not included, right? But we already know that diabetes market is controlled by big players, and Apple's no way going to get them to play if the, you actually say that, oh, all the uh, diabetic data is going to be actually included in our health data. You could actually sync it because they won't like that, right? So getting the customers to cause the revolution to happen is better because then you have so many users and ultimately these are the uh, these are the actual payers, right? And they're the ones who will actually adopt and actually push their providers to do it because they will actually go and say, look, I have an Apple device. Why aren't you letting me access my health data through this device? And that's what's going to happen. And that's absolutely right, Tina. I just want to be able to respond for a second. What I was going to say was, when you're looking at what Amazon's doing, when you're looking at what Walmart's doing, when you look at what Microsoft has done, when you look at all the other major players, uh, Facebook doesn't count because they have the worst release ever. But yeah. I was going to say that this was underwhelming, and I do not think this moved the needle the way I was expecting Apple to. I think the, the hard part is, of course, great if health data was involved in care delivery. But it just, it does, it's not going to happen overnight to Tina's point. It's going to happen over time. Yeah. And I just don't think that that's what we should be. I, I just thought overall, there was a huge opportunity in health. Even the stuff that didn't FaceTime would have been great for saying, hey, we're releasing our own telehealth platform. Or enabling other people to build on it and it's not compliant. Uh, Simple stuff. But you know what? There's a, there's a much simpler thing going on here that I wanted to say. It's kind of uh, so it might not it might not be a big deal like on the uh, on the medical side of things in terms of the doctors or the clinic or anything like that or the hospital. But I will personally, I track everything, and it's only because these tools are available. I know that I personally bought like uh, I went on Amazon and I bought a uh, to keep track of my uh, blood pressure. I bought a blood pressure machine on Amazon for like 40 bucks. And 
all the different types of things that they allow you to keep track of on Apple, all the different types of things they allow you to keep track of on the uh, health app. I mean, there's got to be at least 120 different different health stats that they allow you to keep track of. And I would never have even bothered to tr- keep track of any of it um, if it wasn't just there. And if they didn't talk about it all the time, it made zero sense to me to not track my health that way. My mother, who uh, she's gotten lazy over time, and I got her an iPhone 11 and walked her through keeping track of her health on it. Uh, she's lost like probably 60 pounds over the past year uh just because of her obsession with tracking these stats and uh on her on her um health app on her iphone uh my siblings all use it i've got friends who uh all they all use it me and my friends compete with each other with our apple watches literally daily um we all compete with each other nonstop. i mean i understand that maybe it doesn't show benefits on you guys's end but as a consumer on 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 the consumer end, this thing definitely definitely helps uh, change the way uh, consumers think about their health. Um, whether you see it as gamification or not, it it absolutely helps a lot of uh, a lot of consumers to to focus on their health a lot better. Michael I'm, and that I'm hey, 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 what we need is a good preventive method, and that's exactly what they are delivering. And this has to be on every person. It's not the doctor that can live for you healthier. It's you, and that is what this this apps are giving. And that's the key for having a healthy, long life. It's not like when things are too late to um, to then give a surgery and some bad to go back though the point work. was about medical no. records and that's what i was trying to connect and we need to put to. some pieces together because what's happening is we have all this data that's being collected about an individual which now can be accessible to an electronic health record what could happen in the future is the groundwork has been laid so that those ehrs can then start using machine learning on their own take that information from what, whatever information you give them Maybe it's not all of it. Maybe it's just your ECG from your Apple Watch. Add that to what they get from the clinic data, and then machine learning can start to say, well, hey, things are trending downward for this person's heart. We need to alert their provider so that they can get in and get looked at. Uh, yeah, Michael, Michael at that point, hold on. Hold on. Even I just want to make sure that people know this. Does anybody use a medical record here uh, at all? I just want to be clear. They can even provide... Differential yeah, diagnoses. Yes. It looks like I, I from have. the 80s. You guys realize yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. Like here, ben, 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 Ben's used it. Ben's used it. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, it's it's can it's I, so can I say it, something, it is please? it it is rudimentary. But uh, let me give you an, uh, my mother got a pacemaker today uh, because purely because of the Apple Watch. Um, and that uh, cardiology team had written her off. They'd written a letter saying, you know, there's nothing else we can do for you. They, she, she was having strange episodes. They tried ECG in the hospital several times, couldn't catch, never caught the events on the ECG. Um, they tried an ambulant ECG, but it kept falling off because she was having night sweats and stuff. Um, anyway, uh, short, long story short. So I noticed to the point about machine learning, I noticed a correlation between her symptoms and a massive uh, variability in her pulse range in any given minute interval on her watch over a long period of time. And it became beyond doubt that it was correlated. Her symptoms were correlated to this strange, strange pulse behavior. 
So I sent those records to the cardiologist. He said, hmm, that does look strange. He put another ambulant ECG on. This time we made sure it damn well, made sure it stuck for a week. He said, yeah, absolutely. She's, she's, uh, she's, her, her atrial fibrillation is, um, is messed up her ventricular rhythm. Um, and she's going into heart block. So she's going down to 40 beats a minute and then up to 170 at times. Um, and then within days, he, he went in, did an AV node ablation and a, and a, a single lead uh, pacemaker, and she's much better for it. And that's a t- and, and bear in mind that this cardiology team had written her off before that. So it's entirely attributable to wow. Apple Can Watch whole data. Please? Yeah. Can but I the machine learning please? gets crazier than that because... Yeah, go, go ahead, John. Is... Uh, Michael, could you, John's been trying to sneak in there. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I've been trying to get in there, but the contents, the context has seriously changed. As far as communication goes, you know... Try to get your medical provider to use the Signal Privacy app. Mm-hmm. It's like pulling teeth. <laughs> yeah, trust me. You know they're all hopped up about the HIPAA and all that privacy stuff. Why not use an app that really works? And I haven't found any uh, healthcare provider that does that. I am bedridden right now. I had I had a surgery that went really bad. My spinal cord is damaged beyond belief now i can't walk anymore oh shit and so i'm trying to you know i'm trying to figure out how i can get better and i'm like you know one of the things i'm trying to do is i live in las vegas but they have no aqua therapy or hydrotherapy here in this city which really sucks anyway enough complaining guys thank you very much for letting me slip in here even though i was a little bit late in getting my contacts out there thank you much guys i'll be thanks bud thank you john Actually, that's the key thing, right? John and the other people and Ben's experience, these are what will drive the market, honestly, at the end of the day. Home, and if you, and also getting back to Cal's point, remember how Cal was saying that, oh, we didn't see any TVs. You guys were discussing that. Technically, you did. Uh, because technically, Apple, I don't think, wants to get into that TV hardware business, but they could disrupt the whole business. If you think about how they said that you could Apple AirPlay to any device, including their MacBooks, right? So you're actually already transmitting. And let's say they do move into the uh, uh, goggles, right? VR or AR goggles. Then you don't really need a TV, right? TV can be on any wall that you look at. Um, and depending on the high quality of the glasses. So I think they're smart. They don't want to get onto the hardware scene where TVs change every year. This way they could actually change it with software and upgrade, continually upgrade their, uh, their devices to work as the TV, the speaker, and everything else. Michael, what were you going to say about machine That's learning? That's exactly that, also that, the point about the medical the... system. Why would you get into the medical system that doesn't work and doesn't integrate any data and there are huge bureaucracy barriers all the time for everything and, uh, you know, just to bring into the hospital healthy food for people that are recovering for something, uh, getting the, the foot chopped off because of diabetes and what they get in the morning after the surgery is like waffles and uh, with syrup and in the evening, I don't know, gravy with with crap. So we know all these problems. And why would Apple get into that mess and to actually do a different, make a difference is to record in everyday life with all these apps. Yep. What are you eating with the with the diet app and how much you're you're moving and, and all this information. And then with machine learning, create actually a correlation data Preventative. that actually makes sense. And with that change lifestyle, because you can keep up chopping people's um, limbs, but if if you don't change their lifestyle, this won't 
solve the problem. And we have in our aging population, a huge amount of population dying from inflammation because of limbs getting infected because of huge rate of diabetes. Every year, a lot of people die prematurely just from that. So Katrina, uh, I even... would do the same thing. I would stay out of the healthcare system directly yeah. and empower people every day to analyze their data. And Katrina, you know what one of the biggest hospitalization causes of hospitalization in the elderly is? Falls. So they're already attacking that, right? So I think the best way to do this, and they're doing it smartly. I wish I could be working at Apple because I, I, I already saw so many elements of home healthcare there that you could actually integrate. But I don't think they've knitted it all together for all of you to see. But they have all the elements there to basically take over the largest healthcare market, which is the healthcare that happens outside of the tertiary care. And the e-health, I mean, to Danish's point, yes, the electronic health records are archaic. And unfortunately, in these systems, they cannot change them easily because one is that, you know, these things are very costly to implement. And then the companies also charge a hell of a lot of money to do things. So, of course, things move very slowly in that space. But if you could improve everything outside of that space and then make the conduits uh, later on, then it's fine. I think because when the patient comes in, I'm sure that the internal people, the people in the doctors, the clinicians, when they see that the patient's coming with their own file folder of all that health information, they will force these electronic health records to say, look, you've got to make something so we could uh, download their data into the system so I don't have to waste my time re-entering all this data into your electronic health record. Thanks, Heyman. Heyman, super, super quickly, I wanted to add, um, I know Series 7, I, I, was, I was so excited that they might have announced Apple Watch Series 7 because the rumors in January was that Series 7 was going to have a glucometer um, to monitor sugar for people with diabetes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I know they filed a patent for that. Um, so I guess it's just um, wait and see. But yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to... Uh, and that's the type of stuff that I was talking about actually moves the needle. Yeah. I do agree that there are... Uh, but Heyman, you and I both know there are at least 20 different startups working on that yeah. problem of fall yeah. risk. What moves the needle is CGM for everyone. That moves the needle. I, no one's saying that we need to be only about the healthcare system. But Katerina, my father, has end-stage heart failure. He needs to see a doctor. They yeah. do help. So let's not try to act like no doctors help anyone ever. Uh, I am a doctor myself, and I've helped countless of people. So I was going to say that. Hold on, hold on. No, CGM I'm not saying that. Glucose monitoring. Hold on, Katerina. Let me finish, please. Like I was going to say that that continuous glucose monitoring to answer that question. Katerina, go ahead. To, the more, like, the percentage of people you can actually help. Prevention second. Danish. And before uh, we didn't have everyday sorry. tools to do that. Uh, Danish, it's not for people who are severely ill it's for people who are pre-clinical diagnostic diagnosis so pick up the trends uh, and and also it's democratizing uh, clinical data of some sort my, my point was there was this huge talk internally and externally about all the different things that were coming out and i was just mentioning that of all the things that they mentioned they talked about software for fall risk assessment. Uh, it's, it's not even like fall detection specifically. Yeah. Heyman knows the bigger problem. Yeah. Uh, it was fall risk assessment, which, by the way, you can do with a grip test in the office. Yeah. Uh, Heyman, real talk. Danish's right? point so, was just that this, there wasn't, on. it just it did. It did hold on. Hold on, Michael. Uh, my my only point was that, my only point, Katerina. 
We Hold all on. know until people go to what? the doctor, it's way too late. We all know this. We know this. For Except elderly patients that are actually at risk for falls go to the doctor. That's my point. Here, let me finish for a second here. What I was going to say, and I want to make sure that like this is clear. I'm not saying that any of this is bad. What I'm saying is they had been hinting, both in the medical community and outside, that continuous glucose monitoring for the masses were coming. They were hinting that they were going to do build these federated structures that actually would allow us to make liquid the data actually liquid in the healthcare industry. They were mentioning about all these incredible things, potentially even entering into care delivery. And I was just mentioning that of all the things that they tackled, those two were not what Apple would have done in my in, in years past. That's all. And, and that's it. What, and Katarina, you guys I, are on the same page when you guys are talking. Sorry, I just wanted to mention this. You guys thanks, are on the Danish. same page. The thing is, Dinesh and uh, Katarina are on the same page. It's just the problem is, is that the, we're talking about systems that do not communicate well. Honestly, that's what we're all hoping for at the end of the day, right? The, right now, what Dinesh is saying is that the electronic health records are pretty archaic. They have their own way. And, there's, like, and also the diabetes is a huge part. But there's also huge players. And I have a funny feeling, Dr. Dinesh, that the reason why they didn't go into that is because there are huge players in that market and they don't want to piss them off. I don't know. Maybe that's the reason. They don't want them to sort of start their own sort of anti-Apple sort of health project. Yeah, this is John. If I can, uh, John Madison. If I can weigh in, I think the approach a, a little is bottom bit. up. Sorry, like that's just Sorry. from the bottom up instead of they themselves and who were with a very fixed um, um, healthcare system. If people start using those and bringing those to the doctor every day, the doctors and healthcare systems that want to keep their patients and probably paying customers with. With health insurance, because I guess that most people that use all this iWatches and so on and so forth are probably most likely be in the population that have um, that have insurance and probably a pretty good insurance. And if those keep demanding it, it's like uh, changing the system bottom up instead of, uh, you know, from... We need both. We need both, right? So, sorry, John. Yeah, I, I just want to weigh in a little bit. So... Um... I actually led the largest health record deployment in the country. Um, I managed the remote patient monitoring um, in the same context. I'm intimately familiar with Epic um, and the remote patient monitoring space. And so I think the uh, all of the key questions have been raised in this discussion in the last 10 minutes. And I agree with uh, just about everything Dr. Danish is saying. And I don't think it's, it's that much at odds with what Katerina is saying in that um, getting pervasive deployment um, on a commoditized platform, albeit a little on the expensive side, um, the distribution channel is, is going to be very important because when you start provisioning uh, different wearable sensors to different disease conditions to different people who often have multiple disease conditions and then updating the software and updating the hardware, um, that whole provisioning, support, maintenance, updates, privacy, security is a really tangled mess and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players in that space. And it's inevitable there's going to be consolidation, like massive consolidation in the space. 
And when you have a player like Apple that has more money than God, who's dedicated to do this space, who's following the interoperability standards, the HL7 fire standard and what they're doing, and they're attempting to aggregate the information. And they do have a relationship that, by the way, there's a really good cultural relationship between Epic and Apple. I've been in a number of meetings that involve both parties, and there's a lot of resonance in, in walled garden thinking. Um, and so I, I think that to Dr. Danish's concerns about they didn't really hit the big ones, they, um, in, in terms of what would bridge the value between wellness and consumer grade uh, quantified self-information and what a provider needs and how they operate on that data, um, I agree 100% with his caution about what they revealed today. But I think it's inevitable that they're going to reach a point where they own the upper end market because people who can afford Apple watches and that that's going to drive the industry and force the health record vendors to really uh, accept the interoperable data from these devices at scale across conditions. And the healthcare system won't have to update the wearable, the software, the interoperability. What, what, the, the other issue that uh, Danish uh, pointed out, which is also valid, is that until there's a, an overall utility, so what Katerina is saying is, look, in order to prevent diabetes and heart disease and hypertension and cancer and all these things, which is absolutely dead on, it's about wellness and prevention more than it is disease management. Um, but to the extent that the data can be readily integrated into the health record and the physician can visualize you know, very quickly what it is that I need to do on this patient today based upon the convergence of both the data that I have in the institutionally based uh, health record findings and the consumer-based tracking of wellness and behavior. It is going to be the machine learning and the visualization that allows the provider to very quickly understand what are the levers that they can pull to move someone towards better health, whether they're a relatively well young person or an elderly person with five diseases. And so I think the critical go-to-market advantage that Apple brings to the table is the whole distribution, maintenance, upgrade, uh, and interoperability cycles um, that I, it's pretty clear they're, they're claiming that territory. And while they didn't deliver as much as they could have at this announcement, I don't think they're going to stop and, and, until they consolidate the market. This is John, I'm done speaking. Yeah, remember also Can I add something, that there's please? the case from uh, a live court against uh, Apple in regards to the ECG patents. So, you know, they might be they might be wary of sort of getting involved there and, and also getting involved on the diabetes side. So there are certain elements of technology that they want to roll out, potentially where they have to look at uh, IPR and patent infringement. Yeah, could you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by the Alive Corp? I know the Alive Corp speaks incredibly well, and I'm not sure what exactly you're referring to. So uh, basically, Alive Corp have uh, filed a new case um, on patent infringement with Apple. So that happened uh, late last week. Oh, okay, I missed that. Can I add something, Tyler? Quickly? This is on us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, uh, it was a great discussion. I, what I would like to add, I think at least I can tell in America, 
the healthcare model is uh, changing drastically. The post-acute care uh, getting smaller when it comes to the a clinical setting like a nursing home or a scale setting. And the same thing with the hospital. And I think COVID expedite that. Um, um, the wearable, the interoperability, and all this technology coming to help to manage the patient in their home setting is just part of the new upcoming healthcare model that we have all have seen, uh, whatever we are working in a technology related to the healthcare or working in different healthcare setting. We are we have seen a lot of nursing home uh, filing for bankruptcy. It's just because they cannot keep up their senses. Uh, and we had a lot of family. They took their patients, their uh, loved one home to take care of. And financially, is more beneficial for the Medicare and Medicaid for sure, and also for insurance. That's something. And I'm sure whether EPIC comes around or not, there are other, um, so EPIC is not big when it comes to the post-acute care. And um, when it comes to the post-acute care, I have seen a lot of other EHR, MR, and even office, uh, like, uh, I don't recall the name, but a lot of them, they are uh, uh, teaming up with a lot of small uh, you know, vendors and developer, um, and I'm sure they're going to be first to just go with Apple or Amazon Health because they know if they want to survive in this market, they have to move and they have to move forward with this new technology. Thank you. This is Anas and I'm done. And to add to Manaz's story, the thing too, it's like, sorry, Dinesh, uh, the, if you look at the uh, the the last Apple presentation where they had an iPad with the degrees of hand movement and how you could actually use the camera and the lasers to pinpoint that. And also today's video, they actually had videos of exercises, right? So again, the post-acute care is also being hinted at, right? So they're actually building the platform. They're saying, come to our platform, design your softwares and do it. So they're actually creating that environment where the big players will have to fold and say, look, okay, we need to do this. And to everyone else's point, and Katerina, you're on the same page as Dr. Dinesh. It's just the thing is, it's just, honestly, it's just basically, we're not, we're basically the pawns in this whole thing, right? It's the big players that limit the doctors from doing more with the electronic health records and from the the people side from the uh, the public side it's these there's lack of apps that can like communicate well with each other that allow them to collect health data too so the apple integrating all this together is actually smart and it's i know it's incremental and I, i'm also disappointed like dr dinesh about certain things that have not been implemented but i think that's a strategy move basically they don't want to go tick off the big players that they need as well who are making a lot of money by having their own closed systems, especially the diabetic companies. I'm not, maybe I'm wrong on that one, John. So, so Simon, just to add quickly. Who's going to speak first? Manaz, please. Uh, just to add real quickly, if you go back to the EMR, EHR history creation, it wasn't created for providers or nursing to yeah. do documentation. Initially, that was developed for providers mostly for financial reason. And then when the financial... Um, uh, tied to the clinical documentation, little by little, we are seeing more development. But still, we have a long way to have a good um, um, EHR or EMR to help to really precisely uh, develop, being developed by a provider's input and the frontline. And um, I believe with the new um, generation of technology, hopefully, hopefully, 
policy is catch up uh, with this new generation because there are a lot of worries about privacy, privacy. But at the same time, we have to remember in a healthcare or any any uh, environment, we need data. 